Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friend show. I am Todd Dan Druff with Tellus, and this is being broadcast live and also recorded on July 19th. Right now it is 8.52 p.m. Pacific time. Anyway, we have a free roll coming up in seven minutes. It's a pretty big free roll, too. It's $175 free roll tonight. And because this is a Thursday night show, there probably will not be very much competition. We're still kind of writing our schedule, which the show's usually airing on Wednesday nights, but uh, because the World Series of Poker has kind of thrown that out of whack, uh, we're kind of all over the place recently. So tonight is Thursday, and uh, the next show will actually be 10 days from now on Sunday. So a week and a half after tonight will be the next show, July 29th. So note that as well. But uh, whenever we're not on a Wednesday, it seems like the free roll participation is smaller. And I'm sure that'll be the case tonight, even though the prize pool is fairly large. So it's $175 tonight. 150 came from Eric Benzamokin, and we're going to have him on in a little bit tonight to discuss a lawsuit that's going on. Not involving Poker Fraud Alert or me, but a lawsuit that's been in the news and very controversial and... Good that we have an attorney to bring on the show to answer some questions that I, I don't really have all the answers to. Then uh, Trader Ruski gave $15. He will be on the show tonight. SMI Florida gave $10. So that's 175 total, $90 for first place, 50 for second, 25 for third, 10 for fourth. You will get paid in one of the following ways. Bitcoin, bank transfer, uh, a third way that you might be able to think of where people have been sending money to one another and paying for things that they buy in auction style, uh, sales online, something that has existed for almost 20 years. Might be able to figure out what that is. I'm not going to say it by name. I can pay you that way too. You just have to get a hold of me by either PMing me on the forum, Dan Space Druff, or emailing me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, a lowercase, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, to claim whatever money you win. This is cash money. You just get paid in cash in one of these ways. It's not where you get some crappy chips on some poker site you don't want to play on. There are not many free rolls like this out there anywhere in the world. I mean, where can you just go play a free roll online with no catch, nothing you have to sign up for except just an account? Where do you get to do this and play and get paid in one of these forms of cash? I, I can't even think of one. I'm, I'm honest here. I cannot think of one, which is this simple. And we've definitely given away more money in our free rolls than any poker radio show or podcast in the world. And if you don't believe me, find one which has given away more. We've been around for six and a half years. We've given away a lot of money. Every week, it's, you know... Kind of around the 100 range on average these days. But it adds up. If we've been on for six and a half years, multiply by all the shows we've had, it adds up. Money has uh, primarily come from our listeners. In fact, almost all of it's come from our listeners. So thank you, guys. And uh, thank you, Eric Benzamokin, Trader Ruski, and SMI Florida tonight. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It begins 9 p.m. with 25 minutes of late registration where you start with a full stack. 
You need a separate account there. You also need to have the account approved to play the free rolls. The approval will come from Belly Buster. You got to make a form account and PM him Belly Space Buster and explain to him why you feel you should qualify for the free money. Basically, you got to prove that you're real and you're not uh, someone looking to chip dump to somebody else in the free roll or a dupe account. If anyone's caught doing this, then they will never play the free roll again and they might also be banned from the forum. So don't do it. Anyway, you also have to know the f- rules of the free roll in order to win the free money. Those can be found at pokerfraudler.com slash free roll. That's all lowercase. Pokerfraudler.com slash free roll. All lowercase exactly as it sounds. As I mentioned, the next show, 8.15 p.m. approximately on July 29th, which will be a Sunday. Sunday night show will be our next one. So don't look for the show during the week next week. We won't be on. Next one will be on the weekend, but not this weekend, the following weekend. So 10 days from now. Which is just as well, because I, I think with the World Series over, we're going to have less news and poker to talk about. You never know, but I have a feeling there's going to be less stuff to talk about, so 10 days will be fine to have as a gap. If you want to call into the show, the phone number, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. That's the number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is... An old 70s rotary phone located in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston. That phone number is 702-430-1808. It's a separate line into the show. 702-430-1808. You may want to call that if uh, if the main line's having some kind of trouble. Not if I don't answer. If I don't answer, I'm not going to answer the Mount Charleston line either. But if it's having some kind of issue just ringing and getting through, if you get like a busy signal or if you get... Uh, if it just sits there, something else weird happens, you get voicemail on the first ring, and try the, call, try the uh, Mount Charleston line, which is a separate way to get into the show. 702-430-1808 is that number. There is also the call to listen line. Now, you can't use that to call into the show, but you can use it to call to listen to the show. That includes both the live show and our streaming reruns, where the computer just selects a random show from our library of almost 300 shows that we've done in the history of this site, runs it in full. When that's over, it picks another one. When that's over, it picks another one over and over and over again until we come back live. So when the show is no longer live tonight, then it'll play 10 days worth of reruns selected randomly. You can also hear those same reruns if you go just to the radio page of Poker Fraud Alert. If you want to listen in the archives, and yes, I said archives. I didn't say archives. I said archives. That's intentional. It's, it's not a uh, stupid mispronunciation. It's intentional. It dates back to a previous radio show I was part of where a caller called and asked, so uh, when, tonight, when is tonight's show going to be in the archives? And the guy really thought that's how you say it, is the archives. I guess he had seen the word but never heard it said before. So since then, we've been calling it the archives. Someone wanted to correct me earlier this week that uh, he's getting tired of hearing me mispronounce it. He wanted me to understand how you pronounce it. (laughs) I'm not that stupid. So, uh, yeah, it's the archives. You can find various ways to listen to the show once it's already been recorded. You can listen on iTunes. You can listen through the Stitcher app. You can listen through the TuneIn app. In fact, the TuneIn app can also be used to listen to the live show. You'll see two different links to Poker Fraud Alert 
on TuneIn. One of them is to listen to the live show or the streaming reruns, and the other one is to select a show from the archives. You can use Google Play, which I know a lot of Android device users like to use, and you can use your Alexa device. You just have to say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast, and then it'll play the latest episode. If you want to hear the second to latest episode, you just say next, and it goes backwards. If you say previous, it goes forward. That's the weird thing. So if you if you say next, it goes to the second to last episode. If you say previous, it goes back to the last episode, and you, you scroll that way. It's, it's like backwards the way it should be, but that's the way it works. Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast is what you say, and you can listen on your Alexa device. And if you want to listen to the live show or the streaming reruns, you can also do that through Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Just don't say the word podcast. Just say, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. It'll play the live show or the streaming reruns. Basically, whatever's on the call to listen line at the moment will play through your Alexa device. So, so many ways to listen. You can also even just download or play the MP3 file of the show directly from Poker Fraud Alert servers. And that's actually an easy way to listen using iPhones or iPads because you just click on that MP3 and it just plays. You don't need any kind of play or anything like that. So you can find all of these options on the radio page, the radio tab near the top of the PokerFraudAlert.com screen. Any any screen, actually, on PokerFraudAlert.com. Just there will be that radio tab. Click on it, and it'll take you to scroll down where it says Archives and uh, pick one of those options. Or just download one of those apps I mentioned, and you can get it automatically. A lot of ways to listen. I don't want to make it hard for you to listen. I know I'm not worth it. I know I'm not uh, someone that uh, you're going to put a lot of effort to seek out. So I have to make it easy for you to find me. Otherwise, you may give up. Yeah, if I was a big-time show like like Howard Stern or Adam Carolla, then yeah, you'd probably put out a lot of effort to find me. But for this show, I've, I've got to make it easy. Here's the agenda for this evening. Then we'll get Trader Ruski on the phone. We'll get going. You may wonder, Calwatt, why is he not back yet? I, I think it's just because it's too late. <laughs> I think we just start too late for the guy. Uh, he listens every week. He texts me and we talk personally. He wants to come on, but um, I have a feeling he fell asleep again. Maybe um, in August I'll make an attempt to start a little bit earlier to maybe get him on more. Because I really like having him on the show. And that's the only reason he hasn't been on, aside from last week when he was traveling. But the only reason he has not been on much recently is because we've been starting late and he's been falling asleep. Every once in a while he wakes up to go to the bathroom and will join the show at that point if he can't fall back asleep. So here's the agenda. I said last week will be the last discussion of the World Series of Poker because it was the final week, blah, blah, blah. Um, it actually wasn't. I was wrong. Uh, there was actually, there was actually a number of events after the main event. I knew there were some. In fact, I played one. But there were a number that actually concluded after the main event concluded, which was kind of weird to me. I, I didn't really pay attention to that. And that's actually true. So the World Series of Poker almost won eight weeks this year, which is the longest it's ever gone. So World Series of Poker week eight stories for the first time ever on this show. And this really will be the final week of discussion of the World Series of Poker. John Sin is our main event champion. There were a few left when we completed our show last time. But John Sin was the main event champion. But uh, it didn't come without some controversy. The final hand of the main event was accused of being a slow roll on the part of John Sin. So we'll talk about that slow roll and Sin's reaction to it and the reaction that his opponent got, who finished second, 
who was accused of the slow roll. Justin Bonomo, he just can't ever run bad. This is just one of those guys. You know when you have like the very best day of poker in your life where you just can never miss? Just one of those days every single hand you're dealt hits and you win? Uh, that's basically been him the whole year. I, I don't understand how he does it. Certainly doesn't happen for me. Probably doesn't happen for you either. But for him, just he just sits down and everything just falls perfectly. So it happened again and in a good spot for him. In the one-drop million-dollar buy-in event, he won it. So we'll talk about Justin Bonomo and where he currently stands with his all-time term and success. In that one-drop event, with five people left, there was a very bad ruling involving an exposed card. It did not involve Bonomo. He actually had folded that hand. So it involved three people out of the five remaining in the event, not Bonomo. A very bad ruling was made, and poker pros on social media are very angry about this. And, of course, the World Series of Poker is not handling it properly. I'm sure you're shocked. Remember I mentioned last week that Joe Cada was a really good player and that I had a lot of respect for his tournament results and for him as a poker player? Well, that was before he did something especially amazing in poker. After finishing fifth in the main event where every normal human being would be exhausted emotionally, physically, mentally, and probably would take a long break. You'd collect your $2.1 million you got for finishing fifth, and you'd take a long break and be proud of yourself. Nacho Keita, he said, okay, well, I'm, I'm done with the main event. Uh, time to go hop into a $1,500 turbo event. A bracelet event, but nevertheless, a $1,500 turbo event with over 3,000 people on the field. All he did was win it. <laughs> that, that's one of the most amazing feats in poker I've seen in a long time, and I'll explain why when we get to that segment. Non-World Series news, MGM has drawn massive public criticism after they sued. Yes, they actually sued the 1,000-plus survivors of the October 1st shooting that occurred near Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas that killed 58 people, the shooting perpetrated by Stephen Paddock. They're actually suing the survivors. Not the other way around. I'm not saying the survivors are suing them. But they're suing the survivors. It's not quite as bad as it appears on the surface, but obviously the optics are terrible, and I believe they're making a big mistake, uh, public relations-wise. I don't fully understand the lawsuit. I partially understand it. I'll explain it when we get to that segment, but a better person to explain it is a certain attorney who listens to every show and sponsors free rolls pretty much every week here. So I figured, why not use him to understand better? We have an attorney here. Why don't, why don't we just call him and ask him? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to call Eric Benzamokin, and he will explain from the legal standpoint what they are doing, and then we can both give our opinions about whether they should be doing this and whether this will hurt MGM more than it can help them. So uh, we will get to that very strange lawsuit as our first topic after the World Series topics. <laughs> Maybe even before, because Eric Benzamokin, he, he has a real job. He's a lawyer, and he may go to sleep. So I, I don't want to lose another contributor to the show to the bedroom. So um, 
if we don't get past the World Series of Poker topics before 10.30, then I'll pause the topics for the World Series, and we'll get to that MGM topic, and then we'll resume the World Series topics. But I think we'll be done by 10.30. There's not like a whole lot to discuss with any of those. If you've been looking at ads around Vegas, maybe on billboards, maybe driving into Vegas is looking at billboards, maybe just around Vegas, maybe in magazines in Vegas, maybe on TV in Vegas. I'm sure you have seen a lot of ads for the last 30-plus years for Frank Marino's Divas. It was also known previously as An Evening at Lacage, and it's a drag show. It's where a bunch of dudes dress up like women and imitate very famous women, you know, either musicians or uh, movie stars, uh, comedians, whatever. So, you know, basically they dress up and act like very recognizable women in show business. And uh, this show has been running for 33 years, and Frank Marino has been the... Actually, I think it's Marino. Frank Marino has been the headliner of that show for that entire time. Unfortunately, he is without a show now. His show has been canceled abruptly by Caesars. It was playing at the link, which is a Caesars property. It was canceled because Frank Marino stole charity money. Yes. He stole charity money associated with the show. Not accused of it. He really did it. He admitted to it. So merchandise that they were selling that was partially supposed to go to charity, he just kept the money. Crazy story. So I'll talk about that tonight in that segment. Very weird. Poker pros are often very vocal on Twitter. We talk about that on this show. Even I can be vocal on Twitter. But some of them are more stable than others. Some of them are more sensible than others. Some of them are crazier than others. Some of them are dumber than others, and some of them are more unreasonable than others. The ones that tend to be the most unreasonable and crazy tend to be the social justice warrior poker pros. Kate Hall probably comes to mind, and I'll read you a very weird and entertaining tweet that came from her last week. I actually meant to talk about it last week, but uh, forgot. But it's just as well, because we have part two of SJW Poker Pro Twitter Follies, and that's a newer tweet from Prahlad Friedman, who also said something incredibly ridiculous, not related to what Kate Hall said. But you're not going to believe these two tweets. And you're going to look at these, and you're going to say, how do these people even succeed in poker? How can they think logically enough to succeed in poker when they think about this, when they think this way outside of poker? I know you don't have to be like super mentally stable to be a good poker player. We know that, but uh, it's so weird how you can have someone who is on the felt and they can think so logically and they can make all the right decisions and they can just reason everything out perfectly. But you get them away from the table and they're just nuts. So, two different tweets, two just absolutely insane, weird tweets. One from Kate Hall, one from Prahlad Friedman about totally different topics. I had a request from a listener who texted me 
who wanted to know where the legalized sports betting stands in the U.S. We had a long segment a little while back about how the PASPA law, which was preventing sports betting everywhere except for Nevada in the United States, that was struck down after more than 25 years, and that the states would be allowed to decide whether they offer sports betting. And several states were interested in getting it going. But we haven't talked much about what has happened since. So at this point, on July 19, 2018, where could you bet sports legally in the United States besides Nevada? There are some places, and I will list them all for you and give you every detail I have on that at the moment. I'm sure you've seen many action movies and TV shows where there's a car chase. And usually the bad guy is firing at the good guy chasing him. Usually the good guy is a cop and the bad guy is some terrible criminal and he's reaching out the window and firing at the cop and the cop's trying to fire back. And yeah, it's, it's a very exciting scene and uh, it ends very dramatically. But of course, that's just the movies these things rarely happen in real life. I mean, yeah, sure, we have police chases, but usually the typical police chase that you will see will just involve the police following a car for anywhere from minutes to hours until the car either runs out of gas or they put a spike strip that goes over or it crashes or something like that, and then the person gets out. Sometimes they try to run away, but you don't see many gun battles. That, that's what you don't see. Those those gun battles you see on TV and in the movies during car chases, that's just, that's just stuff of fiction. That doesn't really happen, does it? Apparently it does, because it just happened in Las Vegas on July 11th. An action movie-style shootout between cops and two criminals in a stolen vehicle occurred on the streets of Las Vegas, starting near downtown and finishing near north Las Vegas. The last minute of the video is insane. And I'll talk about that video. You should probably go watch the video before that segment. So if you're listening live, go find the video. It's easy to find. You go on YouTube and type uh, uh, Las Vegas police shootouts or whatever. Type something like that. Or Las Vegas car chase shootout. I'm sure you can find it. But... uh, you should probably watch that before the segment you listen to, so you can compare your opinion of it to mine. Speaking of opinions, our final subject for the evening will be about an Alan Kessler Twitter fight. I know, you're, I'm sure you're very excited, but it actually brought up an interesting subject for debate, and I've actually had some debate about this on the Vegas Casino Talk forum, which is my other forum. And I thought it was worth discussing on the show. It was a fight on Twitter between Alan Kessler and Cliff Josephy, also known as Johnny Bax. They were at the same table at a World Series event. They had some words with each other. I won't even get into the main thing they were fighting about because it's not that interesting. But what's more interesting is the one of the topics that came up during their argument has to do with what I call comp etiquette. That is, if somebody takes you to dinner on a comp that they have earned... So if someone says, hey, I have a comp for $150 to this steakhouse, would you like to come eat with me? And you come and use their comp, 
What if the bill runs a little bit over? Who pays that? And who pays the tip? Because a comp can never be used for the tip. So who should pay the tip? If there's a little bit of an overage, who should pay that? What What is the etiquette regarding that? Uh, Kessler got into a situation with some people, not not Cliff Josephy. He, Cliff, Cliff was just making fun of him about it, and they argued at the table about it, I think. But uh, it didn't involve Cliff. But uh, Kessler took a few people to a comp meal, and there were some arguments regarding who pays a small overage. So I will give you my take on that situation and what is Las Vegas comp etiquette. If you take someone to a comp meal, what can you expect of them? And if you're going to a comp meal, uh, what should be expected of you? What is polite and right to do? I have some very strong feelings on this, and I've been on both ends. In fact, this summer I was on both ends. This summer I took some people out with my comps, and some people took me out to their comps, different people. But um, I was on both sides, and I've been on both sides for years. So I have a good perspective on this. That'll be our final topic. If you want to call into the show, please wait until it's between topics, don't interrupt a topic with a call unless you want to talk about that topic, but beware that I may not answer the phone if I'm in the middle of the topic, even if you are calling about the topic. Now, if you really want to talk about that topic, uh, you may want to text me, 775-372-8355. That's our main number, also our text number, 775-372-8355. You can text it before, after, or during the show, and I will check it sometimes during the show. So like if I'm in the middle of a segment... I may not see your text right away, but I also might. So if you text me during a segment and say, hey, I, I have some input on this and I see it in time, then then maybe I'll call you or I'll tell you to call in. That's probably the best way to get my attention in the middle of a segment if you want to comment. I guess you, know, you can also call between segments and just bring up something we already discussed and uh, I'll give you a chance to talk about that. Just... If I don't answer, don't hammer me with like 15 straight phone calls because then I'll just block your number. It just means I'm not interested in answering the phone. There are some people that believe when I don't answer their calls that I'm just trying to avoid phone calls or that I'm not wanting to take their call. For the most part, it's it's not personal. For the most part, I just don't want to be interrupted while I'm talking about something. So, uh, For a few of you, it's personal. I won't name names. A few of you, I, I purposely don't answer the phone. But most of you... I just don't answer at times. It's not convenient for me to answer. All right, I'm going to find Trader Ruski. Then we're going to get going. The free roll, five more minutes to get in to get your share of the 175 bucks, including $90 for first place. And uh, we will get going. I see Trader Ruski's on. Try to connect him here. I'm going to kind of miss the show for the next 10 days. What's happening, Druff? Trader Ruski, thank you for joining me here. And we will get going here. And the first topic will be about the World Series of Poker. Again, the final week of the World Series. It is now completely over. John Sin, who someone pointed out that it sounds like the word Johnson, which is, of course, a word for a penis. So I guess that's an appropriate winner. But uh, Johnson, or John Sin is the main event champion. And 
the big deal about uh, that win was actually about the final hand of all things. That's that's what's kind of weird. Is that uh, it was the final hand that everybody's talking about the most, even though the hand itself was not all that interesting from a poker standpoint. It wasn't like set over set or you know, a bad beat. It, it wasn't anything like that. Now, John Sin, if you haven't seen a picture of him, he's an Asian guy. His name is uh, John, and the last name is C-Y-N-N. And prior to this, you may be curious, how has he done in tournaments? Well, he had one big score prior to this, and it was two years ago. And it was actually at the main event. So, funny enough, aside from the World Series of Poker main event, John Sin has not uh, really had a whole lot of success in tournaments. So he was 11th two years ago, which most people aren't talking about. Everyone's talking about Kata and and the fact that he made 5th, which is great, but uh, few have talked about the fact that John Sin finished 11th in 2016. So that's pretty damn amazing. He almost made the final table twice in three years in these giant events. And so he won 650000 even for finishing 11th two years ago. And this year, of course, he won it, $8.8 million. What was his third biggest score lifetime in tournaments? That would be February 2017. He finished 10th at the WPT at Commerce, LA Poker Classic. Aside from that, uh, he did have a 60K score in the UK in October 2016. But if you want to see his fifth biggest score, you'll find that it was less than 20,000. So prior to this main event win, he only had three scores, 60K or more. And if you take away the two main events, which it's a lot to take away, because it's an 11th and a 1st in the last three years, but if you take those away, then his highest score ever was 80K. And his second highest score was 60. His third highest score was less than 20. So this is not a prolific tournament player who's just you know crushing it everywhere. But this is someone who apparently does very well at the main event. It's possible that the structure of the main event, which is very different than every other tournament out there, is something good for his game. It's possible that uh, he's good at taking advantage of the way others play the structure or the fact that there's a lot of amateurs in the field. Whatever it is, the main event seems to be something that he's very good at. I I doubt it was dumb luck that two of the last three years he finished 11th and 1st. So congrats to him. Obviously, he's doing something very right to have such success in the main event. And people were impressed with his play for the most part. What about this year? This is kind of amazing to think about, given that uh, he just won $8.8 million. Now, I don't know if he had all of himself, but uh, I have a feeling he did. Do you, do you, Trader Risk, have you heard anything about this, whether he had all of himself? No. Sorry. Um, no, I haven't heard anything about it, but I'm with you. And didn't the guy that got second win the satellite to get in for 570? Did he? I'm, I'm, sure he, I'm, I'm not pretty sure, sure he did. Okay, okay. So, 
Yeah, I, the reason I think he probably had all of himself is because two years ago he won. He got 11th place for 650Ks. You think if he got that close two years ago that he would be smart enough to say, hey, you know, I'm pretty good at this. Maybe I don't want to sell pieces of, for 10K. You know, maybe I just want to put the whole 10K up myself and... If, if I get if I get there again and do even better, then I'll, I'll keep that massive sum of money instead of giving away like half or more to other people. So I, I think that uh, my guess is he probably had all of himself here. But here's what's amazing. And obviously he couldn't see the future. He's going to win the main in 2018. But in August 2017, 11 months before he played the main event, though this might actually <laughs> – this fact actually might make it sound like he did sell pieces. He entered an event for $240. At the WPT Legends of Poker, and I know this because he finished in 139th place for 565 bucks. So he he played a 240 dollar buy-in event 11 months before winning the main. Now he was playing much bigger, such as a, a seven a 7500 dollar WPT event in San Jose, California, in March of 2017. So my guess is he was just there at the Legends at the at the bike in LA and decided to just play it. But I, I I wouldn't enter a two hundred forty dollar tournament. To me, it's a waste of time. Just you know, compared to the size I usually play, I would just have to do so well in that event to make it worth my time to play. I just wouldn't bother with it. So I'm actually kind of surprised that he played that at all. If he was entering events that were like ten k and seventy five hundred earlier in the year, uh, hopefully that wasn't indic- indicative that he was going busto around that time. But if he was, then clearly he's not anymore. So. He ended up winning it. Uh, unlike other recent winners, he wasn't dominating the whole way. There, there was no dominant player the whole way at this main event final table. The lead changed hands a number of times. Uh, Nicholas Mannion went into the day as the chip leader. He ended up finishing fourth. Michael Dyer was a big chip leader at one point. He ended up finishing third. Uh, Tony Miles was a big chip leader at one point. He finished second. And uh, John Sin was the person who finished first. Now, Michael Dyer, as uh, Trader Ruski said, I haven't verified this. Uh, he's saying that uh, he entered for a satellite to get th- to get into that for five hundred seventy dollars. No, Miles, the one that got second, because Dyer got third, right? Not Dyer. I, I meant Miles. Yeah, sorry. Okay. That, was, that was my my mistake. So yeah, Tony Miles finished second for five million. Uh, Trader Ruski said he went through a satellite, which uh, is probably true. Uh, he really has scant previous results. If you scroll through his Hendon Mob database, you'll see that prior to this, he had one five-figure cash, or two five-figure caches in all of his tournament play ever. One was this year at the uh, Grand Poker Series for $570, not even a World Series event, on June 28th. And... uh, where is the Grand Poker Series? It's the Golden Nugget, that's right. So he, he played at the Golden Nugget, of all things, on June 28th. It's a few days before the main event. And finished 10th for 10K. And then, seven years ago, at a Jacksonville, Florida event, for $340, he finished third for 18K. That's it. Everything else has been four figures. And as far as the World Series of Poker, he has a few circuit caches, but as far as the main World Series of Poker... He had, uh, you may wonder, how many caches did he have at the Las Vegas Main World Series of Poker prior to 2018? 0.0. Yes, 0.0. He had no caches at the World Series of Poker 
prior to 2018. His first cash of the World Series of Poker was the Colossus, where he finished 438th. Then he cashed again at uh, the Millionaire Maker, 442nd for 4K. And then he had that Golden Nugget one. So this was his third World Series cash ever. The other two were, were small for 2K and 4K. Now 5 million. <laughs> That's a pretty big difference. So that was uh, that was an interesting uh, ascension there. Uh, the third place finisher, Michael Dyer. What, what was his history prior to cashing 3.75 million? This is another guy with a with not much of a tournament resume. He did nine years ago finish in eighth place at a 2K No Limit Hold'em event. He got 65K for that, almost 66. The rest of his caches since 2009 have all been four figures. The best of which was a uh, deep stack in 2012 for 9K. So his second best cash lifetime was 9K prior to this. Can you believe it? He finished third here for $3.75 million. That's crazy. That was Michael Dyer. Nicholas Mannion. This really shows you how the main event just people just come out of nowhere to win it. Like you just, you you just, if you're one of these guys that just runs really well and can prevent yourself from doing anything really stupid, just if you're one of those lucky people out of those uh, thousands who happens to uh, run deep like that, you can keep your head on straight. Then you can walk away with millions of dollars. Nicholas Mannion had an even lighter poker resume. Nicholas Mannion had three caches lifetime in any tournaments prior to this. The largest of which was at the Mid-States Poker Tour in Michigan. He cashed for almost 10K. That was in May of this year. Then you have to go back three years prior to 2015. He cashed 17th at uh, an event in Hammond, Indiana for $500 buy-in for PLO. He cashed just a little bit over uh, 1100 which is probably like a min-cash. And then he cashed for uh, 5700 in 2013 in Hammond at a circuit event. That's it. Three caches lifetime. He went into the chip leader, finished fourth for $2.8 million. So you have those four guys... And then you had Joe Kata, of course, who uh, has had a ton of success prior to this year, and especially this year. And, of course, he's a former main event winner. So it, it's really interesting how just every men are still getting all the way through in this field. I wouldn't say amateurs, but uh, not not these, like, super, super well-known... Uh, super feared tournament grinders. That's that's not always who's getting through. I mean, yes, we had Joe K to get through, to, to all the way to fifth. But a lot of the other ones were not like Joe K at all. So you you see how people dream about the main event. That's the reason. That's the reason. You you can't be a complete donkey and get there. But look, even last year at John Hess, but with that uh, very unorthodox and uh, often. Uh, Incorrect play style. Some some of John Hef's play style was actually good because people couldn't put him on hands, and it was hard to lay down anything against him. So if someone like John Hef runs hot, he can accumulate chips and, and kill you. 
But, uh, you know, someone like him got all the way to fourth last year. So, in an event with over 7,000 people, you're going to have those certain guys who just either run hot the whole way or uh, run hot at the exact right times to run hot. I've always said about tournaments, as long as you win the next hand after a previous hand which didn't bust you, then you can get all the way to second. So you just you just have to win at the right times. You don't even have to have a monster stack. You just win at the right times and run hot at the right times. and You can even just kind of hang on all the way and then get really hot at the end and win. A lot of ways to win or get very deep in tournaments. That's why they appeal to so many different types of people. Let's get to the controversial hand, which is the final hand. This was, uh, of course, uh, Tony Miles versus John Sin. And since John Sin was the winner, he clearly won the hand. Now, what happened was that uh, Sin raised to $9 million on the button, and then Miles 3-bet on the blind to $34 million, and Sin called. Sin had, queen, or Sin had King Jack suited, and Miles had Queen-8 offsuit. The board became King-King-5. So, very, very nice flop for Sin, even not knowing that his opponent was drawing dead. So... Miles, of course, thought that after three-betting that, that he could be repping ace-king or king-queen or something. He, he knew that uh, a king is something that could easily scare his opponent into folding, so you've got to C-bet that. You've got to continuation bet that. So he continuation bet out of position for $32 million, which was a little less than half the pot. Sin, who was uh, thinking this might be it for him to be the main event champion, flatted. Didn't want to run him off. The turn, a perfect card for John Sin. And that was the eight, giving now Miles having the pair of eights in his hand to go along with a pair of kings on the board. So now he may think he just got lucky. He may think he outdrew sevens, sixes, ace, queen, and anything like that. Yeah, he's outdrawn them. Basically, as long as he's not against nines or higher or a king, then he's gold. Or pocket fives, I guess. So, Miles had only $114 million behind, and he had to decide what to do. The pot was more than $114 million, so he had less than what was in the pot, and he was acting out of position on the turn. So he had to decide, why did Sin call that flop? Was he slow playing a king, or better? Or uh, is it possible that he will lay it down for such a large bet, you know, an all-in bet there? He had to decide. And he decided that, yes, he's going to go all in. He does not want to check fold. He, just, he doesn't want to check call. He wants to go all in and put Sin to the decision. Thinking, presumably, you know, what if Sin has nines or tens or something like that? That this way Sin may lay that down. If Sin has a king, he knows he's screwed. But if he doesn't have a king for such a large bet all in... Sin may lay down the better hand, was Miles thinking. So he went all in. Now, 
you may think, okay, well, what, what's how many chips were in play? You may wonder. I just mentioned the pot was uh, probably like 130 million, and now Miles is going all in for his last 114 million. So, how many chips were in play? Well, there, there's there was only about 390 chips and 390 million chips total, and they'd started the hand about even in chips. Now, yes, the blind was the blinds were very big at that point, but they were about even in chips, heads up in the main event. And uh, it, it's kind of funny to think that all the chips are going to go in because the guy, you know, three bets with air pre and hits an eight on the turn on a king king five eight board. But that's what happened. So he went all in. Well, now John Sin went into the tank. It's easy to say that John Sin should have just snap called it. But this isn't like calling off against a short stack in a 1500 event. This this is the World Series of Poker main event. First place gets 3.8 million more than second. And they get the glory. And they get the possible sponsorship opportunities. So it's worth a lot to win the main. And there were so many chips involved here that, let's say, Sin had uh, King-Queen or Ace-King, not Sin, let's say Miles had King-Queen or Ace-King, or maybe even Fives, maybe even Eights. If Miles called, Miles, if, if Sin called Miles' bet way behind, then he'd be drawing very slim, and then he would be pretty crippled. Because remember, they started the hand almost even in chips. So it wasn't an obvious snap call. He had to think because of where he was. He's thinking, is, is Miles really putting all these chips in without a king and without a set? When we started the, the hand even heads up in the main event. Is he, is he really putting all these chips in and can't be King Jack? Now, even with all of that to consider, you just can't lay that down. Why? Because it's heads up, because he's going to do that with any king, and you beat a lot of kings. You're beating King 10, you're beating beating King 9, you're beating King 7, King 6. Could even be against the other King Jack. You just don't want to see him turn over a set of 5, set of 8s, King 5, King 8, King Queen, Ace King. King 5, it's not as likely though because it was 3-bit preflop. So he was just reasoning all this out. And uh, he was in the tank for more than a minute thinking about it. And then Sin said, all right, all right. <laughs> I can't lay down King I can't lay down King Jack here heads up on a King King 5-8 board. I, I just can't do it. So he called and was very happy to see that uh, Miles was drawing dead. And that was that. So John Sin was the winner. However, Miles was mad. What Miles was mad about was that it took him over a minute, I'm talking about Sin, to call that final all-in. Because this is what Miles was thinking. He's thinking, oh crap, oh crap, should I go all-in here and risk my tournament life? And then he's got a king and he's going to snap call me and I'm drawing dead? Oh crap, should I do it, should I do it? Okay, okay, here I go. 
I'm all in. Please don't say I call. Please don't say I call. Please don't say I call. And then, like, it takes a minute to decide, and he's going, okay, okay, he doesn't have the king. Okay. Okay, good, good. So now the question is, is he going to call me with a better hand, like nines or tens or you know, something like that? Or is he, is, he, uh, is he perhaps behind me, like with sevens? So he's at least breathing a sigh of relief he's not against the king. <laughs> and, then, and then after a minute, Sin calls and flips over King Jack, and he's drawing dead. So Miles was very angry about this. And he actually accused Sin of a slow roll. He felt that uh, John Sin took longer than what was appropriate to make the call with King Jack there. Mike Bandisau was not happy with that. That being the accusation by Miles against Sin. Mattisau tweeted this. Miles only made one bluff the, the entire final table. So when he barrels barrels first turn, for his tournament life, anyone who thinks it's a slow roll when he took that much time to call with King Jack is just a fucking idiot. He was tired and wanted to make sure. Ben Lamb, former uh, World Series of Poker Player of the Year, said... Definitely not a slow roll. Just wanted to think everything through. Exhaustion can play tricks on your mind. Congrats to the champ. What a great ambassador he will be. Phil Galvant. That wasn't a slow roll. Yes, it would have been better if he immediately said, I have a big hand, but I want to think this through. But after 12 hours and 10 10 days of poker, he did the best he could. It was the biggest poker decision of his life, and he wanted to take a minute. I don't know if I agree with all of what Phil Galvant said, because if he's considering folding, you don't want to make it seem that you did throw a a big hand away. You can encourage your opponent to bully you. So, you can say something like, I have a decision here. Or uh, something like that. But, uh, you don't want to say I have a big hand and then end up possibly tossing it. Then you can uh, end up showing your opponent that he can do that to you. Now, I know it was on delay, so he probably would have uh, found it out not too long after that. So maybe Galphon's right. Because since this is broadcast uh, close to live, I, I guess he could have found out soon anyway. So I, I guess saying I have a big hand of trying to decide what to do isn't that bad. However, on Miles' side was Jared Blesnick. He said, I don't play many tournaments, but that last hand felt like a massive slow roll to me. Sin is never folding in that spot ever. Sad ending. So Jared Blesnick didn't like it. He just felt that you know Sin, there's no way he could have folded that. So why take so long? Ryan D'Angelo, he was also on Miles' side. He said he should have done the Johnny Chan versus Eric Seidel instant flip the cards over and slide the chips in. Ray Henson, however was on Sin's side. And Johnny Chan had the nuts, by the way. It's much different. Yeah, <laughs> that is very different. Uh, Ray Hansen was on Sin's side, saying 100% not a slow roll. He even asked Jack, referring to Jack Ethel, what he was allowed to say, and told Tony, quote, uh, and he told Tony that, it's, that you know that Sin said this to uh, Tony Miles. He didn't call with Ace-King or King-Queen, but have a hand or something like that. 
he wanted Tony to know he had it, but was thinking it over. He's definitely a class act. So he he was assuring that his decision was not with Ace King or King Queen, which is it was the next hand down actually. But he he almost gave away what he had there by saying that. But but anyway, uh, Ray Hansen was of the feeling that John Sin did nothing wrong. So most of the people watching this believed that John Sin did nothing wrong because of the money at stake, because of the title that was at stake, because he was three-bet pre-flop, because Miles hadn't barreled like that with with non-premium holdings the entire final table except one time. So Sin has to think, okay, why is he doing this if he can't be King Jack? And he finally had to decide, hey, look, if he's got any king, then I, you know, there's a number of kings I beat anyway. If he has any king, he's definitely barreling like this, and he could be barreling with with something else, like nines or tens or something like that. So, yeah, I'm sure he didn't think queen eight, but uh, it was just one of these spots he had to reason through, and he only took a minute. He didn't take, like, 15 minutes here. It, you know, he took, he took a minute, a little bit more than a minute. So I, I have to agree with those who are defending sin. I don't feel that it was a slow roll. A slow roll would be... Something like, uh, you know, the guy goes all in pre and you have aces and, and you take some time. Or, uh, you know, you, you, have a, uh, you have the nuts or something extremely close to the nuts. Uh, even ace-king there, it would be, you know, any kind of appreciable time would be a slow roll. If you have ace-king and it's king-king-five. And the only thing you're losing to is fives. So if you take a minute to decide there, then, uh, then it's a slow roll. Some have said it, uh, at worst, wasn't a slow roll. It was a knit roll. And a, a knit roll is defined as just someone who's being overly cautious in deciding they're not beat, but they're not intentionally taking a long time to call to be a jerk. Because a slow roll, for those of you that don't know, is where you know you have the best hand, but you take a long time and pretend you're, you're, you're thinking about it just to make your opponent pissed off. And that's considered a very big violation, an etiquette violation in poker. There's, there's no rule against it, but there's, it's, it's considered an etiquette violation. So if you're in a tournament and someone says all in and you've got a super strong hand, or especially if you have the nuts, then you immediately say I call. And if you don't, then you can get pissed. If you may remember earlier in the series, I was up against a slow roll, but I think the guy just kind of spaced out. I don't think it was even an intentional slow roll. But uh, I had jacks, short-stacked, close to the money. I raised. The guy three-bet me. I went all in. I'm hoping I don't hear the immediate I call. The guy paused a few seconds. Maybe five seconds he paused. Then looked down at his cards. And then gave kind of like an almost not sure sounding... uh, 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 I call. And then he turned over aces. Now I flopped the jack and doubled up off him, so <laughs> that was a little bit of justice there. But I, I, I made a comment at first when he turned over the aces about it was a slow roll. I wouldn't have been mad if the guy just quickly checked his cards to make sure he really had aces and not like ace four. But he sat there for like at least five seconds before checking, which I thought was weird because he didn't need any he didn't need to do any kind of uh, theatrics. There was nobody else to act at that point. It was a matter of uh, he calls my all-in, and that's it. Everybody else was out of the hand. So it's either snap call or quickly look at your card snap call, not sit there and space for five seconds. But I think that's what happened. I think he was just kind of spacing out. We we had just started day two. I think that's what was going on with him. So 
I kind of let it drop after the rest of the table was insisting it wasn't a slow roll. But th- that's an example of a, of a slow roll, even though, again, I don't think it was intentional. Uh, Phil Helmuth slow rolled me on TV. You can, if you Google, you go to YouTube and type in Phil Helmuth, Todd Wittellis, WSOP main event, you'll see nine years ago I played Phil Helmuth on the feature table, flopped a set with a short stack, went all in on the turn when he made the queen high flush without the board paired, and he didn't call right away. So that was kind of a slow roll. Even Norman Chad say so, said so. So, but back to this. I don't believe it was a slow roll. They were playing for so much money here, so much at stake, and King Jack was not an unbeatable hand. In fact, it could have been crushed, especially from uh, against the guy who three-bet you pre, even heads up. Trader Risky, how did you feel about it? Yep, I definitely agree with you. I think he took, you know, he wanted to think it through. I mean, he had been playing 10, they'd been playing 10 hours of heads up. Plus, however long they played before that on that day and all the days before it. And yeah, like you said, ace king, king queen, pocket eights. He might have given away some type of tell when the eight came. So he doesn't know if he has two eights or one eight, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I thought he was, he played I, the whole tournament. I mean, I just thought the guy had a lot of class and I think he definitely was thinking through his decision. Yeah. Didn't want to make a mistake. And it's, you know, as far as like the nit rolls go and things like that, that's not the last hand of the main event. Yeah. Know? Yeah. That's, you know, he yeah. wanted to. Make sure he's not seeing things after being up for so long. Yeah, so uh, I agree. So now Tony Miles, you know, he took heat from a lot of people on social media about his little speech about the slow roll. And when did he do it, by the way? Because I thought he was very classy too. I'm not sure either. I, I heard something about he complained about a slow roll, but I'm not. I'm not sure when either. That's that's a good question. Because yeah, he immediately went up to him and it, like said something too, like Sin did to kind of not necessarily apologize, but just say, hey, you know, I really had to think this through. I thought I could be beat. Yeah. So I'd be, yeah, I'd like to know when he said that. And maybe in the heat of the moment he said something. Yeah. So here is is an apology, though, that Tony Miles put out regarding saying something about it after he took some heat on social media. This apology was written on July 15th, and he tweeted it out. He wrote this on his notepad on his phone and then just screenshotted it and tweeted this out. I just want to take a moment to respond to some of the things that were said last night following my heads-up play versus John Sin. First and foremost, I want to congratulate the champion, he put in all caps. I am so happy for John. Not only is he an amazing player, but he's a gentleman. His character and demeanor throughout the tournament was a lesson on how to carry yourself with class and poise. He's a great ambassador for poker, and I know he's going to do amazing things. I I will say that people were were impressed with John Sin and the way he conducted himself during the tournament, so uh, Miles is echoing that as well. Uh, he, uh, there was a camaraderie amongst the guys at the final table that I couldn't put into words. I have a feeling that I'll be close friends with many, if not all of them, for life. I would now like to address my immediate reaction at the end of the tournament where I had a brief moment of weakness and lost my composure. I am a very emotional person. I love, he put in all caps, this game. And with everything in me, I'm literally crying like a baby right now just writing this. I know it's hard for people to understand the... 
the pressure of the situation, and there's no excuse for what I said to John following the hand. So I guess, I guess he did say it like after the hand at some point. In retrospect, I do not believe in any way that it was a, quote, slow roll. We were playing for millions of dollars, and John had every right to take his time and talk through his decision. My immediate reaction of angst and frustration was unwarranted, and I take full responsibility for what I said. There's no excuse for that reaction. My parents raised me to be a gentleman, and my goal in this tournament was to be gracious whether I won or lost in the end. So for this, I apologize. I'm sorry to John. I'm sorry for, to my colleagues, and I'm sorry to the millions of people who are watching on television. As soon as I knew I was drawing dead, I just wanted to run away and escape the Thunderdome as quickly as possible. I, I don't blame him for that part. I, that's always how I feel when I bust a tournament. I just want to escape everybody. I, I just want to go away, be away from the tournament, away from all the cheering, away from the madness. I just want to go away and either be by myself or be with, with friends and family. But But I don't want to, like be around all the hubbub, and I can imagine, like, in the main event, when you, you're the runner-up, uh, you really do just want to get away. So I, I believe that part. Uh, but I didn't. I pulled myself together and realized how blessed I was to be there and how much I wanted to be gracious in defeat. I think my exit interviews are a, testi- a testament to the growth I've experienced over the past few years. I was able to regain my composure, and I believe my exit interviews were a great opportunity to show the values my parents have instilled in me. I was proud of myself for holding John's hand up for that photo. That's the winner's photo. It took everything in me to push the pain aside and be genuinely happy for him when I was experiencing one of the most disappointing and emotional moments of my life. But I was and always will be. John is an amazing person. He's kind, humble, intelligent, open-minded, and easy to get along with. I have so much respect for him. I look at him like a brother. A form of respect was forged by our battle that bonded us. I have a feeling that we will be close friends for a very long time. To everyone who supported me, thank you. It was the right of a lifetime. People dream of this opportunity their entire lives and never get a chance to be on that stage. I'm appreciative and understand that I ran way above EV to get in this position. While I know I didn't play my best, uh, I can't find, well, I didn't play my best and cut, unfortunately cuts off there. Uh, to everyone who supported me, thank you. This was the right of a lifetime. People dream of this opportunity their entire lives and never get, get a chance to be on that stage. Oh, I, uh, that's the same thing. Okay. I see. He, he, he kind of pasted uh, the, the fifth one kind of repeats some stuff. So while I know I didn't play my best, heads up, I'm proud of how I played for the duration of the tournament. I'm going to continue to work hard at the game I love so much. I can't wait to see what the future holds. I love you all. God bless. And he, he did a little emoji of the praying. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I think that apology was probably half due to the negative reaction and pressure on social media and half probably really feeling like he was a jerk. Uh, I, I don't. I think he said something immediately. You know, he reacted. You know, if he had tweeted the next day and then got pushed back and then said something, I think that was pretty authentic. Well, yeah, that's, I, I, I guess I should modify what I said there. I don't believe it's it's not authentic or not heartfelt. I think that uh, whether, like, if, if he hadn't, let, let's say, like, 75% of the people on Twitter were, were saying, yeah, you know, Miles is right. That was, what a stupid slow roll. Like, if, if a bunch of people supported him, that was a slow roll. Uh, I think maybe he doesn't put out that apology. But uh, So I think it was a combination of, like, he said it, and then he prob- afterwards he's probably like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have said that in the moment. And then, like, when everyone went off on him, he's like, yep, I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> you know, I made a mistake here. And then and then came out, and, and, and he probably did feel bad he said it, and he also realized he came off as a jerk, and he's got a... Yeah, so I'm not. I'm not saying he's lying. I th- I think most of this was probably probably pretty ha- heartfelt. And and as Trader Ruski said, you know, he he just lost the chance to win the main event, 
And this is someone who it's not like Justin Bonomo who's just been you know killing high rollers for 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 a while now. This this is someone who hasn't been in any spot anywhere near this in his life and may never be again. And he finished second and got five million, which is great. But uh, you know he just came so close and was probably mad at himself for committing all those chips for first with queen high and then a pair of eights and just realizing in that moment he wasn't going to be the main event champ uh keep in mind he also had a good chip lead at one point not heads up but he you know at one point uh when it wasn't heads up he was the big chip leader so yeah there are a lot of emotions that he had to deal with over time and when that moment came that he was drawing dead and he probably you know let, let some things slip about the slow roll that, uh, especially because he sat there for that minute thinking, okay, if he didn't snap me, then he doesn't have a king. Right. He had himself convinced he was winning. Either winning or, or, or that, uh, there was a decision to be made that, uh, to, to where he had a decent chance he was ahead. And, and, the, right. and then to see he was actually drawing dead was just the killer. Like, he's just thinking, okay, as long as not, if it's a king, I'm drawing dead. If it's not a king or not a set, then I've actually got a chance to win. In fact, even a set, he could, he had, he had a few outs. If, like, you know, let's say Sin had a set of fives, he actually had a few outs, if, you know, to spike the, the other eight. But uh, here he was actually drawing dead. And he thought for sure he wasn't drawing dead from that minute that passed. That, that, that's what got him so mad. And then afterwards he realized after the moment was over, okay, you know, yeah, it was totally reasonable. He took the time to think, given what we were playing for, and uh, I probably shouldn't have said that. And then social media went off on him, and then <laughs> he realized he realized he had to say something. So... Uh, you know, good that he put this out, and I, I think that was probably mostly heartfelt, and the, the truth is that this year at the main event final table, uh, everybody was pretty well liked. So I, I remember the discussion last week that whoever wins this uh, is going to be someone who's likable and probably be a good ambassador for poker. So, uh, even though four of the five of them were of the top five there were not well known at all prior to this uh, john sin i guess was the best known for being 11th two years ago but still he was no household name in poker either if you weren't paying close attention to the main event two years ago you wouldn't know who he is and the other the other four you the other three you definitely wouldn't know prior to this so anyway that's uh, that was that little controversy but it looks like it had a mostly happy ending and Miles has taken responsibility for what he did, so that's that. wasn't a huge deal. Just uh, that, that was the one little controversy at that final table. The one-drop event, it alternates year by year in the odd years of the one-drop event at the World Series. The buy-in for the event is $100,000, which, which is a lot, but it's nothing compared to the buy-in on the even years, including this year, which is... One million dollars. So, the one-drop event uh, went after the main event. It was uh, something that was really the the last i think it was the very last event yeah it was it was event number 78 there's never been 78 events by by the way ever before this year the very last event to close the world series of poker the world series of poker officially ended on 
Uh, at the very end of July 17th, so just two days ago, the World Series ended, after beginning all the way back on May 30th. And there was a $10 million first prize. Why was it only $10 million? Because there were only 27 people entering. As you might imagine, it can be difficult to get a million dollars together when you are not a super rich businessman. If you're a professional poker player, to come up with a million dollars to enter a tournament is pretty tough. So uh, unless you have some very wealthy backers, then it's going to be very hard to enter this. Especially nowadays where the money is getting tighter and tighter in the poker community. Uh, also, apparently, businessmen are playing this less and less. So, uh, in fact, I sat next to one of them this year who had played this in a, in a past year. I, I talked about it on a previous show. And that guy said he's not going to play again. So, the... Uh, and, and one of the reasons the guy didn't want to play again is he didn't like the fact that so many poker pros were backed. And that, that actually does bother some of these businessmen who they know they're not as skilled as some of these poker pros, but they're hoping that the fact that a million dollars is much less to them than it would be to a poker pro, where it would be a large portion of their bankroll, that uh, maybe they could use the bankroll factor the fact that they can play and not worry about the money, where the poker pros have to worry about the money, uh, to their advantage. But if, if the poker pros are only playing for a percentage of that, and, and most of the money was put up by other people, uh, then the poker pro- pros can forget about the money and play their A game, and that leaves the businessmen uh, out in the cold in many cases. So th- that's why that particular guy wasn't going to play again. And he told me that others feel that way as well. So they only got 27 people this year, and they paid five spots. The winner this year was Justin Bonomo, which is insane. Justin Bonomo just never misses anymore. Justin Bonomo has had an incredible 2018 that just keeps getting better and better. And you're just wondering, when is Justin Bonomo ever going to run bad? And in 2018, the answer is never. He plays these super high buy-in tournaments. And I don't even know how much he's putting himself in anymore. Like, I I don't know where all this money's coming from. I mean, he's been winning huge. So it could be coming from that. But is, is he really, like, did he really risk a million bucks of his own money for this? Or do, does he have a backer? Obviously a good guy to be backing. <laughs> if, if I can get in the business of, of backing, I, I couldn't back him. I don't have the bankroll to back him at the events he plays. But if someone said he would like to buy a piece of him, uh, I, I would definitely say yes at this point. And I think most of you would, too. But, uh, so he's entering these very large events. Most of the events he's entering range between uh, 10K to 250K. And, but let me, let me tell you the type of year he's having. We've talked about this before. But we're going to start with his first cash in 2018 on January 6th for $1.077 million at the PCA, at the 100K high roller, finished second. Then 310000 which, you know, for what he's been cashing, sounds like it's small. <laughs> but uh, that was just six days later, also at the PCA, at the 25K high roller, he finished fourth. So he finished second and fourth of the two high rollers there. That was just in the first 12 days of the year. That was really, like, 
pretty much representative of what was going to come. January 17th, 197K in a Hollywood, Florida 50K high roller. January 22nd, five days after that, 556K. He won the 25K high roller, also in Hollywood, Florida. A 10K event at the U.S. Poker Open on February 1st. He added another 190K. Then the big one. In Macau, he played the 2 million Hong Kong dollar super high roller bowl. Which is, uh, it's, it's about a little more than 200K is what that is, that buy-in. Probably like more like 250K in U.S. dollars. He ended up winning $37,830,000 Hong Kong dollars, which translates to $4.8 million on March 20th. This is by March 20th, all these results I'm reading you. Crazy. Then he had some five-figure caches I'll skip. <laughs> April 26th. For 100,000 euros, he entered in Monte Carlo, finished fifth for $488,000 U.S. Three days later, April 29th, also in Monte Carlo, fourth in a 50,000 euro buy-in, 276,000 U.S. dollars he won there. He won two days after that, the 25K euro event, also in Monte Carlo, for 457,000. Two days later, another 25, uh, 25K Euro Monte Carlo tournament. He won for 311000 U.S. dollars. Then, four weeks later, in Vegas, he entered the 2018 Super High Roller Bowl for 300000 All he did is win $5 million by winning the whole thing. Another 350000 at the Aria he picked up by winning an event for 25K on May 31st, just four days later. Just three days later, another 310K for a 26K high roller. <laughs> this is insane. Uh, June 6th, three days after that, the Heads Up ter- uh, Championship event at the World Series of Poker. The 10K Heads Up event, he won that for 185K. It seems like nothing compared to what he did the rest of the year. Then some five-figure caches again. Then... Uh, Just then, let's see here. On July 6th, at the Aria 25K, he finished third for 104K. And then, for good measure, he wins the one drop for $10 million. Not bad, huh? Not bad. Not a bad 2018 for Justin Bonomo. <laughs> just think, think about all those things I, I just read you. It's all been in uh, a little bit more than six months. What does that all add up to? I mean, th- think of all those different large caches I told you, especially some of them in the millions. What does that all add up? How much is he up, or how much is he cashed in 2018, Justin Bonomo? $100 billion. I mean, it feels like it. But it's actually almost $25 million. Now, yes, he's put in a lot of buy-ins. A million dollars just for this one, the one drop. So he's put in several million, but he's up a ton. Just in six months. It could be 100 billion pesos. I haven't done the math. (laughs) 
So how much has Justin Bonomo cashed lifetime? Justin Bonomo has now cashed lifetime $42,979,591. Now, while, again, that's cashes, not profits, he is definitely way up lifetime in tournaments. There's no question, especially after the last six months. Where does he rank on the all-time money list? That would be first. He is now the all-time money leader. Who is second? Daniel Negranu. He just passed Negranu with that win. Negranu's all-time money is $39.65 million. Third place, Eric Seidel, $34.575 million. And Fedor Hulse, even though he's very young, $32.55 million. Now, Fedor was the one who finished second at this one drop, but he wasn't very happy because he had Bonomo down like 9-1, to 10-1, to and chips heads up and still lost. I mean, think of that matchup with Fedor Holtz against Justin Bonomo. So you, you had the guy who just couldn't miss in 2017 against the guy who couldn't miss in 2018. So you, you put those two together, these, these two guys who just seemingly never run bad. Someone has to has to win. Someone has to run better than the other. And it was Bonomo because, you know, 2018 is his year. <laughs> so he outran Fedora Holtz, who, by the way, won a huge pot, which we'll get to shortly, with a set on the river to knock two people out when there were five left. That's Fedora did that. Now, had Fedora won, would he be the leader all-time in caches? No. Had he won, he would be at 36.55. Bonomo would be at 38 point something, so still ahead of Fedor. So had Fedor won, it would have been Negranu, Bonomo, then Fedor. And then Seidel. Instead, it's Bonomo, Negranu, Seidel, then Fedor. So that's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing that Bonomo has been doing this. I actually played with him a whole lot last year. I didn't play with him this year, but I got him like five times at my table, including the main event last year. And you may wonder, well, how was he playing? You, you may picture a guy like that. Was he just like running over everybody? Was he playing just super aggro? No! Bonomo was actually playing tight and careful. Not, not like someone you could run over, but someone who, who would keep the pots small for the most part if, if he didn't have a really strong hand with the intention to call you down if you show aggression against him. And this is both at limit events and no limit events, which I played with him last year. I, again, I got him like five times last year. Main event, he did go out with a huge draw on the turn. He he had like a straight flush draw on the turn and decided to put it all in on day one, like mid-day one. And he was up against a set and he, he busted. He didn't improve, he busted. So, cooler for him there. Uh, he didn't have to do it that way. He could, he could have just check-called it. Uh, but other than that hand, uh, there were a lot of hands where he had something like fairly strong and kept the pot small. Again, in both limit and no limit. When I played with him last year. So, uh, Bonomo, at least in those events, when I saw him, was more just always trying to figure out where he was at and avoiding spots which could 
really harm him when his hand wasn't all that great. I don't know how he plays in the high roller events. I haven't watched them, but uh, whatever he's doing is working out. But even he has admitted that he has run just insanely hot. That he just can't miss, that he doesn't understand why every time he just runs so well. And that's what people have been saying, watching him, watching Fedor. Like they, they're impressed with how they play. They're not criticizing them. They're not, they're not calling them fish. They're not saying that uh, th- that they're not good players. But people watch them and just go, gosh, they, they see the description of these hands. They just go, these guys never miss. They're just, they're just always either picking up hands or uh, or, or getting there. So I, I guess someone has to run that way at some point. But I know personally, I don't, I don't have streaks like that, and I don't play anywhere near the number of tournaments Bonomo does. But you know, I think about the World Series events. When I'm running hot, I'll, I'll be running hot for like a few hours, and then it stops. Then I'll just like stop making hands. Uh, unfortunately for me, it always seems like I run super hot near the beginning. Not usually like right at the beginning, but kind of near the beginning is when I'm just like hitting everything. And then I go cold. And I just can't win a hand. And, and I bet a lot of you have that feeling too when you play. That just streaks where you're just constantly hitting everything. That if you could get that to last for an entire day, you're kind of shocked. But, but here, Bonomo's had it going on for, for over six months. And even he admits it. So that, that's a pretty charmed life to have there, to just play these super high buy-in events and run super hot. Now in poker, for every dream that comes true, another one is shattered. Because the money comes from somewhere. It's not from the casino. He's, he's not hitting big hands in video poker or blackjack. He's getting this money from other people who are putting it up and losing it. And that's often forgotten when you talk about these people who are cashing huge and winning huge. Now, like at the main event, nobody lost more than $10,000. So these guys who were taking down the millions at the final table, uh, no one person has lost a fortune. But uh, at these high rollers, like the million-dollar one-drop, these the 300K events that, that uh, Bonomo was entering, you have those that are putting up that money and not cashing. And you don't see reports about them. You don't see reports of, you know, such and such person has uh, put up 250K or more for 15 straight times and hasn't cashed. You don't see that. They don't report that. It's, it's even hard to find. If you try, it's hard to figure out who would meet that description. I guess you could scour tournament updates to kind of figure it out, but that's often forgotten in poker. That those who are not cashing, a lot of times they're playing and just not doing well. A lot of times the guys who are killing it one year and then the next year you don't hear about them, sometimes because they're taking a break and sometimes because they're just playing and losing. And you just stop hearing about them. And then sometimes when one of them wins again, after a long period where you just weren't hearing of them, you ask them, oh, did you take a break? Where have you been the last eight years? No, 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 I've been playing, I just, I just kept losing. <laughs> so 
there's there's kind of in poker there there is kind of a an optical illusion that people are always winning because someone has to win every tournament. If you have a guy who's running hot, then he's winning a number of tournaments in a short time. And you see that and you get jealous and you think you, you don't stop to think, wait a minute, what about all the people that are entering and not cashing that are funding all these wins for the guys running hot? So it can be very tough. Tournament poker especially can be very tough. Okay, so what we're going to do here is we're going to take a break from the World Series topics. It's going slower than I thought. There are two more World Series topics uh, about Joe Cada and his recent accomplishment and the bad ruling at the one drop. But we're going to pause and we're going to jump to a topic not about the World Series, simply because someone I want to have on the call may go to sleep. So uh, we're going to call up Eric Benzimokin very shortly to talk about the situation with the MGM and their lawsuit. Because this this is a, a crazy story. When I first read the headline, I couldn't believe it. I think you guys probably couldn't believe it either if you've seen this headline. And the headline was that MGM has filed a lawsuit against the uh, against more than a thousand people who were victims in some way of the mass shooting perpetrated by Stephen Paddock from his Mandalay Bay hotel room on October 1st, 2017. MGM is now suing those people. And that probably doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface. Why are they suing the people? What did they do wrong? Why, why would MGM ever sue victims of a shooting? Because when you think of someone getting sued, first of all, you think that uh, they're on the hook for some money if they lose. And, and second, you think it's because there's wrongdoing alleged against them. And if you're at a concert and have done nothing wrong there and you're standing there enjoying the concert and then bullets start flying in the air and people are falling down all around you dead and you're trying to run away and maybe you get shot somewhere that doesn't kill you, maybe in your leg or you know, maybe somewhere else that uh, the bullet wound isn't fatal. Maybe you even get injured trying to flee, even if you don't get shot. But... You haven't done anything wrong. There's no wrongdoing on your part. You're trying to get away and not die because a madman is shooting at you from his hotel room. So how could you be sued at that point by the company that owns that hotel? But that has happened. But it's not quite what it appears to be. So MGM filed this lawsuit actually because of lawsuits that have been filed or threatened against them. More than 2,500 people have filed or threatened to file lawsuits against MGM, which owns the Mandalay Bay. And the victims are looking to hold them responsible for deaths, injuries, and emotional distress resulting from the attack. So there's even those who filed lawsuits because of uh, emotional distress, which is, you know, a lot of times emotional 
distress is BS, where people are are looking to get money or get increased money from a lawsuit when in reality they weren't really that distressed or distressed at all. However, here I, I have to say that that's reasonable. I'm not saying I'm not necessarily saying that I think MGM should be liable, but I mean that's a whole different discussion. But uh, I, I will say that those who were there were clearly emotionally distressed. I, I've pictured if I were there. In fact, I, I am a fan of country music. I've played country music before to open the show. I could have been there. People actually contacted me after the shooting to make sure I was not there because it was somewhere I could have gone. I wasn't in Vegas at the time, but I could have been. I could have been at that concert. If I was in Vegas then and someone invited me to go to the concert with them, I would have said yes. So uh, had I been there and this was happening, I, I'm sure I would have had emotional distress both at the time and uh, probably leading up to this day. So anyway, this lawsuit is actually being filed in order to get claims against them dismissed. It's kind of like a defensive lawsuit. And we're going to get Eric Benzimokin on the phone. He, he's an attorney. And uh, he will tell us more about this. He, he actually emailed me about this subject. And I thought to myself, you know what? Instead of just discussing this via email or over the phone or whatever. Why, why don't we just have him on the show? So, so instead of me acting like uh, a wannabe lawyer and, and trying to navigate uh, the, the legal standpoint here and, and what this lawsuit accomplishes and, and trying to read articles about that, and like we have an actual attorney who can give us these answers, who understands it much better than I ever will. So hopefully he can explain this and uh, we can understand this better. i got to be quick to hang up in case we get his voicemail. I don't want his number getting out to you degenerates. Skype, it's just sitting here. It's not ringing. Hello? Oh, there we go. We didn't hear a ring. It's so weird. Eric Benzamokin, hey, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm all right. Uh, did your phone, like, how many rings were there? We heard no ring. It buzzed like twice, and uh, okay. yeah, I just picked it up. Yeah. I was listening on my, over my uh, phone on the, on the iPhone. So yeah, I, I, hate Sk- I, I hate Skype. because It just sat there like it wasn't completing the call, and then I just hear your voice. So I, I was getting mad that like, Skype wasn't working, placing the call, and I just hear your voice. So, okay, it, it's through. We're, we got you on the phone, and that's good. So uh, what, what can you tell us here? What is this lawsuit they're filing, MGM, and and what are they trying to accomplish here? All right. So before I can even answer that, I have to give everybody a small law school legal lesson. And that's essentially the difference between federal court and state court. So federal court is reserved for generally for two types of actions. One is if there's what's called a federal question meaning some kind of federal law is in question or there's an issue of interstate commerce or something that, you know, falls into a federal statute or something called diversity of citizenship, which means uh, I sue a Delaware corporation who, is, you know, his employee acted poorly out of Tennessee and it involves a property in North Dakota. And because you've got all these different jurisdictions involved, nobody wants to have home court advantage. So you can go to a federal court. 
So what MGM essentially is doing is they're going to federal court. So they're filing lawsuits against the victims, the surviving victims, and they're doing it in federal court. And the reason they're doing it in federal court is because after September 11th, the United States government passed a law that essentially said if you as a company utilize anti-terrorism technology or, you know, or advanced anti-terrorism technology, that you would be shielded from liability for potential lawsuits similar to the one that we're dealing with now in the event of some kind of terrorist attack. So to make it easy to understand, if I'm in a shopping mall and I implore uh, advanced anti-terrorist technology and security within my shopping center, but then it's bombed by a terrorist, I'm immune from that liability because I took these steps. So what MGM is trying to do essentially is get a federal court to issue a written order or decree finding that MGM, because they used a security company that did employ this um, sort of accelerated uh, higher standard of anti-terrorism technology, that MGM should be shielded from liability because the company that they used to run security at that venue falls into this particular category. And only a federal court can actually answer that question or issue that order. Now, the so it looks terrible. So because essentially MGM has to file a federal lawsuit against a thousand plus surviving victims. So let me let me stop you there. Yeah, let, let, let me I'm sorry. Let me stop you there. I, and uh, everything you've said so far is very interesting. And I, I've already learned some things here from what you've been saying. Uh, but but here's the question. This was immediately on my mind when I read this story for the first time was. Why do they need to f- actually sue these victims? Why can't they just use this as a defense to any lawsuit that's already filed against them? Why do they have to actually sue the victims, which, of course, is what makes them look so bad? And let me add on okay. to that, Eric, because I think they that they did that because they wanted to get it in federal, right? But yeah. couldn't, they, couldn't they just do something against the events rather than suing the thousand individuals? No, you because know? the individuals are going to be the claimants. And oh, so okay. it, it, think of it in terms of this is like a preemptive strike. So the, the, so the MGM took the position of we had better take this and run into federal court. And I'll, I'll tell you why this is so critical, because all they need is one judge out of all the different federal courts that they've gone into in all these different districts. They just need one of those judges to decide that MGM is right, that MGM is shielded from liability by virtue of the fact that the security company they use falls into this category of companies that use the, you know, anti-terrorism measures or security measures. If they get that and they get this court order under the constitution, you have something called full faith and credit. So my judgment from federal court out of the central district of California can be applied and utilized if I ever have to bring it into a different district or different jurisdiction under the constitution. We have to give full faith and credit to our courts, you know, to, to judgments and sister states and so on. I see. So now here's another question, though. Since this has to do with an act of terrorism, how come they're doing this since the since law enforcement has not declared this as an act of terrorism? Because they never de- determined a clear motive for why Paddock did this. Usually they call something a terrorist attack if it's being done for some kind of ideological reason or if it's done to scare the population. If it's just a, guy, a whack job who decides to shoot people, uh, that's usually not considered terrorism, even if it results in a lot of deaths. So, so far they have not classified this as an act of terrorism. So since that hasn't happened, 
uh, is it likely this is going to fail? Well, it's it's another great question because the the first way to answer that question is to ask who would declare that an act of terrorism? Would it be Homeland Security? Um, Would it be the FBI? In other words, who makes that declaration? And then how binding is that declaration in our court system? And the the answer really is it's not binding. Now, it would be binding if a judge decides that this is an act of terrorism. And that's the other reason why they would go into federal court. So they would march in and say, Your Honor, this was an attempt to um, create mass casualties and inflict as much damage as possible. And what more do you want? How, you know, how, how many other ways can you call an act like that terrorism? You know, and if they get one judge to buy into that argument and say, yeah, you're right. This was an act of terrorism. And, uh, you employed a security company that is, uh, shielded from liability because they took advanced measures to prevent terrorist attacks. Um, but now, but remember, there's several leaps that have to be made. Because the MG, MGM and their corp, that parent corporation, they're not the ones that um, employ this type of technology. They're not the ones uh, that are taking these anti-terrorism measures and beefing, you know, doing all these different things to their security and their camera systems and they're not tapping rooms, you know, things like that. So the, the real difficulty in this, besides the fact that they're suing victims, is that they have to get a, a federal judge to essentially declare that they can utilize classification of their security company to for themselves to shield themselves from liability so to make it more easy to understand the security company they use 100 percent is shielded um the mgm no probably not so much and that's what they're trying to get determined by the court now another question related to that is that uh i, I was reading that even if uh this is declared an act of terrorism and the claims are heard in a federal court then uh, I, I, from what I've understood, that MGM can still face liability for any actions they took that didn't have to do with what that company, which is called Contemporary Services Corporation, that was the company they hired to uh, the experts in anti-terrorism, that if, if anything that they were liable for that was independent of what that company did, that they could still get, uh, uh, for example, I, I would think like that letting him use the, the service elevator what uh, wasn't really related to the, the anti-terrorism work there that was done on the property. So they could still be liable for things like that. Uh, so some have said that this is kind of a, a pointless thing that MGM is doing, and all they're doing is getting everyone angry. Uh, what's your feeling about that? So I, I would agree with that theory to the extent that uh, the security company that was used for the venue for the concert had nothing to do with Paddock going in and out several times, bringing multiple firearms and rounds of ammunition up and down the rooms, keeping a do not disturb sign up, you know, for however many days in a row. Um, you know, the security company for this concert had nothing to do with any of that. But the problem is that notwithstanding that, the, once you have a federal court order, if they, again, if they can buy in, if they can get a judge to buy into this idea that their liability is shielded because they hired the right kind of company that took those measures and, and falls under this classification, uh, they're going to wave that order around from this federal judge or federal court, and then they're going to apply it to every other lawsuit they have. So will some other judge in another court turn around and say, you know what, guys, that's a really nice try, but that's not going to fly here. That could happen too, but it's a much more uphill battle for, for the victims because now you've got this precedent that's sort of set. And, so, and I think that's also why so many people are reacting so negatively towards it. Because it's, it's, it's a very obvious strategic move. It's not really, uh, 
the type of lawsuit that you would necessarily have to bring in a federal court. Uh, so the fact that they're doing it and they're using this sort of anti-terrorism uh, security statute to try to uh, you know get their liability reduced or, or, or completely nullified, that's what I think everybody is uh, up in arms about. Do you, do you know who specifically who they're suing here? I, I read it was more than a thousand people. Was it was it everybody who filed a lawsuit and those who claim that they might? Is that who they chose to do it to? Um, yes, I'm not. There may be other criteria, but it, it's absolutely. So, and that's the other thing too. So, generally, a lot of the lawsuits probably initiated in the let's say the Clark County Superior Court, the Nevada you know state court. And so this is another means of dealing with those because now that they've filed these actions in federal court, they could also potentially try to remove the case to federal court because now they've entered this federal question, which is one of the grounds that you know that you can use to get into federal court to begin with. Um, so it's also another it's also another way of sort of venue shopping, uh, or, or what they call judge shopping. So if I know that I've got particular types of judges that tend to lean a certain way in the federal courts. Uh, I'm going to bring my lawsuits there and try to remove them out of the state court. So it's not, you're not really supposed to do that. It's a, it's a very unethical thing to do. Um, but people do it all the time. They, they forum shop. Um, a very simple example. You often hear, uh, companies and at the end they say, court, you know, comma, a Delaware corporation. So many corporations are formed in Delaware. And the reason is because Delaware's laws are very friendly towards businesses. So businesses shop around and utilize the Delaware courts, and that's how they form their corporations in Delaware. So they're they're pre you know they're they're, they're preemptively shopping the venue uh, in order to get more of the results that they want. I see, and that's what MGM is pretty much doing. And um, did each of these people have to be separately served with this lawsuit? Like, did they really serve over a thousand people with this lawsuit? Yeah, they would have to absolutely. Due process doesn't end. Um, regardless. So yeah, they would have to serve each and every one of them. And, you know, it's about 150 bucks to serve someone. So times a thousand, but for MGM, it's probably worth it considering if they get any one of these judges to buy into their argument, how much they were going to save as far as liability. It's another interesting idea too, that I, you know, as we're talking, I'm thinking about it. It, This also could have been a move because MGM's insurance denied coverage. Because if the, or, or their insurance company forced them to take this route because they're covering. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's, if, this, if the insurance company at some point is, uh, for MGM is involved in this decision or, or has some yeah. role to play in. That makes sense for sure. Because I was just thinking, like, if you think about what their potential liability is, I mean, it could have just been through the roof, right? Or is there a cap on any of these things? I don't think there's a cap. Like, medical malpractice has certain caps, you know, depending on the state you're in, but I don't think something like this would have a cap. And even if they did, I think you can't really apply a cap to something like you know, like this, because how do you value the cost of a human life and, and for each individual that was killed? And you have to take into account their individual earning capacity, and what income they've lost, and, you know, things like that. So there, there's a lot involved in wrongful death and negligence lawsuits. Yeah, and as far as this, uh, these lawsuits that were filed, if you were, you know, if one of these people receiving this, uh, this summons, what would it look like? It, obviously, it wouldn't be asking for money there. It's not suing for money, but what would it look like? Would it be telling you you have to be in court on a certain day? Uh, would, would it? What would? What would the actual summons kind of look like? What would, in general, what what would one of these look like if you received one? Generally, you're served with a copy of the lawsuit, um, and once you're served, then 
the plaintiff, in this case MGM, would file what's called a proof of service with the court. And then once a proof of service is on file, at that point you've got 30 days from the day you were served to file some kind of answer or what's called a first responsive pleading. Maybe you file a motion to strike or a motion to dismiss, which is probably what's going to happen. They're going to try to dismiss these claims or these lawsuits by saying that the federal court's not the right jurisdiction uh, for this and there's really no federal question because MGM is not one of the you know security companies that is involved in these um, you know uh, anti-terrorism measures and so on. Uh, so that'll be the first wave. But essentially, you're, ca- you're, you're going to cause all these victims to spend an awful lot of money to, to get to that point. Uh, also, and so that, you know, that, there's a strategy to that too. You know, companies or plaintiffs like MGM can very much outspend uh, most of these victims, and to the point where maybe they won't it won't be worth it, or they'll settle quickly and for a lot less money because they can't, you know, you know, um, they don't have the wherewithal to go through a lengthy, you know, trial um, if the if the case remains in federal court. If you were the federal judge here hearing this, and, and they're, you know, from what you know of the entire situation, and, and MGM is asking to, uh, to have this uh, liability removed because of this protection due to that uh, act called the Safety Act that you referred to, uh, would you grant it or would you say this is BS and, uh, and refuse? No, I refuse. I, I wouldn't grant it at all simply because I know that the MGM Corporation is not in the business of. Uh, providing security and not in the business of um, developing anti-terrorist measures. And I think if I was if I were a sitting judge and I were listening to this case, to me that would look an awful lot again like they're just judge shopping or venue shopping, um, and they're really trying to. It's like a hail mary, you know. Because if again, but if one judge buys into it, you know, this could save tens of millions of dollars uh, in in settlement proceeds. And um, it, what, what I've wondered, this one is not so much a legal question, but I've just kind of wondered, there's been such a negative response from the public here, and predictably, I'm sure they knew that when they did this, that there was going to be a lot of backlash about this. And MGM, it's a, a large corporation with a lot of hotels around the United States. So um, I, I'm wondering if, if this move could possibly, in, in reputation, cost them more money than, than they would be saving, especially like if you look at EV-wise, because if they were sure to win this, then that'd be a different story, because then, as you said, it could be used uh, all throughout the process in any of these lawsuits against them, and they, it could really reduce what people can either uh, win or expect to win and, and change what they'd settle for, et cetera, et cetera. But, but since it, you called it a Hail Mary, since this is not anywhere near guaranteed to succeed, uh, they could end up having the, the one-two punch of failure of where they piss off the public and this legal maneuver fails, in which they've accomplished nothing and everyone's just mad. So um, it, it, I know you know what you said they're trying to accomplish, and it makes sense, but uh, was this even strategically a wise move, or, or are they trying for something too unlikely to succeed compared to the public relations hit they're already taking from it? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, they're already suffering uh, as far as the the press that they're getting with this. Um, I'm sure reservations are being canceled at at some of their properties or a lot of their properties. Um, You know, it probably will blow over at some point unless, you know, the media keeps us alive and, and, you know, or some federal judge actually grants it to them, you know, gives them what they're asking for and then 
you're going to see a lot of the victim advocates uh, start to come out and make a, you know, a, a real ruckus about it. And that kind of judgment will also get appealed um, once it's issued. So this could be tied up for a long time. That might also be part of the strategy. If they intend to appeal it, maybe try to take it all the way to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Um, is this, uh, is this the MGM marketing department? Yes, yes. Uh, hello. Uh, is, this, is, this is, is, this, is this the MGM legal department? I'm sorry. This is Josh from marketing. <laughs> I heard something about a lawsuit. What What is going on? So Mr. We, Attorney, can you explain to me? Uh, I heard something coming out of legal. Something about a lawsuit. Can you tell me what what is going on? Is this rumor true? Well, I, let me tell you. I, I don't know a whole lot about the lawsuit, but I can tell you the real act of terrorism was that John Sims Laurel. <laughs> was this your idea, sir? Was this your idea to to do this? Is this really true? Is what that really you are tr- going to be suing uh, people that were shot at at our hotel? <laughs> I'm in marketing. What yeah, the I'm, fuck I, am I supposed to do? How the fuck am I supposed to spin this? <sighs> So we, what we, the fuck? I, I think I might recognize that voice a little bit, though. I, I might, I might have heard this person before. Have any of you heard this person this before? Doesn't make any sense. What kind of promotion can I do to get people back in my hotel if they're going to get shot at, and then I'm going to sue them? <laughs> I don't understand. What kind of promotion can I run, uh, guys? In legal, you got to, you got to lay off. This is ridiculous. We can lose this stupid gambit, and then all we've got is a terrible reputation, and we're going to get sued. What the fuck? You offer them, you offer them a, a meal comp equal to the first hour of legal fee they had to pay their attorney to defend. Ah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. You can any, any, a meal comp. That's like putting a salt lick out for deer, and people will come shoot at them. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Maybe you can make it double I mean, the amount of all the crazy shit that I've heard coming out of legal. I don't know how I'm going to spin this. I'm going to have to do a dozen lines of coke and come up with some marketing fucking genius, figure out how I can spin this shit. Maybe what you can you do is... You guys are making my day. You're ma- you legal guys are making my job really fucking hard. L- listen, listen. I'm uh, going to try and uh, put some some pearls on this pig. Hey, a marketing guy here, uh, you, what you may be able to do is to, to bring back uh, some of the lost business that you're going to get from this whole thing, maybe what you can do is, is start selling tours of, of the room where all the shooting came from. Maybe that's uh, that's an idea. Maybe you can make a little extra money there. I think we I, th- I think we lost the marketing. I think he hung up. Is he still here? <laughs> no, I think we lost him. Well, let's do. I wanted to hear an answer to that one. Yeah, he hung up. Hmm. I know, he sounds a little familiar, but uh, I don't know. He says he's the marketing guy of uh, MGM. Yeah, I guess he's going to work on the problem. So anyway. Well, and the fact that Druff could have had his second 60 Minutes appearance talking about how security didn't come search his room <laughs> every 24 hours. Uh, well, you know what's sad, though? I, I hate to admit this. I, I don't think I've ever admitted this before, but I, I guess I will now. I mean, it sounds very callous, but I'll, I'll admit this. When this happened, I I really had two things I was thinking. One is like, wow, this is really tragic and this is terrible and I feel so bad for the people out there. And I, I really thought that. But but two, I thought, oh, crap, they're never going to honor my Do Not Disturb for multiple days anymore. Like, I, I knew that the second this happened, that was never going to occur again. I have to admit that came to mind. I have to admit that, like, th- there was two separate things going on in my head. One was sympathy for the victims and the relatives of the victims and friends of the victims and f- family of the victims. But then... 
the the other really was a, a bit of a, a selfish thought that my days of do not disturbing my room were, were over, and I was right. And I, I know I probably shouldn't have thought that, but I really did. Not not to say I've suffered like the people who were at that concert. I'm not I'm not trying to equate the two. I'm just saying that I, I really did have that thought that uh, that this is going to be a change that's coming soon. But uh, I, I'm going to give my opinion just just from a moral standpoint, not from legalities, and then you guys can comment as well. I don't feel MGM uh, should be liable for this. At least for if I don't know if they're for the venue, the, the, Eric. Do you know? Do they own the venue too, or just, is this lawsuit just about? Yeah. The, they do. They do own the venue. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, the venue a bit of a different story. That one I could see some legitimate lawsuits uh, regarding a, a few different elements of, uh, you know, how protected it could have been from this, uh, the escape routes, things like that. That uh, I, I could see legitimate lawsuits that you know morally I, I think. I, I could believe would be legitimate wins, but as far as the anything related to the actions of Stephen Paddock, such as uh, getting the guns up there, uh, hanging the "Do Not Disturb" without uh, anyone coming in and noticing, uh, the, the fact that he broke the window and did it from that hotel, I, I, I think these are not areas where MGM did anything wrong. I think this is the type of thing that just is is a risk where you have tall buildings which are used as hotels, which happen to overlook other things on the ground, where uh, Sicko, who decides to do something like this, uh, can take a lot of lives. And and now they're doing these silly room inspections every day, but I think that's that's more just for appearances and maybe liability protection. But I I don't think as far as that was concerned, as far as Stephen Paddock getting into that room with the guns and having them there for a few days... And, and and then breaking the window and shooting people on the ground, I, I don't think that part of it, I don't think the hotel did anything wrong. It's very unfortunate it happened. And and may, maybe the responses to, to what happened, I still don't have a clear picture of, of what exactly occurred and you know why security was up there. I've heard so many different stories. and So, so maybe the, the length of time that it took for them to respond to it and all that, there could be a lawsuit there that I would support as well. But as far as anything is... With him getting the guns up there and not being detected, I, I have to say I don't really believe they should be liable, except perhaps letting him use the service elevator. That that might be the one exception here, because that was them letting him do something that is not common. But at a very large hotel, it, it's easy to sneak things up to your room, over, especially over a period of days. But even, even in just one day, you can sneak things up to your room, and it's pretty much impossible to monitor unless, as I said on the last show, they put up some sort of metal detector on the way up to the hotel, and if you're carrying any kind of luggage, you got to go through it, or not a metal detector, a, uh, an x-ray machine. And, and on the way up, you have to put any luggage through it. But but no hotels have that right now. That might be the future, but but none, none have that right now. So I, I don't believe personally that as far as the hotel was concerned, except maybe the service elevator, that they did anything wrong. And it's natural to want to sue someone when something terrible like this happens. And, and I think there might be some validity, like in, if, to the venue itself, which they happen to own it, and then that's a different story. But um, wh- what is your opinion, uh, Eric, on that? Well, I think you have to start with a with a different perspective. In that, if because they own the venue, and if they're going to receive the benefits of that venue and the revenue that that venue generates for them, 
then they have to be prepared to deal with whatever potential consequences come from running an event at that venue and then some kind of catastrophe happening. And so I think that's a bigger part of the issue. I agree that the hotel itself and the hotel property, even the service elevator, because they have sufficient cameras, they have staff. You know, if he asked a staff member, hey, do you mind if I use these, and they let him, that's different. If he just snuck onto one and went kind of unseen, okay, that, you know, those, that kind of stuff happens. Um, but when you put on a concert in a venue that you own, and you know or can reasonably anticipate the number of people that are going to be there, uh, I think the NGM has a duty to ensure the safety of those patrons, especially if they're paying money to go in, or even if it's a free concert, but there's ancillary income that's generated because of it, or people are being shuffled into the casino after the concert to gamble or whatever it is. Uh, so, so I think a little differently. I think that the NGM may have some liability um, because they're the owner of the venue, and because the venue, in the end of the day, was unsafe, in that, it was in the direct line of fire from one of the windows, and all he had to do was break the window and, uh, and have at it. So I think from that perspective, there, there, there is going to be some liability. Um, and again, and I don't think they're going to succeed in these federal lawsuits. I think, I think even if one judge goes on to it, it'll get appealed and eventually get tossed. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I can understand what you're saying there, that as, you know, since they do own the venue, I can understand that it, it probably is not that far-fetched that they should have foreseen that such a thing could happen. Even if they didn't think about it too much or something that hasn't really happened uh, uh, before, that still you have a tall building that's right above this, this venue of a lot of people down there that it's it's not like it's impossible to think of, oh, someone could break the window and, and shoot down at them. So um, like uh, th- there could be steps they could have taken to prevent that such as uh, some kind of covering over the venue or whatever, whatever that, that they didn't do. So I, I, I can understand that. Yeah, but, and the counter-argument that they would make is, well, we did take steps to prevent it. We hired this company, you know, the security company. And they should have examined all of the potential you know, problems and the, you know, the, the direction of the windows relative to the stage and you know, those kinds of things. And so if they gave us a... Uh, uh, a clean bill of health, so to speak, and, and they gave us the, uh, you know, the okay to go forward and put on the event, uh, then we can't be held liable either. That's going to be, I think, the counter-argument when it comes to the venue, li- you know, liability based on the venue. So we hired a company to secure everything and to uh, provide security and to look out for these kinds of problems, uh, and you know, they failed at what they did. No, I would be surprised if there's a counter-suit against the security company as well. And the security company, what, what liability can they possibly be facing? Like, can they, can they be sued for this, or, or are they protected? Well, I think what happens is in these types of lawsuits, uh, MGM, okay, so when the victims sue MGM, MGM automatically has to countersue the security company for failure to perform uh, their duties correctly. Uh, and then there's different, you know, and it really comes down to the insurance carriers, so they kind of go back and forth with each other. Um, so it kind of starts like that. So I think there probably is going to be some countersuits um, because they're, they're what we would call an indispensable party. Uh, as far as it goes. I see. Eric, uh, this is Calwatt. How you doing, man? Yeah, we have Calwatt here. Calwatt, how, how did you show up here now? Did you uh, did you wake up uh, to go to the bathroom and we were on? Is that what happened? Yeah, it's a long story, but something like that happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, Eric, i got a question for you. So I've got a, a buddy of mine who's uh, Muslim, right? And any time that there's any kind of, uh, you know, something in the news about a mass shooting and it ends up being... Uh, 
you know, a Muslim guy or whatever, he just kind of holds his head low and he puts his head in his hands. He's like, oh, Jesus Christ, not this shit again. So when you see something like this, and forget about the actual legal implications of this or the legal wrangling, but when you think about this just from the point of view of being a lawyer, do you ever just kind of go, ah, Christ, you know, this is not helping our standing in the world? Do you have any thoughts like that? (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, in a sense, it makes a lot of, you know, it makes lawyers look bad. Right. Um, Because, you know, the average person... The average person is not going to, even if they do hear it, um, they may not really fully accept or understand kind of the legal wrangling that you're talking about. And all they're going to see is, you know, those fucking lawyers are suing the victims. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, hopefully they they look at it as MGM is the one hiring the lawyers to do this. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, lawyers get a bad rap all the time, too. And let me tell you, there are some pretty, you know, dickhead lawyers out there that deserve the rap they get. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm not saying. And again, I understand. I understand from your explanation, like the, the the real reason for doing it, and it makes sense to me. But still, just from a, a a public relations point of view, I mean, it looks fucking terrible. You know what I mean? It just looks really bad. And I think people know, like it's it, it's certainly possible that MGN has gone out and hired lawyers, but it's probably more likely they have their own lawyers on staff, right? Uh, no, I, this is probably not in-house counsel. I, what I think is I think MGM's insurance carrier mm. uh, kicked in coverage. Right. And they, and they provide that counsel. And I think this is probably, and, and this happened uh, far too often, because you always, got, you always have to ask yourself, well, who's the real client here? Is it the insurance company or is it MGM? Right. Because this seems like the kind of move that the insurance company is, is giving to its own attorneys or the attorneys that it hires on behalf of their insured. Yeah, but they're not going to take the really, heat for it. That, that, that's what I was going to ask. If, even if the insurance company is demanding it, uh, couldn't the MGM just refuse and think this is going to harm their reputation so much they don't want to do it? Yeah, but then what happens is there's usually these clauses in the insurance policy that say, um, if we advise you a certain way and you decide not to, and then you lose, then we're not covering you. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, and and it's MGM's <laughs> reputation, and then also, you know, kind of lawyers in general that suffer in the insurance company. Probably no one, no one ever knows, but, right? You know what? Yeah, you know. But sorry, go ahead. I was going to say what I remember. Twenty five years ago, I know Eric was not a lawyer at this point, but twenty five years ago in Jurassic Park, when that when that lawyer gets eaten by the dinosaur everyone cheered in the in the theater i couldn't believe it Just, everyone loved seeing the lawyer get eaten and look i got i have some good friends of mine that are lawyers so i'm not you know disparaging the business but just from a i hate the term but optics you know i mean it just looks terrible you know what i mean for mgm for lawyers and for it just it looks terrible because you've got these thousands of people that went through an absolutely horrible experience and a bunch of people died and now they're being sued you know, and that's really the soundbite that people are going to remember. So, if, so here's the question to, uh, to go along with that, and it's kind of similar to what I asked before, but maybe framed a bit differently. Did they really have any other option with, with this going on? Forgetting of who was directing it, whether it was the insurance or it was MGM itself, uh, did they really have any kind of, if they wanted to protect themselves from these lawsuits that are coming, uh, did they have... Any kind of better option to do this than uh, than what they did here? 
that that would be effective, or, or they just didn't have many options, and they, they elected to kind of take this uh, hail mary attempt, which would also hurt their reputation. Like, was was there a better way to go about this? So this is this is the this is the part of the conversation where you can really you can blame the lawyers now. So <laughs> yeah, they, they, they could have. The MGM could have gathered its attorneys and said, look, we need to put some kind of package together and we can make a sort of a preemptive offer and try to make things better for all of these victims. And they could have done it in a variety of different ways that didn't necessarily have to be these large cash, you know, sorts of payouts. Um, but the attorneys for all the victims, and you think, and again, I'm not, I don't want to disparage the victims, of course, but you think that the attorney for the victims is would be these compassionate attorneys that want to do right by the, the victims of this crime or, or this tragedy and so on. But no, the, the attorney for the victims or the attorneys rather for the victims realize that this, this is a huge score. Um, these types of wrongful death, personal injury uh, cases are worth, you know, a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so they're the ones that wouldn't let that happen. Because MGM could turn around and say, look, this is a terrible, terrible tragedy. It happened in our venue. We're disgusted by it. Um, let us figure out a way to make this right. Come, you know, fill out these forms, sign up with this package, let us assess what's going on, and we'll make you guys offers right out of the gate. You know, save your time and energy. You know, move on with, you know, get healed, let your family heal, move on in life, and, you know, so on. And that might, you know, that might have been looked at also very negatively if they tried to do that. Like, oh, they're trying to get out as cheap as possible, right? They're going, uh, they're going drug style. You know, <laughs> yeah. to do the minimum here, but uh, you know, but but really, that that could have been done, uh, and that that might have gone a long way. Um, well, but, do we know that it wasn't done? I mean, those overtures could have been made, right? I don't think so. I don't think. I don't think. Well, first, the victims that we're talking about, the surviving thousand plus victims, mm-hmm. uh, they there's you know, hundreds and hundreds of attorneys representing all of them differently. So gotcha. I don't think that they could have really done that. There's just too many other lawyers involved on the victim side. So, what, you know, what are they going to really be able to do? Right. Yeah. Well, well, and Eric, and they could come back in a couple months and then just offer the settlements to everybody. Right, the people that died so, get a million. The people that had stress got a hundred thousand or something, and so they're kind of controlling their liability. Right? Could that be possible? Yeah, they could try. Except uh, by that point, I think it's going to be you know a little too late. And once they're so invested um, in the in this case and in this lawsuit, uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Well, they what's. The problem, I think, especially with doing that later, is that they've already started off on such a bad foot with uh, with these lawsuits that that make them look so terrible that even if they come back later and say, "Okay, here's a settlement we're offering," then people are people aren't going to remember. Oh, look, MGM uh, they tried to make make it right for the victims here and and settle with them and, and give them something. Instead of that, it'll look like, oh, MGM sued them first, and then, and then yeah, later on came to this. So people are always going to remember, when they think about this whole thing, that, that MGM sued the victims first. In litigation, timing is everything. And so if I take an aggressive move and I file some kind of aggressive motion or 
try to get try to dispose of a case really early on, but then I fail. Uh, my ability to settle for cheap is almost non-existent at that point. So if MGM, I mean, clearly they're moving forward with this with the strategy, and they're going to these federal courts trying to get these orders and declaratory judgments. But if they fail, if then now they want to turn around and say, okay, look, let us do it the nice guy. Forget it. None of the victims' attorneys are going to settle for anywhere near what MGM would want to. Yeah, that's true. So it's it's really hard to go back in. You know, it's like bluffing on every street and then trying to do it again on the very next hand. <laughs> you just lose your steam. You get called down once and, you know, you just lose the heart to do it. Yeah, it's not just lose the heart, but people start to lose the fear of you if you uh, if you you know they've already tried something uh, maneuver and failed, then uh, the, the the victims now with lawsuits or potential lawsuits against MGM will say, okay, well, I think we're going to win this. They they already tried tried something and failed. Uh, it it kind of it does give the appearance that they're going to continue failing and that they they can beat them. I think it's a lot more intimidating when uh, the other side is uh, scoring victories in court against you throughout the process. So uh, I, I agree with you that if this does exactly fail. Right. That's exactly right. You know, if the other side is constantly um, victorious in the legal strategies by filing various motions and getting them granted or excluding your evidence or, you know, impeaching your witnesses or whatever it is they do, at some point... You can't come back later and say, "Okay, guys, you you know you got me. Uh, I'll take this much now and I'll, to go away." Then it's like, well, "Fuck you!" Which, you know, you put us through all this bullshit, and now we have you on the ropes. So forget it. Yeah. So so the reverse is true too. If they keep lo- keep losing uh, in these attempts, then uh, the the other the plaintiffs will say, "All right, well, we we think we're going to win the whole way now because everything you guys are doing is losing." And and, and you've been yeah, there's a general. Yeah, there's a general rule in litigation, and that is the longer it goes, the higher the price becomes. Yeah. So yeah, it's that factor, too. Two yeah. reasonably-minded attorneys, and they can settle early on, usually to a reasonable amount, and it becomes a good deal for everybody involved. The longer a case goes, the higher the, higher the price. Yeah, and, and what I've seen, it, um, it's funny, there, there is a comparison to poker. Much like when you're, you're at the table and, and winning every hand, and then you have a good table image, and everybody's afraid of you every time you're, you're up against them, and you can push everybody around... Um, and the reverse, if if you're losing every hand, uh, then it can be very hard to play, and everybody takes shots at you, and then no one gives you credit for anything. So unless you're you know, flopping huge hands, you're you're gonna you're gonna keep having trouble. Uh, it's it I've seen it similar with lawsuits where I watch where one side is having the legal victories along the way, and um, it, it then it becomes very tough for the other side if if they want to settle in any way. And and same with vice versa. If someone is, if one side is losing the whole way, then they then they start to have less and less power to settle. It, it kind of is like a table image. It kind of is like uh, you know the the other side keeps beating us. They're managing to do everything right. Everything's falling their way. I, I think we're going to lose this if we don't try to bail out. Um, and then the other side just kind of feels like so emboldened that everything they're doing is winning that they feel like they don't want to settle at that point. They feel like, okay, we're, we've won, we're winning the whole way. We think we're going to keep winning. So, well, yeah, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very simple way to look at it. If you are constantly going up against the Justin Bonomo of lawyers, you just don't want to mix it up with the guy anymore because <laughs> you know you're going to lose. 
Uh, I, I just keep thinking about. I, I'm sorry, Eric. I, I just keep thinking about um, the court of public opinion, and it already looked bad enough that the fact that this horrible tragedy happened at the MGM, and I'm sure that um, they suffered somewhat from that, uh, at least in Las Vegas, maybe elsewhere. I don't know. But then this just hitting the news, I mean, it's like Druff was saying earlier, this has got to be terrible for them, you know, from a PR point of view. I mean, I guess someone did the numbers and said, well, look, you know, we may lose X amount in just the horrible PR that comes out of this. But look at how much, uh, you know, more it would be from a liability point of view. Or like you said, the insurance company strong armed them into it. But I, I don't think any of those justifications for the average person are going to resonate, you know? I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, poor MGM, you know, they had to do this. <laughs> you know? Even if they really did. Yeah, that, that's what I feel. I, I think I, It's hard for me to picture that anything short of this being something that's uh, got a high probability to succeed and really save them a lot of money, which I don't, it doesn't appear this is, uh, I, I think this is a mistake just, just because of, of the optics of the situation and, and the way the public is going to perceive this, I just don't think it's worth it. I, th- I think it's just uh, really, really well, rubbing salt in the water. What world. Eric said makes sense, though. Like, if if the insurance company is basically saying you're going to do this or we're not covering you, you know, I mean, I get that, and I could see that as a reason they would be forced into it, and logically, I can understand that. But I think. You know, emotionally and realistically, I think people are not going to give them a pass on this at all. You know? uh, why? Why not put it out there then? Why not? Why not say the insurance company is putting massive pressure on this to do this, and then have the people uh, angry at the insurance company somewhat? Like it seems like. I don't know if they can do that. But I mean, if it's the truth, it's, 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 I don't. Think, I think it's going to come across very disingenuous at this point. At right. least to the average public, they're going. You know, it's going to look like an absolute cop out. Right. Yeah, it will, but I'm just, I still think just the average person watching this, yes, there's no way to do this and look good. There's no way to do this and uh, not get people angry. But if they put out there that the insurance company, that the insurance company has threatened that uh, they're not going to be covered for any liability if, if they don't go forward with this, uh, I think people will still be mad, but there may be a little more understanding than right now where it just looks like MGM just decided to sue people who were victims of this, which you, you couldn't get worse than that as far as how it looks. So Now, is, is yeah. uh, Eric, is there something that the insurance company might also have in their contract that they are not allowed to dis- discuss the specific terms of it with MGM? Or well, is that... Yeah, there's... Conf- well, there may be confidentiality clauses in the policy itself and in the binders. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's not common, though. Um, right. You know, most insurance policies are not, you know, don't have specific non-disclosures, but right. it is, it, it would be covered under a litigation strategy. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, nobody could really talk about it. So if the insurance, if the coverage counsel for the insurance company tells me, okay, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and, you know, this is how we're going to do it. I can't come out and say, look, the insurance company made us do it because that's a litigation, you know, that's a litigation strategy and that's covered by privilege. Right. By the way, I, I'm looking in the chat room. Someone just wrote, Caesars is actually looking pretty good again. <laughs> yeah, Caesars is like, you know, we, we do so much wrong. We screw up so many times. There's so much fail. But at least we don't have this. And at least there's not a, a mass shooting on our property, and we're not suing the people who got shot. At least we're not doing point. that. At least we're not doing that. We, we, we may screw up all the small things, 
and all the medium things, but at least at least nobody's getting shot. At least we're not suing the ones who were shot at. So come yeah, to Caesars. Again, and maybe they can no say, maybe they can say at the end. Sorry, Kawa. Maybe they can say at the end. <clears throat> once it's all over, the insurance company made us do it, and they made us charge for parking. <laughs> maybe they can get some some customers back that way. They they can try to combine the two. They could say we're we're charging for parking because uh, we we have advanced uh, gun detection pr- d- technology at the at those uh, payment kiosks, and if someone's bringing a gun into the property, that uh, we uh, we will now know you'll be safer now that you're paying for parking. I'll, I'll be yeah. honest with you. Like if I was looking to stay somewhere in Vegas and I had a choice between the MGM and somewhere else, and they were pretty much the same price, I'd be like, fuck those guys. I'm not going to stay with MGM. You know? Yeah, there's a ton of people thinking like you are for sure, Kyle. Yep. Yeah. The question is, how how long will this stay in people's minds? Right now, everyone's angry. But uh, in six months, if if the media doesn't just stick on this one, will people mostly forget? And, and even the ones that said, screw MGM, might, might they go back and kind of forgive them, especially if it doesn't directly affect them, as it doesn't for most people? If so, they offer 100 bucks off the room, then yes. But even without well, that, you, if the victims' attorneys, if the victims' attorneys are any good and worth their weight, then they will not let anyone forget. Right. They will raise this issue again and again throughout the course of all of this litigation until their clients are settled. Right. Until it's settled, and maybe part of that settlement will be okay. You know, a non-disparagement clause or something like that uh, in exchange for the money, and then then it's over. Right. Well, well, unless, unless Caesar over. starts putting it in all their ads. <laughs> <laughs> Stay at our hotel. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> at Caesar's Palace, we've had zero people shot on the ground during our venues. That's probably not true, though. Well, for, at least from the hotel rooms. Maybe, <laughs> you know, we've maybe. never had more than 50 people killed. <laughs> we don't sue our victims. How about that? Yeah, we don't sue. If, we get, if you get shot at Caesar's, we won't sue you. <laughs> it's a guarantee from Caesar's. <laughs> Oh man! I wouldn't I don't be. Know. I mean, it's, 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 it was a it was a very aggressive legal tactic, mm-hmm. and the media caught wind of it. And the reason the media caught wind of it is because the minute some of those victims were served, they went to their attorneys and they said, "What the hell is this?" And that's what started the wave. Well, yeah, there's there's no way to keep this under wraps. Like you're suing no. over a thousand people, of course. It's the like, right. and and it's such a way that nobody would ever expect that uh, the the victims of the shooting are getting sued that uh, of course you know with so many different people involved there's no way to keep this out of the public eye and of course the media is going to want to cover it because it's so weird and unusual and, and outrageous that, i mean the way i think it probably in a couple of different groups so the legal department was just like someone came up with like james in legal came up with the idea you know we could do this and then they were like oh. Should we really do that? And then they're like, well, yeah, you know, I, we really probably need to do this, right? And well, then, the mar- do it then the marketing department, then the marketing yeah, exactly. department, at, then the marketing department at Caesars, I, I hope to God, like the windows were fucking don't open and weren't high up because I'm sure once people in the marketing department at, uh, not, sorry, not at Caesars, at MGM got a hold of this, they're like, what the fuck? Like, how are we ever going to spin this, right? And then the third group are the the journalists that heard about. They caught wind of this, and they're just like, "What? 
oh my god, this is fantastic. We got some headlines here, you know? Yeah, and then the marketing department at Caesars is like, yeah, they're throwing a party. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, no matter what we do to screw up now for the next year, we're, we're, we're good. Let me know if one of you guys want to do an over-under with me. I'm saying six months is going to be a sacrificial lamb from MGM's uh, business and legal affairs department that is going to resign or be terminated because of this move. And uh, wouldn't be the guy that made the decision anyway. That, that, well, they might, they that, might be terminated by one of the uh, people or their families. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point, though. I do wonder if there will be a scapegoat at some point, that, uh, especially if there's enough backlash to this. To, to, oh, yeah, it was his fault. He's gone. He doesn't work for MGM anymore. Sure, and they gave him a little money on the side to take the fall. That's right. I wouldn't be surprised if they already picked somebody out. Yeah. Some some old dude is like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't mind. I'm just going to go live in the Caribbean. Go ahead. Give me a little extra money. I'll take the flag. See you later. Yeah, yeah it'll probably be like some 70-year-old janitor that they're going to promote to like an executive and then can him the next day. <laughs> like in Breaking Bad where they had like the fake Walt. There you go. <laughs> Hey, and Eric, one last question. Could So if the insurance company did strong-arm them to, to do this, to use this strategy, and then over the next two years their business tanked, you know, a huge amount, is that, could that, I mean, could they have any recourse? I mean, I guess it would be hard to prove that that was the reason, but... Well, there's a possible malpractice claim, So, but the way it works is like this. So the minute the first lawsuit came in, MGM notifies its insurance carrier. The insurance carrier provides them with a law firm. They pay for their, they're called coverage counsel. So insurance coverage provides them with the attorney or the law firm that's going to handle these lawsuits. That attorney is supposed to represent MGM and MGM's interest. But the way these policies work is they devise a strategy and they run it by the guys at MGM. And they say, okay, look, this is what we want to do. Now, if MGM completely disagrees and says, no, no, that's a terrible idea, then the, the, there's sort of a risk. So the risk is, okay, well, if you don't do the way we want it and you guys lose, then we're not paying, we're not going to cover those losses because we told you to do something and you didn't want to do it. Now, if you do what we say and then you lose, okay, we're going to cover it because you followed our advice. So MGM is sort of in a position where they have to kind of follow the advice of their coverage council because that's how they ensure that they're not going to actually be out of pocket that the insurance company will cover some of those damages later because MGM went along with the advice of their counsel. And do you think they're insured enough where it would cover all of it? Yeah, probably. I mean, MGM, because we're not talking... Now, actually, it's a good question in a sense, like, does each property have certain limits, and then is there prob- there's probably something like an umbrella that covers all of the MGM properties additionally, you know, over a certain amount. So there's, there's probably enough. Right, so there's probably billions with all the companies, with all the properties, I mean. Yeah, and if there's not, then Mandalay Bay will have to cover the difference. Yeah. Well, okay, well, uh, I, I think uh, a lot of interesting information came out from this segment here, and uh, I, I bet everybody listening understands it a lot better. So uh, thank you, Eric, for coming on and uh, giving us uh, a lot clearer view of what's going on here, and uh, I, I, I honestly, coming into this segment, I, I had a lot of questions that uh, things I didn't completely understand about this whole thing. I, I understood in general what was going on, but uh, a lot of the specifics I was kind of fuzzy on. So thank you for coming on here. Anybody wants to uh, contact Eric? That's uh, 
Eric at eblawfirm.us. That's Eric at eb, like boy, eblawfirm.us. And uh, you, you can hear. Listen to how, how much this guy knows here. Listen, listen to uh, he had all the answers to everything we asked. So uh, I was really, really happy to come on. I got it just before, before I hang up, though. Uh, there's one thing uh, that I got to say. And because I don't want you to get a hard time from the whole community. So while I was on the phone uh, giving you the superb legal analysis, I also happened to take down the free roll this week. Oh, my goodness. So I don't want anybody to say there's collusion anything. So while I'm on the air and while it's being recorded, just roll it into next week and oh, thank no you. problem. Oh, thank you. You know, your fortunate Cal Watch was, was sleeping. He, he, he runs so well. He's like the Justin Bonomo of, of the Poker Fraud Alert free roll. So because he was missing. Especially against me. That's right. I, I always say the absence of good That's players is more important. Right than, more important than the presence of bad players, and also the absence of lucky players is important too. So, so boy, are you fortunate that uh, I, guess, I guess everybody's fortunate because you're giving the money back. But uh, but thank you. So I, I just don't. You know, I remember the last time you got such a rash of shit from everybody. I don't want to see you have to go through that. So. No, you. I mean, you're, of course, you're eligible to win the money. I mean, you, you put up most of the money yourself, so of course you're eligible to win it. No, you know what you should do. Eric, what you should do is you should take the money and you should sue everyone who entered the free roll. <laughs> That's exactly the move. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Eric. That thank was you, great, Eric. Thank, thank, thank you. you for the, uh, the the all the donations. Thank you, thank you for the redonating the money you won. He's, look, he's 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 giving legal advice, and, and somehow he's still able to beat everybody in the free roll who's not giving legal that's advice. Awesome. That's, that's so awesome. That's 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 great. That's uh, that's almost Joe Cata territory. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm a huge fan, as you know, so anytime I can help, I'm happy to. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Eric. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Okay. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. So, uh, I still think it would be funny if you sued everyone who entered the free roll. <laughs> like, I just sent him a summons. <laughs> oh, man. So, so Cal, what, so what did happen? What what brought you here uh, at this time of night? It's, it's now 2.18 a.m. where you are. So what... What brought you here at one something when you yes. called in? So I was I was asleep and I had to take a piss and I put on PFA radio and I was just like, oh, God damn it, the marketing department has to call up, you know. So I called you up from my phone and it, part of the problem is like when I wake up in the middle of the night. Previously, I had my office kind of in uh, the basement in my house um, and I moved it to my barn. Right? You have a barn? So I, didn't, I didn't know you have a barn. Oh yeah, man! I got a really nice uh, finished barn. It's beautiful. But what's in the barn? Just the office? Um, Are there animals well, there? <laughs> no, there's no, there's no animals in here. I mean, it's finished, man. It's nice. It's got a kitchenette. It's got a fireplace. It's got two flat screen TVs. It's a, it's really nice. But anyway, I moved my office down here so I could get a little bit more privacy when I'm working. You know, from the kids and the dogs and everything. So it's a little bit extra effort to get down here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those times when I wake up in the middle of the night and I hear you, and I'm like, yeah, I could go down there, but I'd have to get dressed and I'd have to walk down to the barn. I'd be like, ah, fuck it, I'll just go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. In fact, um, I, I had that today. Today I was taking a nap and I was uh, there was a game I wanted to bet on, uh, the, the St. Louis Cardinals, the, o- the only baseball game going today, the only game of anything going today. And um, I almost 
like didn't get up to go do it because I actually just had to go downstairs to get the laptop. That's all I had to do was go downstairs to get the laptop. But I was like, mm-hmm. I, I just didn't feel like doing it, and I almost didn't. Then I forced myself up and did it, and of course, and then it took a two nothing lead early. So I thought, okay, great, good thing I did this. Nope, it ended up losing. So uh, <laughs> it would have been better if I was lazy. So anyway. Uh, I, I can totally understand that, but uh, yeah, I'm glad you showed up here. I even mentioned that you know you probably were asleep when we started the show, but you never know. You may show up at one something in the morning. And boy, boy, was that a good prediction! You just one right of here. these days you'll start it on time, and I'll be here. <laughs> well, I was actually mentioning that. Don't I, hold I, your breath. I, I might actually. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I might actually move the time a little bit earlier to try to just you know, get you on more often. Since uh, oh my goodness, don't move it for me, for God's sakes. Well, it's just a little earlier. Not we're not going to move it like yeah. way earlier. It's just a little. We've been starting kind of like eight forty-five recently. It's just it, I think it's just kind of barely missing you. So it is. It's close. So uh, it's but, tough. But though. seriously, Druff, you know what I was was trying to say to Eric? Can you fucking even imagine the reaction of the MGM marketing department? Oh yeah, what was yeah. going to happen? I'm I'm sure there were people at the MGM when this got suggested. They're like, "What? You got to be kidding me? No, we're not going to do that. Uh, Come on." And then, no, no, we have to. Oh, come on! This, how, how, how can we sell this to people? I, I can imagine there's like probably a lot of yelling about this over there. Well, the way this is going to filter, it filters from their legal team if they hired one to their legal department, up to the executives, and then it trickles back down to the marketing team. <laughs> yeah. You know, so they they would have heard kind of whispers about it and this, that, and the other thing, and then finally, like the VP or the the president of marketing or whatever would have been like. Is this for real? <laughs> like, are we really doing this? I can just see people, like, everyone in the marketing department with their head in their hands, like, on the desk going, shaking, you know, like, a, fucking an autistic shake going, like, what are we going to do? Yeah, by the way, for those of you that still don't realize it, uh, Cal Watt was the marketing guy who called in earlier. But uh, <laughs> first, first he calls the marketing guy, and then he calls himself. So, you okay. got to give it away, Druff. Well, I, th- I thought you were giving it away here you said you called in you had to be the marketing you said something like that that made it oh, okay uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to let the secret stand but uh you ruined it yourself but so, but seriously can you put yourself in that in that place like that's your job your job is to make this company look good and you find out that you're suing the the, the people that got away from the mass shooting like what do you do do you just quit yeah i mean, like there's nothing i can do I mean, it, it would be very frustrating to be working in that position to get that news, and you, you just like can't believe it. You just you you've been working for the last <laughs> nine months trying to get the company over this tragedy and, and get people right. to have a positive view of the company again, and then just as right. people are just as people are kind of not forgetting, but it's not in the forefront of their minds, then this happens. <laughs> oh my God, I can't even imagine. Trader Ruski, can you imagine having that job? That would that would be a challenge to say the least. <laughs> Like what do you what do you do? I mean, I, I'm I'm sure everyone, the whole department, when like I said, had their head in their hands, and then one of them was just like, I guess we'll run a promotion or something. <laughs> you know? Oh, the poor bastards! Oh boy, Jesus Christ! I know the next six months of marketing from them and their competitors is going to be interesting. Oh dear God! <laughs> oh, they're having a bulletproof vest giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe uh, just maybe that's what you do. Like all their venues in the future, they just they'll hand out bulletproof vests as no, you arrive. No, but at you the don't venue. want it though. You don't want the bulletproof vest because, like, if if you survive it, they're going to sue you, mm. right? That's still better than a wrongful death suit. I, I guess you'll get sued anyway. 
Okay, let's let's move on here. I, I want to get back to the uh, the World Series, the two final topics. Uh, Cal, what were you aware of the the one drop controversy of the exposed card? Did you I hear about not. that? Okay, uh, Trey Ruski, have you heard about this? Yeah, yeah, I was watching. I was kind of half watching it, I, I, so I wasn't sure. So did he? Well, I'll, I'll explain. Intentionally turn. Well, I guess you'll. Well, you we, we don't. We don't know why. I'll, I'll tell you right that we we don't know why it happened. But but here's what happened. It was very weird. It's it's very very weird. Uh, this was with five people left in the million dollar buy in one drop event, and three people were involved in a very big hand. Uh, Justin Bonomo, the winner, was not involved. Nor was Dan Smith, who ended up finishing third. But it, it involved. Byron Caraman, who was the shortest stack, Fedora Holtz, and Rick Solomon. Again, five-handed at this point. So Caverman, who was short, opened uh, he opened shoved with ace five of clubs. Fedor looked down and saw tens. So he just flatted. He did he did have uh, Solomon covered, by the way, but Solomon had a lot of chips too, so um he just flatted. Solomon, seeing all this action, just uh, the, the theory is, though it's, it's still not sure, is that Solomon, seeing the action, kind of just imagined, okay, I bet I've got to be folding this one all in and call. I, I'm going to have something pretty strong to have to go in on this one. I'm sure it's a fold. So while looking at his cards, somehow an ace of hearts exposed in a weird way. It was actually, there's a picture of this. If you go to a Poker Fraud Alert, and you go to the Poker Community Discussion Forum and look at the thread about this called Horrible Ruling at One Drop Brings Scrutiny. Uh, if, if you look at that thread, you'll see a picture of Solomon. And it's not super clear, but you'll see there is a clear... You, you can see there is an Ace of Hearts facing up. He's actually holding it in his hand above the table. And there's actually an Ace of Hearts like facing up. Very looks weird. Like he's going to throw it in the middle. Yeah, it looks like he's going to throw it. So it, it was a very weird motion he did there, and it's not sure if you know if this was an accident. He, if he thought he was going to fold, and then it just so happened it wasn't, and it was just a weird way he picked it up. Uh, there was one card that's on the table face down in this picture, and one that's holding the ace like face up, as, as Calwatt said, as if he's going to throw it. But it's still weird. Like, why would he throw it face up? Why? Would, it, it's very weird. But that's that's what happened. So the ace of hearts he exposed, but Bonomo and Smith were already out of the hand by this point. Caverman was all in. There's nothing he could do further. Fedor. Uh, Solomon was in the process of acting, and then Fedora was going to have to act based upon what uh, Solomon did. So um, the point was that there was nobody besides Fedora that could be influenced by this ace of hearts showing. Because Solomon, it's his own hand, so it doesn't affect his actions, and then uh, Fedora is the only one left to act. So uh, the Ace of Hearts exposed, but then Solomon quickly uh, turned it over and unexposed it. So it was a quick thing, but it was not super quick. It was quick, but not so quick to where it being seen was was unreasonable. So Solomon went all in. Turned out he had Ace King of Hearts. Back to Fedor, the only last, the only person left to act. He's got two all ins in front of him. And two folds in front of him. So that's it. It's a, he either has to call or fold. Nothing else he can do. 
And once he does that, there's no post-flop play. So impossible for me to post-flop play in this hand, and impossible for anyone besides him to act. So oddly, Fedor said that he thought he saw that Solomon had the Ace of Hearts, and that it got exposed. So then came the weirdest decision from Jack Effel, the tournament director. A decision I totally don't understand. Jack Effel said that because Fedor thinks the card exposed, and because any card that exposes gets to, has to be shown to the whole table, um, that they are going to have to expose this Ace of Hearts if this is what he had. And then, uh, suppose, according to someone, uh, I, I had thought that he went, that Jack went and checked, but someone uh, told me on Twitter, DJ McKinnon told me on Twitter, that Jack must have seen it or something, because Jack already knew it was an ace. And what Jack just did is said, yes, there was an ace in his hand. And then they went and exposed it. So Jack says, yes, it was an ace. Maybe he was standing over and saw it. And then Jack went and got the ace and exposed it on the table. So that that's crazy. And why it's crazy is that there was no reason to do this. Because uh, Fedor thought he saw an Ace of Hearts. Fine. If, if Rick Solomon stupidly exposed the Ace of Hearts, then uh, if Fedor wants to use this to make his decision of what to do, then he can. Nothing wrong with that. You can't unsee what you saw. And, of course, anything you saw, you have the right to use to make your decision. But since nobody else was affected, why, show, why verify that Fedor saw it correctly? What they should have told Fedor is said, okay, well, you think you saw it, but it doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't affect any other player here. So, no, we're not going to verify it. No, we're not going to look. Uh, whatever you think you saw, you, you can use in your decision, but uh, we're not verifying or disproving it. That's what That's what they should have done. The problem with Jack saying, yes, it was an ace, and then exposing it, is that it gives information to Fedor to make his decision of what he should do facing the short stack all-in that he called, and then Solomon goes over the top with his own all-in. So now Fedor knows one of his cards is the Ace of Hearts, and can decide what to do with his tens. And uh, there was just no reason to do it. There was no reason to expose this. Not only that, the entire table was, they were going to see the cards anyway because it was an all-in and a call. So after Fedor acted, whether it was a call or a fold, everyone at the table was going to see what uh, Solomon had anyway. So all this was doing was giving information to Fedor that he should not have had. And it also opens up angle shooting. So, so let's, let's, change this now to the first level of like a 1500 event where the blinds are very low, like 2550 and you have 75, everybody starts at 7,500 chips. Let's say you've got Kings and after some raises and re-raises between you and another player, he goes all in. Well, because everybody's so deep to start compared to the blinds, that's, that's one spot in these tournaments where you do have to think about laying down Kings pre-flop. So let's say you're a dirty angle shooter and you remember the way this was ruled at the one drop and you believe it set a precedent. 
So before deciding what to do, you say, hey, you know, the guy who just went all in on me, uh, actually, I think one of his cards flashed. I, I think I saw an ace of clubs. Can you look if there's an ace of clubs there? If the guy has aces, there's a one in two chance that he's got the ace of clubs. So then the floor man comes over and says, okay, well, all exposed cards have to be checked. So let me see if this guy has the ace of clubs. Or you can even just say you saw an ace. Forget the ace of clubs. I think I saw an ace flash. So, so then they go check. Nope, no ace in his hand. Okay, I snap call. If you know the guy has no ace in his hand, you've got kings. Of course, that's a, you know you call that every time. The worst you could be up against is the other kings. Otherwise, you've you've got any other hand crushed. So, couldn't you do that? Couldn't you just pretend you saw a card flash and have the floor man come over and verify whether or not that card is in his hand? Boy, that could be exploited and abused. So, while people, they don't think that Fedor was angle shooting here, there is a question why Fedor, who was, uh, who is such an experienced player by this point, he's not old, but he's played so many of these events, and he's obviously a very knowledgeable poker player, why is he mentioning that this got exposed? Isn't that kind of a weird thing to say? Now, maybe it's just the moment there's five people left in the one drop, it's, you know, maybe he's just, uh, wasn't thinking totally straight, but, but why even say that? I think, yeah, there's an ace of hearts exposed. Why, why say that out loud? If he's the last to act, why even mention it? He's the last to act. It's going to be exposed in a second anyway, whether he calls or folds. So why say that unless he thought that they may be dumb enough to check and tell him? I mean, Fedor's a smart guy. Maybe maybe he thought maybe, maybe he thought they'd be dumb enough to fall for it. Maybe he was angle shooting. Angle shooting in that he really did see an ace of hearts and thought that maybe the World Series staff might be dumb enough to uh, verify it for him. It's not out of the realm of possibility. He can even say in his own defense, look, uh, I thought I saw it and I, and I told them. I wasn't making it up. I wasn't making it up so they'd look in his hand and, and, and tell me if he had an ace or not. I really thought I saw the ace of hearts and I did. So I told them and then they told me. So I said, yeah, I got more information. But that was their fault. They gave me the information. He probably would never admit that, but it's very possible he was smart enough to exploit this and see if they were going to be dumb enough to reveal it to him. Otherwise, why is he mentioning it? He knows there's nobody else to act. He knows the hand's going to be exposed right after he's done acting, so why why even say that? So anyway, uh, I, I think the bigger story here beyond... The fact that this all went down in the way it did, and by the way, Fedora called the tens. Everybody turned their hands over. You know, Kaverman had ace five suited. I think ace five of clubs. Uh, Solomon had ace king of hearts, and Fedora had tens. Well, the flop was ace king two, so looking pretty bad for Fedora uh, until he gets a ten on the river in typical Fedora fashion and uh, busts both of them. So he hit the river two outer. Actually, I think it was a... Uh, well, no, he, I think he had a queen on the turn. Yeah, he got a queen so on the turn. So it was a six, it's a six outer. So it was a, either the backdoor six outer or the uh, the two outer on the flop, and he got the two outer. So he busted both of them. But the, the thing that's most kind of uh, bothersome to me here, I mean, yeah, bad rulings happen, and I think Jack Effel just wasn't thinking when he did this. And I'll tell you what made Jack do this, is it's rule number 116 at the World Series of Poker. It says as follows. Exposing cards and proper folding. 
A participant exposing his or her cards with action pending will incur a penalty. Now, that's that doesn't apply here because Solomon busted after the hand, uh, but will will not have a dead hand. The penalty will begin at the end of the hand. All participants at the table are entitled to see the exposed cards. So, that last sentence is the big one here. All participants at the table are entitled to see the exposed cards. So Fedor said, okay, uh, I saw a card. I saw the Ace of Hearts. Jack probably saw it too from standing over the table. Okay, yeah, there was an Ace. Okay, now everybody's entitled to see it. So yes, by the letter of that rule, number 116, Jack did the right thing. But there is an additional rule at the World Series of Poker that floor men or tournament directors can make exceptions to the other rules based upon common sense. So they're not bound to follow the rules to the letter if common sense would dictate otherwise. And this was definitely one of those spots. Because here, showing everybody at the table the exposed card was pointless. And in fact would give information to someone left to act. To the one guy left to act who saw it. So this is one spot they should have said there's no benefit to showing this card. There's no reason to do it. And doing it could give someone unfair information, so we're not going to do it. That that should have been the discussion. That should have been what he did. But okay, you can say maybe Jack was just so used to always showing exposed cards. The way it usually goes, and I, I can tell you from being a World Series of Poker tournament player myself, is that a card flashes. Not quite the way Solomon did it. That was very weird. But a card flashes in some way. And someone says, I think I saw that card flash. And... Um, Let's say the person folds their hand. So they say, I think seats threes, I, I think I saw a card flash for seat three. So then it gets a seat three preflop and he folds. Well, what they usually do is they'll call the floor over and they will ask seat three what he had at that point. Or they, no, they'll ask the person who thought they saw the flash what they thought they saw. So let's say the person in seat seven said, I think I saw the, the uh, seven of hearts flash. So the floor man will look, un, will look at the mucked cards of seed three, and if there's a seven of hearts there, then he will turn it over. If there's not, then he'll say, no, there was no seven of hearts there, and uh, it will not be turned over. So that's pretty standard, and I've seen that a lot of times. But they're doing that, of course, for the benefit of everybody at the table, You know, many of whom have to act still, uh, people who may have to act post-flop, so they don't want to give anybody an advantage who may have seen that card where everybody else didn't get to see that card. But they also don't want to just turn it up face up if, if, if it turned out the guy saw it wrong. But but here, there is no advantage to showing it because there is nobody left to act and no post-flop play. So this is where Jack should have said, even though even if Rule 116 says this, I have a right to make a common-sense determination that we're not going to apply it here. And that's what he should have said. So, But okay, Jack made a mistake. Mistakes will happen. It's kind of a boneheaded mistake, but okay, mistakes will happen. But, of course, the World Series of Poker, the, the management, they're just not good at handling fallout from bad decisions. They rarely just say, yes, we made a mistake. Sorry, this won't happen again. Sorry, we'll think about this differently next time. That, that's all they should have said. Yeah, it was an incorrect ruling. Uh, you know, because the rule technically says that, that was the way we applied it. Upon further consideration, we realized we should have gone the other way. That, that's what they should have said. But that's not what was said. So DJ McKinnon 
who, who, by the way, is is uh, is is one of the few, you know, well, sort of well-known poker players who is out as gay. He he, uh, I think he was the second one to come out as far as gay male poker players. The the first one was uh, Jason Somerville, but uh, DJ McKinnon wrote the following. He said, "Can I? Can we get an explanation as to what caused Solomon to expose his ace during the three-way all-in?" Even if Jack doesn't tweet himself, seems like the public deserves some sort of answer. And then he tweeted to at WSOP and at Seth Polanski. So I, I wonder if DJ McKinnon listens to this show, because I saw that he doesn't follow many players and he does follow me. And he is aware that Jack has quit Twitter, which really hasn't been reported anywhere except for here. Also on my Twitter, but maybe that's where he saw it. But, but it is true. That Jack has quit Twitter. We've discussed this on a recent show. I, f- I found this out about a month ago, a month and a half ago. And it's ridiculous. And this is a problem where people have questions for the tournament director on Twitter, and Jack can't answer them. Jack, Jack has just quit Twitter. He hasn't shut down his account. So a lot of I always see people tweeting at WSOPTD, and they don't realize that he's not seeing it. He has quit Twitter. I heard him say it. He hasn't announced he quit Twitter, but he I heard him tell someone at the World Series of Poker that he quit Twitter. So uh, DJ McKinnon knew this too, probably through me. So he tweeted it to Seth Polanski. He didn't even tweet it to Jack. He knew Jack wasn't answering or reading it. So Seth responded. But, but keep in mind, this isn't Seth's area. Seth is one of the managers of the World Series, but he's he's the manager from the standpoint of uh, of the marketing and the, and the media and all of that. He's not really an operational manager. Now, if you bring something to him that you're concerned about, he will sometimes bring it to the right people. That's a, often I will contact Seth, who will then you know take something to someone else because he's the one I know the best of these uh, managers of the World Series. So I know he'll listen to me. But but this this was not his area. Seth Polanski is not out there making decisions about the tournaments. He's not a floor man. He doesn't manage the floor men. Uh, this is just not what he does there. But anyway, he was the only one he was the only one who could answer here. There's no jack. So Seth wrote back to DJ. Now at this point all DJ is asking is why did Rick Solomon do it? And we don't really have an answer by the way. But uh, he was asking this. So Polanski said he did it accidentally. Fedor saw it, thus he had to show everyone at the table. <laughs> so, people on Twitter weren't happy about this, and were explaining to Seth that there was no reason still to show the card at that point. And Ray Hansen, for example, said, yeah, it's not exactly like anybody had unfair info. Referring to that card exposing. Seth Polanski wrote back, Caverman was all in, then Fedor called, Solomon hadn't seen his cards, was going to fold and get out of the way, he slipped up and an ace was seen when he looked at his cards for the first time. Which I, I think this probably is what happened. And Ray said, okay, so why the ruling the car had to be turned face up sets a really bad precedent. So Seth said back, Caverman was all in, unaffected. Holtz had seen it. There were only three players in the tournament at that point, and two were all in. Now, what he meant is three players in that hand. There were actually five players in the tournament, but whatever. Uh, so Ray says, 
okay, if Fedor saw it, that's fine, but to force him to turn it over and verify he saw it correctly is unfair. And Seth said back, Fedor told him what the card was, Jack confirmed it, Rick had to show it. Well, okay, but that doesn't mean anything. Why did he have to show it? Why was it verified? Who gained from that besides Fedor? Who else got information that they could use from that? Nobody. It was not possible. There was one person left to make a decision at that point. That was Fedor. So so they just won't admit it. They won't admit they made the wrong decision. This is 100% clear. This is 100% clear that they shouldn't have done this. There's not even there's not even another side to this argument that's possible. So, typical World Series of Poker where they just won't admit that they've made a mistake. They won't admit they had an error in judgment. It's fine to admit you made a mistake and you you, you had an error in judgment at, at the moment. You can't be perfect all the time. We'll try harder next time. Sorry, that's, that's what you should say. So everyone got mad about this. Everyone just went off on them, saying, come on here, how do you not understand this? And they understand it. They're, they just don't want to admit it. So I, I thought that's the, the reaction to it. You've, you've heard the cover-up is worse than the crime. That's, that's definitely the case here. They're not really covering it up, but they're, they're, they're playing stupid that they don't realize they made a bad decision. And again, this wasn't Polanski's decision, but he, he had to speak for Jack there because Jack's off Twitter, which is a whole problem in itself. I think they've got a future in MGM's legal department. <laughs> yeah. Or may, maybe in marketing. Yeah. Well, I don't the, think so. The, the, insurance, the, the insurance company told us uh, we had to sue them, and uh, they confirmed it. We had to sue. Maybe that's where they can go if they uh, end up losing their jobs as Caesars. Pretty dumb. Shouldn't have happened this way. Both uh, the decision... And why doesn't Jack like take a moment to think before he makes the decision? Why, why, why just like quickly say, "Oh yeah, he had an ace there"? Why? Uh, you've got to think. This is a million-dollar buy-in tournament in the late stages. You've, you've got to stop and think. You can't make these rules decisions. are rules, Druff. Rules are rules. <laughs> you got to you got to think for a second. But it's not even the mistake so much that bothers me. It's just the one the, the refusal to admit it. And then, two, the fact that Jack can't even be reached on Twitter when he's running the World Series of Poker. This is why he can't yeah, be reached on Twitter. And it affected the third player in the hand. It could have. Well, it, 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 well, it affected Fedor. Yes, it, it definitely affected Fedor because they verified. No, the th- no, I'm talking about the third player. No, they were both all in. all in. I know, but the first player that was all in the short stack with ace-five. Yeah, then, then. yeah then, right. Then he, then he, maybe because it was an ace of hearts, he felt that his tens, and he didn't have a heart. Well, that's what I'm talking about. He, but he is, he, he's the one who saw it, though. But he's also the one who saw it, is the point. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. They, they, they shouldn't verify well, for him. Yeah, no, they shouldn't have. I mean, and, but if they did, if that influence is called, if he wasn't 100% sure, and then a five flopped. Well, there's no, fl- there's no, there's no pre-flop, there's no post-flop play. So that the fl- no, no, no. I know. I'm just saying they could have affected the hand. Oh yeah, no, they, they did, they did affect the hand because uh, now we don't know what Fedora would have decided ultimately if he, if he had not been verified. But uh, the once the ace was showed, I, I should explain this for those that that don't know tournament poker that well. The way this action went down, once it was verified that an ace of hearts was in. Rick Solomon's hand, and he went all in with it. 
over somebody a short stack's all in. At that point, Fedor knows with 100% certainty that the stack that can really hurt him, Solomon, did not have jacks, queens, or kings. 100% he can't have that because you know one of the cards is an ace. So now he knows that he's either up against aces or ace-king, maybe ace-queen. He's either against aces or ace-something. Probably ace-king. So he can rule out jacks, queens, and kings. And that's why Fedor, that could have been why he elected to call. Because there's only one hand he's afraid of at that point. And that is aces. But three hands that can crush tens are out of the out of the whole thing now. Now it's possible the short stack could have had jacks, queens, or tens, but uh, jacks, queens, or kings. But uh, I, that's a pretty strong piece of information to get when someone shoves like that. That when you've got tens, that you're not up against jacks, queens, or kings. There is a possibility, by the way, that this wasn't a mistake and that Solomon showed it in order to either, either induce or discourage action. So, maybe if he shows that and goes all in, he's hoping that uh, Fedora thinks he has aces and will lay it down. And think, of oh, the best I have is racing, the, the worst I have is I'm against aces which crush me. Now, does Solomon have a history of doing horrible things, uh, other than Paris, I mean? <laughs> and Pamela Anderson. Whatever. But, uh... I hadn't heard that. I haven't heard that he's been an angler. I don't think it was an angle. I'm just saying it could have been. But uh, I, I think it was a very quick thing. So it was probably just a weird motion he made. I think Polanski's description of that is probably pretty close. That he saw all that action, thought, oh, I'm going to be out of this one. And then didn't look at his cards very carefully. And then, oh, well, I, I have ace-king suited. Oops. <laughs> Should have been more careful. It was probably something like that. So I don't blame Solomon so much other than being clumsy. But I, I don't think it's an angle. It's just a possible angle. But then it, I think a higher chance of an angle, is a semi-angle at least, was from Fedor, who had to have known that there's no reason to mention that he saw it except the possibility that they may actually verify it for him. So that's... Uh, it, it really could have affected it. it. It is possible that Fedor would have laid down the tents. Because there's, there's so many spots the tens can be crushed there against the stack that can hurt you. But now he can throw out three hands that can crush him. He can throw out three of the four hands that can crush him. So I want to discuss as, as a final uh, World Series topic here. Joe Kata. Is it Kata or Kata? I don't know. How do you say his last name? I've, I've always heard it pronounced Kata. Okay. But- really? I've always heard it pronounced Kata. Yeah, I had. To, I don't know. I, I've heard both. Maybe I've, it's a West Coast East Coast thing. I, I've heard. I, I've always known him as Kata, but Joe. I'll just call Joe Kata, and if it's Joe Kata, tough luck. So I mentioned last week when I saw that he finished fifth after nine years ago winning the event. I thought that was a great accomplishment, and he's had a lot of other big finishes, and he's he's won. Uh, he won a, a, another event as well prior to this year. This is someone with a lot of uh, tournament results that clearly is an excellent player. 
and I was saying that uh, I was impressed. And I spoke very highly of his poker play. I've never played with him myself, but uh, just from his results, and, and uh, he was definitely not one of these... American poker players. You want what, what is that? What did I just hear here? Is anybody an American huh? poker player? I, don't know, I heard something weird. Oh, anyway. Uh, I was impressed, and I, I said that uh, he was definitely not one of these guys who just got who luck boxed into a main event win, but that wasn't going to do much more. And that was before he did something that was really, really amazing. After nine days, I believe, of playing the main event, which is very stressful, even if you've won it before, it's very stressful, and getting all the way to fifth place before eventually busting, getting 2.15 million, I think, is what his prize was. You would Trader think- Risky's right. It's Joe Cotta. Okay, it's Joe Cotta. Oh, you were you were watching in the back. Okay, that's what you were doing. Okay, so Joe Cotta. Okay, so we'll, we'll I'll change it. I'll stop calling him Cata. Joe Cotta still feels weird to me. It's not Boston. It's not Cata. He's from Utica, New York, man. Is Joe Cata? This is yeah. so this is so hard. Okay, Cata. Okay, Joe Cata. Jeez, he's not gonna park the car. This is. Such a pain in the ass. I, I wish I could just say Kata. So you can. No one's stopping you. Joe, Joe Kata. You'd think that after doing that, that he no, would. It's Kata. Kata. I just heard the interview. It's Kata. I'm so sorry. I even asked about this. <laughs> oh man. He. You would have thought that he would have just relaxed after this. That's what I would have done. I think that's what everybody listening to the show would have done. If you had just finished fifth in the main event after nine grueling days, you would take a break. You wouldn't play any poker for a while. You'd be done for a while. Even if you planned to play other events, you'd say, screw it, I'm not going to bother. Or at the very least, give yourself a few days worth of a break. But no. He went immediately over to jump into the event known as The Closer which is a $1,500 buy-in World Series bracelet event, which is a turbo, 30-minute levels. It was likely to get a lot of people entering it. In fact, I'm surprised how many people it got, given that the main event uh, was over, or about to be over, and the World Series itself was pretty much over, but somehow they got more than 3,000 entries. I don't know if it's a re-entry or not, but more than 3,000 entries it got. I think 3100 something. So he jumped into that. He jumped into a $1,500 buy-in turbo event just after finishing fifth in the main. Didn't take a break. Just just jumped in. I think it was the next day he jumped in, but still. Maybe been the same day. Did anybody know that? Did anybody know if he jumped in the same day or, or the next day? I think I think it was eleven o'clock that night. So he so he actually jumped in at eleven p.m. Yep. Wow. And he had like twenty. I think it was like just before you know late ridge closed. Wow. Okay, that's even more impressive. I thought he may have just done it the next morning, which is still crazy. Anyway, he he jumps in there immediately after busting the the main fifth and wins it. He outlasted these 3,000-something people or entries, whatever it was, and wins the closer. 
It's very hard to win one of those, no matter what your skill level. A turbo event, too. So it's even harder. I think, to... I think it was unlimited re-entries, okay. by the way. Okay, that's probably Pretty why it's hard. But a turbo event, the, the thing with turbo events is you don't... Uh, there's a lot of luck in those. You you really have to act often. You can't just sit and wait. It's the opposite of the main. You can't just sit and wait for uh, good spots to put your money in. There's a lot of times you got to get your money in, in marginal spots, and others have their money in marginal marginal spots. And when you're calling them, you just have to hope that they don't have a monster. So he he goes and plays this turbo, and and he wins it. So to have this sort of, uh, first of all, the desire to even do this, to go play this after uh, finishing fifth in the main, the same day, to even have that desire is crazy. Well, he want- used to grind online all the time, right? I think he was, he was one of those guys that used to play tons and tons of online poker. He's probably, it's probably a walk in the park for him to just hang out during the day. You know, it's so slow. I don't know, but you know, it's just, just to think. After the main, the main's a whole different situation. Like, to get that far over nine days, you just think you'd need a break. Even if you're used to just grinding all day and all night online, you'd think you'd still need a break from the main. It's just such a different place. I I just can't picture many people doing that. It, it, I, I've talked about before how I've seen players just jump from a final table into some you know $1,000, $1,500 buy-in event the same day, and I'm surprised. I saw it happen... At a table I was at, I was at the final table five years ago at the 5K Limit Hold'em, and Greg Mueller, who busted seventh before I did, uh, he got up and, and just registered for a 1500 event that was going on simultaneously. And I remember remarking, there's no way I would have done that, even if I, I had, I felt I had time and that, uh, you know, it wasn't too late in the event to do so. Um, just from the standpoint of, no, I was just at a final table. No, I'm not going to go register for a 1500 event here. That, that's what I would have thought. But, but that's. Yeah, why, are, why are poker players so whiny, though? You got some guy that he cleans the Starbucks bathroom, you know, he, he does it for uh, six hours. And just because some guy walks in there and spooges all over the place, you think he's just going to go home and say, no, I don't feel like doing it again? But that's different. You know? he, he, he has the same job basically every day, cleaning up gross stuff. You know, yeah, poker is the same job every day. Sit down, play good. But it's but it's a different job in that the way it's in tournament poker, at least the way that the day is going. Which would you rather do? Would you rather play tournament poker or clean up spunk in the uh, Starbucks bathroom? <laughs> it's, well, not about the pleasantness of the job. It's about the the stress. I will say that playing the main event is a lot more stressful than cleaning up spunk in the Starbucks bathroom. I'd be pretty stressed if I had to clean up that guy's spunk, man. I look. I I could put it out of my mind to just not really think about what I'm doing. In that case. Oh, good for you. But, uh. <laughs> I'm sure that's what the porn stars say, too. No, I really, yeah, I, I once had to do that. I put, put out of my mind I was doing something gross. The, uh, I, I had a Springer Spaniel who was very old, and she, uh, started having problems with crapping in the house. And, uh, she had gotten sick, and she started really having problems with that. So, what I did is I trapped her in the kitchen, which is it was in an apartment I was living at the time, and the only place without carpet was the kitchen. So I said, if she's going to do this, I want this to be somewhere that's easier to clean. So I trapped her in the kitchen when I went to sleep, and when I woke up in the morning, there was shit everywhere. 
all over the kitchen. Now, she didn't get out of the kitchen, but it was all over the kitchen, smeared everywhere, and smeared all over her. Ugh. So, as I cleaned that and had to clean her, just dog shit everywhere, I said, the only way I can tolerate doing this is if I just completely put out of my mind what I'm doing and just clean. Just just clean it, but don't think about what I'm cleaning. And that's how I got past it. That's how I got through it. So, uh, that, that's what I would have done if I was that Starbucks janitor. But, uh... I, I you just, know what I mean? People do their jobs day after day, day in, day out. If his job is to play poker, you know. But uh, here's the one mitigating factor. Uh, snake in the ass is saying that uh, they had bracelet bets. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what but how, but how does it tur- does it was a turbo or bracelet event? Yes. Oh, OK. Well, then that makes sense, right? If it was about a bracelet event, I guess I guess that uh would be the extra motivation. Otherwise, I'd say, ah, screw it. You know, there's going to be there's going to be so many entries in this. It's a fifteen hundred event. You know, I just finished fifth in the main. There's no way. I, I just have no desire. I, I, I think most people would have no desire to go do this after fifth in the main to go sit down at a fifteen hundred event. It's just such a hard yeah, thing but, to do. But, but why are poker players special, man? Most people have no desire to clean up spunk off the bathroom either. They get in there and do it. You know, it's your job. Because no, because this you isn't your, your job. Because, job. Because you're not required to do this. The, because the you you can choose what tournaments you play, and you can just skip this one. That's why you're not required. I mean, I guess. to guess you're required to to clean stuff in the bathroom, and you're, you're not required to enter a fifteen hundred late when you just finished the main event, finishing fifth, and, and, and made two point one million. So, all right, all right, you got a point. So, I'm sure if the uh, the guy cleaning the bathroom just won two point four million, even if he only had you know ten percent or whatever piece of himself. I'm sure he'd tell Starbucks to take a flying fuck and wouldn't clean it up. So, all right, you got a point. I'll, I'll, I will submit. I, I just thought this was really amazing because when you bust fifth in the main event, even though he was never like the chip leader there, when you bust fifth there, when you know you could have been the two-time winner, there haven't been any two-time winners recently. And with these huge fields, boy, is it hard to do that. But that he could have been one and didn't quite get there. And there was nine long days. He still won two million. Must have been very mentally exhausting. You just think the last thing he wanted to go do is enter a fifteen hundred turbo at that point. Now the bracelet event, that, that uh, the bracelet bet, that could be some of the motivation. There he could have dug deep and said, "Well, I have a bracelet bet, and uh, I've won one bracelet this year, which he has. You know, he already won one bracelet in two thousand eighteen." And I have a bet, you know, if I can win a second one, it'll get me a lot of money. So, okay, I'll grit my teeth and do it. But, wow, that's that's crazy. So, fifth in the main and then late regs, the 1500 turbo, over 3,000 entries and wins. Pretty good. Pretty amazing. I think he should definitely be the player of the year. I know there's the talk of John Hennigan and Sean Deeb, both of whom did very well this year. Sean Deeb did win two bracelets. And again, just lots of final tables and a bracelet. But it's funny how they talked about how this is going to be the first year with no double bracelet. Because coming into the very end of the series, there were none. But now we had two this year. Sean Deeb and uh, Joe Kata. And yes, I'm saying Kata. Okay. No is more it world- Kata or Kata or Kata? You, know, you can just take your pick. You can just... Uh, Decide for yourself what makes you feel the best. And uh, well, I got a I got a report here. Yes, that uh, Joe had a hundred percent of himself for the main this year. 
I would have figured he did. I would have figured that anybody who isn't broke that has done well in it before. I, I think I think the first place finisher probably had a hundred percent of himself just because he he was eleventh two years ago. Like why? If you if you've come that close before or you've won it before, why would you ever sell parts of yourself in it unless you're broke or close to it? It just you you already have the experience of getting there. It, it I, I think it would be a big knit move to do that. I think tough psychologically for anyone to not play for a hundred percent of themselves if they can easily afford it. Yeah, the funny thing is, I think there are a lot of poker pros who would be more inclined to take a hundred percent of themselves in the ten thousand dollar main than in a fifteen hundred dollar tournament. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, well that's I I, I agree. That's I, I think that uh, the main you really have to think about the situation of selling a substantial pet part of yourself and winning it, and how much money that will cost you, and and right. uh, and and just. Where if you're doing a 1500 event, uh, especially one that isn't a huge field like the Colossus, you know, the like I know it's not a 1500, but you know what I'm saying. If if, if the top prize is, is 350 thousand, then it's not as devastating to have to give half the money away as it is if you win 8.8 million. So right. that that's why I think. Well, also I, I think people just think there's so much more value in the main. Yeah, that too. There there is, and yeah. I and I say this uh, every year I play. I'm, I'm I marvel. At some of the players there, how much dead money they are, and how you know how many amateurs there are in the field that either just make stupid plays or are super easy to read, or sometimes even just directly tell you how they're playing and are telling the truth. They're not angling you. They're not trying to trick you. They'll say, "I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have check raised the turn this big unless I had something you know really big." And they're telling the truth. You watch the, the, the way they're playing. That it, that's the truth. That's what they do. They're never bluffing. So they'll actually tell you they're not bluffing. It, it's amazing. I uh, or they'll sometimes show you. Like <laughs> I, I love it at the main and other World Series events where I have some kind of decision, and I'll actually intentionally look more stressed about it when I fold, hoping that they're going to show it to me. And sure enough, like I do against amateurs, against pros, I'm not going to bother. But amateurs will show me if they think I'm kind of like agonizing over that about having folded. And they'll, well, they don't want to. They don't want to be dishonest with you. Yeah, so, it's, I'm surprised that they they will turn over their cards and show me, and not for any kind of like bluff equity. Later, they're just showing me because I looked agonized, like I threw it away, and uh, so it, it, it's surprising at the main some of the competition you're against at the beginning, and uh, that's why it was so disappointing this year when I got off to a pretty good start and then just absolutely stopped winning hands. Absolutely stopped winning hands. Okay, so a surprising situation occurred involving a Las Vegas show. This this has nothing to do with poker, but it's uh, it's news about Las Vegas and a show that I have never seen, but I've been uh, quite familiar with. That's not for the record. I don't believe that you've never seen the show. You know, I I, I haven't said which show it is yet. Some of you might know because of the intro, but. Uh, I haven't seen it. Yes, I'm talking about Frank Marino's Divas, which is a drag show that has existed in Las Vegas on the Strip since 1985. 
So, this was once known as an evening at Lacage, but it changed the name to Frank Marino's Divas. The entire time the show has existed, which again goes back to 85, and it's, it, for the most part, was at the Riviera, but the Riviera is gone now, and it's been at the Link for several years now. Or also, uh, the Link's other incarnations of its other names. That's the former Imperial Palace. But Frank Marino has been the headliner since 85. He doesn't just have his name stamped on it. He is there every night. In fact, he has now been in more than 25,000 performances of this show. The show is basically, it's it's Frank Marino pretending to be, uh, he's dressed up in drag as Joan Rivers, where he looks and acts like Joan Rivers. And then the other, quote, girls in the show, who are all men, are dressed up as other female celebrities who also take on the parts of whoever they're dressed up like. So it's a drag show. There's been, these have existed for decades. So you've probably seen billboards around Vegas advertising this thing in its various forms for the past three decades. I know I have. I I remember at a young age at Vegas, uh, in Vegas, seeing those billboards up there advertising it at the Riviera. I, I never did see it, but because of all the advertisement and the fact it's been there for so long, I was very aware of what it was. Uh, I wasn't dying to go see it, but if, if somebody said, oh, I have tickets to this, uh, I, I would have seen it. I guess I, I'm not a big person like into drag stuff. Like I don't watch uh, RuPaul's show or any of that stuff. It just it just isn't that interesting to me. But uh, you know, I wouldn't refuse to see it. But anyway, that, you know, Darth, back in college, I was a photography major. Yeah. And I, one of my one of my first things that I did, and actually I went out to shoot a drag show, right? And the first time I ever saw that I'm Too Sexy song, you remember that song? Yes. First time I ever saw that was some huge fat dude in drag wrapped <laughs> in cellophane with makeup <laughs> everywhere, was like strutting and, you know, the, the jello was wiggling everywhere as he was going strutting down there. I mean, it was impressive. I don't know. Some of these drag queens, I don't quite understand. Like the ones in this show, at least they look relatively like the celebrity they're trying to impersonate. So that that I understand much more. Uh, the ones that are just like big fat guys that just dress up like women, I, I don't really understand that. But uh, I guess they do it because they like it, right? I, I guess. But uh, like like some of them just can't even come close to looking like a female just because of the way their body is. And sometimes, and the voice sometimes is it's crazy too <laughs> to hear coming out of these guys. I know a lot of them don't live full time as a woman, woman. Some do, some don't, but you know, some of them just really, um, wear the female clothes to perform and otherwise live as male. A lot of them are gay anyway, but a lot of them are live as gay males, not as uh, females. But anyway, uh, and, and that describes, uh, Frank Marino, by the way. He's a gay male and he, he doesn't live as a woman. He kind of looks like a woman, uh, Facially, somewhat. I, I, he looks like he's had surgery, though, too. But uh, he does have a womanly look to him. But he does live as a male, as a gay male, uh, outside of the show. He's not a transsexual. Anyway, uh, the reason I'm talking about all this: uh, something very surprising ha- happened involving this show that has closed it after 33 years, and the closure was not voluntary. 
Caesars made the decision to abruptly close the show. And that is because it came out that merchandise that... Yes, that, that's the song. Sorry, just getting in the mood. <laughs> the merchandise that Frank Marino was selling, the official Frank Marino Divas merchandise, every single day when he did the show, he told everybody that portion a portion of the proceeds from selling the merchandise would go to the Las Vegas branch of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So a portion of all the proceeds would go to charity. It turned out for quite some time now, it's not sure how long, but quite some time, Frank was just keeping the money. It's not clear why, but... He has admitted to this, which we'll get to shortly. So I'm not just speculating. I'm not just accusing. He admitted it. He he did keep the money for, uh, in his own words, quite some time that was supposed to go to charity from these merchandise sales. That every single day he told audiences that they were buying it for charity. That's it, Druff. That's the, that's the show title. I'm too sexy for your charity. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I will make that the title. It's a good one. This is a little bit of a burden. Every time when I I post the archives, I have to come up with a title that I that I hope is is interesting or clever. Some weeks I can do better than others, depending on the topics we talked about. But uh, it's become a bit of a burden very late at night to come up with that each week. Uh, much like for those of you that watched the Rockford Files, uh, they used to have a message on Jim Rockford's answer machine before they played the theme song. And every week it was a different message. And it was supposed to be something just you know, kind of funny that didn't have to do with the episode. And I read that it eventually became a burden. The show ran for almost six seasons. It was a burden to come up with new ones every week. And they actually just started giving this to production assistants to just come up with something because it became so much of a pain in the ass each week random, to come up with something new. Random crap, yeah. Yeah, So, but uh, it's kind of like that with the show titles here. So so thank you, Catwood. Hey, I, I gave you that YouTube link. Just play, to get everyone in the mood, just play, just play a little bit. Okay. Just a little bit. Okay. I, I thought playing Dude Looks Like a Lady was good enough, but I, I'll, I'll do it here. Hang on. Everyone's got to get that picture in their mind. Okay. You know? Okay, fine. Too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my what love. Happened? Love's going to leave me. Picture him strutting down the, the runway. <laughs> this isn't even like a... The video itself is not even a drag video, though. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy. This is like a big hit, I think, in like 1990. This really was. Charity. Charity. I'm too sexy for your charity money. Okay. So. (laughs) Oh, man. So, yeah. So he just kept it. And it came out. I don't know how, but someone figured it out. Not that hard to figure out if it, you know after you do this enough time, someone's going to look into it because every single performance he mentioned it. So someone looked into it. Well, somebody worked from 
Make a wish probably went there. Yeah, Wait something minute, like we this. haven't received any money from this clone. Yeah, that's that's why it's so ridiculous. It's like, how, how do you expect to get away for, with this for years? I think right. it was and years. Plus, if he says a portion, it's not like he's saying ten percent or something. Yeah, could have given him a hundred bucks. So, so he hasn't sent anything for a long time, and yet every day was saying that he was, and uh, so it came out. Someone reported that they have not sent anything to Make a Wish for a long time. And so Caesars went into investigation mode. They said, well, we've got to look into this because he's performing at the link in, uh, in one of our theaters and we've been promoting him. He's, you know, this is one of our shows. We've got to see if this is true. So they did an investigation. In the process of the investigation, they actually fired a few people. I'm not sure what their positions were, but a few people were fired as they investigated and found out that this accusation was true. And then abruptly shut down the show with no final performance, which is very unusual, very unusual for a long-running Las Vegas show that gets closed. They're always given the respect of a final performance. Even if the show is tanking and not doing well anymore, they, they out of respect for the performers and the headliners, they will allow them to do a final performance. They did not allow this for Frank Marino. They just abruptly closed the show and didn't state why immediately. But of course it came out in the press that this investigation was going on and that this had been accused. So Caesars did confirm uh, that they closed it only because of this issue. So they made it clear that that was the only reason for the closure, not because of the performance of the show or anything else, only because of the charity issue that after an investigation, they chose to close it. So shortly after that, Frank Marino made a statement, because he hadn't made any statements prior to that. Now, this, this is all happening fairly quickly, but, uh, but he kept quiet during the accusation, during the investigation. Uh, finally, when the show closed, and then Caesars confirmed that it was this charity issue that they closed it, and that was the only reason they closed it. This is what Frank Marino said. This is his statement. As some are aware, I have historically given a portion of the proceeds from my sales of certain Divas in Las Vegas merchandise to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, as well as incorporating them into special events like my celebrity roast held at the Stratosphere, where all the proceeds and donations were given to them personally. I'm saddened to say that due to my own negligence, Make-A-Wish has not received a check from me in quite some time. Dude, it was on negligence. That's all. <laughs> uh, notice what he didn't say there. Notice he didn't say that one, due to the negligence of my employees or due to the negligence of some I trusted or uh, due to my own negligence, he's saying, which really makes it sound like this was intentional. Uh, I am personally embarrassed and ashamed I take full responsibility and am sincerely apologetic for the situation. I have confirmed the figure which I would have customarily donated to them from a percentage of my merchandise sales and have offered to substantially increase that many times over. Make-A-Wish is an important charity and my favorite in the world because it lifts the hearts and spirits of children desperately in need of joy, comfort, and compassion. For those of you that aren't familiar, this charity uh, for children that are terminally ill will... uh, get wishes from children, oh, I wish I could do this, and then they do that for the kid. So the kid gets to have one really nice experience uh, you know, shortly before they're going to die. 
Uh, Here's the thing I don't understand, Ruff. It's not like he made he ever made any extra money by saying that he don't donated a portion of this to charity, right? Yes. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, okay. Right. That, I I thought of the same thing, but we'll get to, we'll get to the motivations and everything else and just speculate on that. We don't really Is this know. It's like vir- virtue signaling shit. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, says, so he goes on to say, numerous other false allegations have been circulated. They are inaccurate. Now, what, what false accusations could there be since you know, he, he just confirmed he did it? Divas agreed with Caesars to terminate the production, which had been performed seven days a week. I personally want to state that Caesars Entertainment and Divas Las Vegas show have always maintained a very positive and professional working relationship. I want to go on record and state that the last eight years of performing at the Link Hotel have been nothing less than a wonderful and amazing experience for both myself and my cast. Caesars is a great organization. It was my honor to provide the Diva Show at the Link for so many years. Now, th- this is that part is somewhat bullshitty. I'll tell you why. Now, it is true that they did mutually agree to terminate their contracts. So that that part's right, but this was not a mutual decision. Caesars basically came to him and said, we're closing your show because you did this. And they ended up negotiating that they're just going to mutually terminate the contract and both walk away, meaning that uh, neither would have any kind of breach of contract action against the other. That, that's all it means. It, it doesn't mean that they both decided together to be done. It means that Caesars said, you're not going to perform at any of our properties anymore. You're gone. We're closing it, and we definitely have the right to because of what you did. And he's like, uh, could you at least just let me just out of the contract? I mean, I'm not going to fight that. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to sue you. But could you just, like, let me out and have this be a mutual termination? Okay, fine. We'll do it. That, that's how it went. It, it did not go with where they talked about it together, and Frank's like, you know what? I, I think it's probably best if I leave. You think so, too? Yeah, I think so, too. Okay, good. It wasn't like that. They kicked him out. He wanted to stay there. But... uh um, it, it was basically them firing him. Them, them. Uh, they had every legal reason to be able to terminate the contract, probably based upon a morality clause or whatever was in there. So, they, they, yeah, but Truff, sorry, one thing. I mean, if 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 MGM owned the show and he did it at their property and they paid him to have the show, wouldn't MGM be selling the merchandise? Are you, I, I, I thought you're gonna make an MGM uh, lawsuit. I'm sorry, my my bad. I, I thought you were going to say next that uh, I thought you were going to say next that if if MGM was the property that he had the show at uh, that they'd probably be suing the audience members. Yeah, everybody bought a T-shirt. Those five extra dollars. So, uh, so okay, there were people fired. There there were people fired. I have to think this is some sort of joint venture where. Uh, they don't own the merchandise, you know, that he's selling it in their venue and that he's either paying rent for the, the shop that sells it or maybe that they get some of the proceeds. There were people fired over this. So, yeah, that, that were Caesar's employees. It doesn't, no specifics were given on that, but there were actual Caesar's employees fired over this. And I'm guessing these were probably the people who should have been doing, uh, checks on this that, that should have been, keeping tabs on where the money was going since uh, Caesar's reputation was at stake too and not letting Frank manage the whole thing. That's that's my assumption here as to why there were Caesar's employees fired. But uh, um, definitely he was the one collecting the money. It's possible he had to pay Caesar's some cut or maybe he's just paying rent for the place. I don't know. But that, that wasn't disclosed. 
but 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 definitely there is some kind of incentive for him to sell merchandise. Like when you when you and it's like that at all these shows. If you go to any of these shows and then buy merchandise afterwards, the the performer definitely benefits from each one you buy. It's not just that the uh, corporation owns it. Yeah, so, there are a lot of bands that they made a lot of their money or a significant portion of it, not from ticket sales but from merch. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I, I don't George, know how much George Lucas with Star Wars. Oh yeah, he made a fortune. Famous that. example. Yeah. I, I don't know how much he was making off of this, but uh, he was the one who was supposed to send this money in for the charity, and just stopped. Apparently, he was before, but he stopped at some point. And it's quote quite some time. He said so. It, it wasn't a matter of weeks or months. It sounds like a very long time, probably years, that he wasn't doing it to where he couldn't even claim that he was just behind. It was something. It was something that was so long that there was no excuse as to why it hadn't been done. Especially, especially because every single day, seven days a week. He would get up on stage and say to go buy this merchandise and that he will donate some of the proceeds to the Make of Wish Foundation. So he can't claim he forgot. It just wasn't on his mind because seven days a week he talked about it on stage. Guilty. <laughs> so, so I can't imagine how he could have claimed this was negligence. How can you forget for a long period of time when you're mentioning this every day as part of your act? How does this not come into your mind? Hey, you know what? I haven't sent them anything in years. Have some sympathy, okay? Hormone therapy and pancake makeup. I mean, it's not cheap, you know? (laughs) So so that that brings us to the question of why. why. Why would he do this? And we don't have an answer. Um, I don't believe for a second this was negligence. It seems very, very clear this was intentional. But the question is why. As Cal Watts said, he was not required to do this. He was not required to give anything to charity. He could have just said, if you enjoy the show, like to support what I do here, or you just, you know, you, you just love the show in general, like to have some merchandise, you know, go buy it. Whatever. He could have done a sales pitch in so many ways that did not involve any kind of charity donations, then none of this would have happened. So why even say you're going to donate to charity? And then not do it. Or if you were doing it before, why not just quietly end that practice and just stop saying it? Maybe that would have been reported at some point, but it wouldn't have been anything like this type of scandal, nor would he have lost the show for it. So why continue to claim you're going to donate some portion of the merchandise sales to charity and then not do it when you just have an option just not to say you're going to donate it? I think that this is what I guess. I guess that originally they come, came up with this idea that they will sell more merchandise if they donate a certain portion to charity to where it's worth it. So even after what they give to charity, they do better than had they not uh, say – if they didn't say they're donated to charity, that actually the, the charity element sells more merchandise to where it's worth donating. They actually make more money this way. That's, that's my guess is that why they started doing it. And then, after years of doing this, I don't know how long this has been going on, where they, I, I assume they were really donating for a while, because I haven't seen in this story that he never donated, nor did he say that he never donated, but uh, he did admit that for quite some time, they haven't received a check from him. So, at some point, he just stopped. My guess, we'll never know the answer, but my guess is that at some point... He either forgot to pay for a while and then it was then kind of thought about it. And, you know what? what? What if I just stop sending the money? Is anyone really looking at this? I mean, you know, th- does it really matter? Maybe he maybe he 
reason to himself that he's underpaid, that uh, he's not making the money from this show that he should at this point, that uh, he's already given so much to charity that uh, it's just a little extra income he could get. He's not taking from the charity. He's just not giving to them like he claims he will. So he just rationalized that and just kind of thought nobody would see it. Just kind of a quiet thing someone does behind closed doors that they don't think will ever be found out. Now, of course, it was very stupid because you cannot have a high-profile show like he has had in Vegas for 33 years and say this on stage every day. And as Trader Ruski said, someone could even have been in the audience who works for the Las Vegas Make-A-Wish Foundation. You, you can't say something like that and then not donate and expect it never to be found out. So... Very seems stupid like, things. It seems like poor strategy, Drew. It was a terrible strategy. So, yeah. uh, I my guess is that it, at first he it, it may have been negligence, maybe for a few weeks or months, and then he just kind of thought, oh, screw it, you know, who wants to just send them checks? Maybe he just sees the money in his account. Maybe he was having financial problem. Maybe he he spends too much money and uh, just didn't have that much, and maybe just this extra little boost. Maybe he just it was a hard thing for him to do to be holding the money and then write a check to the charity and i've always found this in human psychology involving money is that it's much harder to have money first and then give it away in some way i don't mean give it away like a gift but i mean just uh give the money to someone else or something else when it's already sitting in your account than not having received it in the first place that's why i always advise people when dealing with businesses big and small that if they ever ask you to overpay first, if there's like an error on the bill, to over, you know, don't overpay first and expect a refund later. Never overpay. If you think the bill is wrong, never pay the amount they're asking if you think it's wrong. Always make sure you pay the correct bill and not a penny more because getting the money back from them once you've already paid it is a lot tougher than getting them to adjust down an incorrect bill. The getting money back from any business, holding your money already, much tougher. And I think this might have been some form of that where he's already holding the money and he actually has to send them a check coming out of his own bank account. And maybe at some point it got harder for him to do, especially if he was struggling financially in some way. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think we'll ever know. Uh, he does plan to try to bring back the production in the fall. He does not say where, but he claims it will return to the Strip in the fall. However, not only is he very likely done from Caesars forever, I can't see them forgiving this. Well, you're claiming you were donated charity and just stealing the money, but uh, yeah, it's been a few months. We'll give you another chance. Like I, I can't see them doing that, and I can't see a large company like MGM touching him. I think that MGM has their own problems now. <laughs> the last thing they need is uh, you know, for their, for their PR now. The last thing that marketing guy needs, you called earlier, is to now have a, a charity scammer performing for them. So uh, They might just say, fuck it and go for it, Drew. Yeah, maybe what they, do they have to lose? Yeah, maybe right? they're like, you know, our reputation is so trash at this point, screw it. We're going we're gonna to bring him here. But yeah. I, I think he'd probably return to some sort of independent, small property that's willing to take the chance to have a long-running show there and not worry so much about uh, their brand, if he does return at all. That's that's what he plans to do. But But he's saying the fall. He's not even saying that this is going to be immediate. So maybe he's saying that to give himself time to find something. I don't know. Uh, the There's a second issue to this whole thing. Well, second and third issue. So the second issue is that 
unrelated to this, Marino was very unhappy with Caesars and the Link for quite some time. I don't think that's why he did this, but it, it also might sort of been what justified in his mind doing this, because he felt he was being uh, mistreated by Caesars and the Link in some ways. So that what he said at the end about how it was, it was an amazing experience to perform for them, blah, blah, no, not, not true at all. I'll tell you why. Everything was fine for about five years. And then in 2015, a magician named Matt Franco, who I think was on America's Got Talent, he was signed to perform at the Link. And they were so enamored with Franco that they renamed the Link Theater to the Matt Franco Theater. And that's also where Frank Marino performed. They also dropped the news to Marino that uh, Matt Franco is such a big deal that he needs the nighttime spot. So Marino... Or sorry, Franco was going to perform four nights a week. And they said, we need him to perform at night. So, Marino, you've done a great job here. You've performed seven days a week, and we've given you the night spot for the entire time, for five years. But sorry, uh, that has come to an end. So, three of the nights a week, you will still have the nighttime spot when Franco's not performing. When he is performing four nights a week, you're going to be moved back to 4 p.m which is kind of a crappy time. Most people don't want to go to shows in Vegas at 4 p.m. They People tend to like to go to shows at night. So the 4 p.m. time slot is more reserved for the secondary shows. So Marino was very insulted. He was insulted that he got moved back to 4 p.m. on four of the seven days. He was insulted that the theater was named after Matt Franco instead of him. Went on stage, and Marino would welcome people to the theater. He always welcomed them to the Link Theater and never once mentioned Franco's name. And that was on purpose, of course. Furthermore, he was mad that they were not promoting his show enough. He felt that uh, this show had become secondary to them and that there was not much promotion and as a result, the show was not doing as well as it could have been. That was his opinion and he had a lot of arguments with Caesars about this but they would not budge. So he wasn't very happy there. So that could have played into it. I don't know when this started. I'd be interested if, it, if this started in 2015. I don't know when this started, but it is possible that the ongoing non-donations to charity that he had promised would go to charity, it's possible that he saw this as a way of uh, compensating himself for getting screwed by Caesars. Maybe that he thought he would have made so much more money if he was still performing at night for those four nights a week. Maybe he was thinking he would have made more if they promoted him the way they were supposed to, or the way he felt they were supposed to. Uh, Or maybe he felt that he would have made more money if the theater was named after him instead of Matt Franco. So, people will do crappy things and sometimes find ways in their mind to justify it. I don't think he looked in the mirror every night and said, I'm an evil genius stealing charity money from kids. He didn't do that. In his mind, he believed he was doing the right thing for some reason. Or is it, or is it at sure, least... You sure it wasn't more like... <laughs> Actually, it's probably more like... <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. He, he might have a pretty deep voice. You never know. 
Well, actually, I, I've, there's some videos on, on YouTube of him performing. You can find a few of them. If you look on YouTube for uh, Frank Marino uh, Divas, you can find some. Uh, let me see here. Um, here, I'll play this. I think this is... Get ready. Here, I'll, this is a promotional video. I'll play for you guys. I haven't even seen before. I just pulled it up right now. So we'll, we'll see it for the first time. We'll hear it for the first time together. You won't see it. For superstar female impersonators like you've never seen before, Frank Marino's Divas Las Vegas. Starring Las Vegas Entertainer of the Year, Frank Marino, as Joan Rivers. You know, I think my father would kick my ass if he ever saw me in this dress. That's him. That's his voice. It's his. Divas Las Vegas, where you'll see superstars like Cher. Do you believe in See how Diana Ross is. Now, now keep in mind that Cher was not him. That's uh, He plays Joan Rivers. Cher is a separate person. There's a bunch of different uh, performers here. Still truly supreme. You'll be amazed by Celine Dion. The electrifying Liza Minnelli. Pop princess Britney Spears. Country superstar Dolly Parton. Our own material girl, Madonna. You'll dance with Lady Gaga. I I don't think that's really them singing. It really looks like just lip syncing. These, these sound like the exact versions of the songs. Uh, the, I will say, you guys can't see this. What they're showing here, the, the drag queens, they do look pretty convincing. Like They look very much like the female celebrities here that are being uh, impersonated. But either they are... They probably look better than them at this point. Some of them, <laughs> anyway, true. right? Uh, but uh, I... I'm sure the drag share probably looks hotter than the real That, that is point. true. That part's true. But I, I wonder if they actually do just lip sync or if they're just dubbing that in for the promotion here. Nah, if it was good enough for Millie Vanilli, it's good enough for them. <laughs> it is true that a lot of Vegas shows, the, the singers you're watching, like the real Britney Spears, they, like a lot of times, I don't know if Britney Spears does, but a lot of times they are lip syncing. So I guess that's true. I, there's a lot of lip, lip syncing at live shows in Vegas. So uh, anyway, that's, that's a portion of one of the, promos for it but it's gone you can't see it now possible it comes back if you find some casino to to grab it but so that's that's point number one there on the side of this was that he was unhappy for playing second fiddle to matt franco the second thing is for caesars that they're not yet out of the woods now yes he can't sue them for breach of contract because it was a mutual termination but Nevada Gaming is investigating them. Nevada Gaming is investigating to see if they unwittingly violated any gaming regulations regarding this entire mess. And that investigation is ongoing. Now you might wonder, how could there be any gaming violations having to do with a drag show? There was no gambling during the show. Um... I'm wondering if it has to do with uh, 
the fact that there is an association with gaming, maybe they've given away comp tickets for the show. Uh, maybe there is some sort of connection there to where gaming would have authority over it. I, I would have thought it didn't. I would have thought this is just kind of on the hotel side. But maybe because there were comp tickets being given to the show. You know, something like they give a guy comp tickets to the show in exchange for playing, of course, at the casino. And then while at the show, he sees that, uh, you know, he enjoys it and he wants to buy some Frank Marino's Divas merchandise because he thinks some of the proceeds are going to charity. And then it's not. And that the only reason the guy was there, because he was given comp tickets to buy it, and then kind of tricked into buying merchandise where uh, it was supposed to go to charity, and, and it did not. So that that could be a way that it's connected to gaming. That's just my guess. But there, uh, the Nevada Gaming Control Board's administration division said that they are planning to meet with Caesars officials to review what led to Divas closing. Well, that's already known. And if Caesars violated any gaming regulations. Mike Lawton, who works for Nevada Gaming, said this is an ongoing investigation. We are currently in the process of setting up meetings with Caesars. Our agents are gathering information over the next week or so. So I don't know how much of a chance is that Caesars will get fined over this. But they're not totally out of the woods with Nevada Gaming. And remember, they did fire some people. So gaming may want to know, how was it that the full control over donating to this charity as promised was left to one individual. Why were you guys not monitoring this? Why were you not ensuring these donations occurred? And I'm sure that's why some people got fired because they were supposed to have done so. Interestingly, he did not blame anyone else, which really makes me think that this was entirely his doing. He even said that he did not send checks. He did not say we didn't send checks. He said he did not send checks. His exact quote was, Make-A-Wish has not received a check from me for some time. And he wouldn't have to say that if it's just divas making the donation. So it really sounds like this was his donation that he just chose not to give for a long time, despite claiming he was doing so. So I really think this is just some kind of greed that just crept up over time and perhaps justified by the belief he wasn't being treated well. That he deserved the money. Maybe he thought if Caesars wasn't mistreating me and making me play second fiddle unfairly to this Johnny-come-lately magician, I wouldn't have to do this. Who knows? But very weird. Very weird after 33 years on the strip to be doing something like this. And I can't imagine this that much money. I don't even know, as Calwatt said, I don't even know how much, what percentage that he was giving away. This all occurred at the very beginning of July, by the way. This is about a two and a half week old story by this point. But uh, let's see if I can find... If he actually gave a percentage. Oh, here, this is interesting. So here's a new article about it, which I hadn't seen until now. It's a, an article that was just published last night 
I, I should have looked this up before doing the story, but you know, we always produce the show during the show, so there we go. Uh, there, there is some discussion of what was going to happen between him and the uh, the charity, and it seemed like what he was offering was that when he's performing again, that he'll give like several times what he was going to give before from his sales. But he doesn't have a show right now, so that's kind of a crappy offer. But according to the Las Vegas Review Journal, that the uh, that there's been a, a dispute that was uh, settled, and that uh, Frank Marino has committed to an unspecified financial settlement of the Make a Wish Foundation, covering the donations he had promised. But a provision of the agreement is that the total amount would not be made public. But he did say that the figure would exceed what was owed, quote, many times over. Now, I think the reason, this was just announced yesterday, I'm just seeing this right now. The reason I think that they wanted to keep the figure private is probably for a few reasons. First of all, because it's probably something pretty high, and (laughs) it would probably really piss people off to see that he had kept this much and that he would have not donated had he not been caught. Uh, I, I think that's the biggest reason. And I think it's also possible that he doesn't want to expose how long it had been. Like, if the number was big enough, he'd go, oh my god, this must be going back, you know, five years, ten years. So, uh, I, I think that was also the reason, is that he, di- he didn't want it to look as... He didn't want people to see the figure and go, oh my god, that's what he's been keeping? How long has this been going? <laughs> the, the longer he's been doing this, the more outrageous it is. Uh... I still don't see what percentage he was promising. The board of directors at Make-A-Wish Foundation approved the settlement. This is uh, a statement from uh, Make-A-Wish. Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada and Frank Marino and his company, Herlarious Entertainment. Get it? Herlarious instead of hilarious. Herlarious. Entertain- That's a good one. Entertainment LLC are pleased to report they've entered into a mutually agreeable arrangement to resolve the issues surrounding payments to make a wish from proceeds derived through the Divas Las Vegas show that ran at the link. Then Marino said, "We are thankful to the staff and board of directors of Make a Wish, and while we appreciate their, their and we appreciate their hard work and efforts to fulfill the wishes and dreams of children facing terrible illnesses, there's no greater th- gift than the gift of kindness and love, except." the gift to myself of charity purchases that were supposed to go to them, but instead stayed in my pocket. That, that's an even bigger gift. The CEO, or sorry, COO of Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada, Carolyn Sioka, said, We're thankful for the support that we received from the Las Vegas community, including from performers, performers like Mr. Marino and so many others to strengthen our crucial mission of granting wishes to children with critical illnesses. Our ultimate goal is to transform lives one wish at a time. Now, I, I wonder, uh, since he was donating to them before, how did he end it? Did he just, did he tell them we're not sending you money anymore? Or did he just stop sending checks? Like, why did they wonder over there if this was coming from the show why he's not donating anymore? Did he tell them something or did he just stop sending checks and they just assume that 
program was over. I'm just, I'm kind of, I mean, it's not their fault. They, they they don't have to monitor why he's not donating anymore. But I'm surprised it went on as long as it did if he was donating previously. But uh, I, I wonder how they felt at Make-A-Wish when this came out. Like, like, were they pissed? Were they happy that they knew they were going to get paid now? When it's kind of, you know, kind of like found money for them. What was it? Because clearly they didn't think they should have been getting it prior to this coming out, or they, else they probably would have said something. Here they probably thought it was over for whatever reason, and then they didn't know he was just pocketing all the money that was supposed to go to them. Uh, when it, now he did mention in his statement on July third that he wanted to continue working with them, but. When asked about this, his attorney said that the partnership is to be determined for the future. So they haven't uh, they haven't agreed to work together in the future. They, this is just a settlement to fix what had happened in the past. Caesars did self-report the incident to the Gaming Control Board. So the Gaming Control Board didn't come down on Caesars. Once they got wind of this, Caesars went and told them, hey, this happened. But they probably figured they had to. They, you know, it's going to be found out pretty quickly anyway. And uh, in case you're wondering, uh, Frank Marino is 54 years old. So he's been performing this since he was 21. I, I thought he might be older than that. If, he, if you look at his picture, he looks older than 54. To me, he looked like he was in his 60s and had a lot of plastic surgery. So that's an update on this whole thing that was released in the Review Journal last night. And uh, I wonder if if he starts his show again, <laughs> wouldn't he just be better off just not to have any charity element to it? Wouldn't that just bring up hard feelings? Wouldn't you feel weird buying merchandise at this point, knowing that he did this before? Like, I, I know you could say the lightning struck once, it probably won't strike again. But wouldn't you just feel weird buying this charity merchandise, knowing that he stole the money in his previous uh, several years of doing this. I hear Jacep is starting another poker tournament. Well, I was going to bring that up. So we've, we've had this issue right here on Poker Fraud Alert. We don't have to look to the Las Vegas Strip to find this. Uh, we had this uh, something very similar happening here, except it wasn't me stealing the money, thankfully. This is what happened. In 2013, a, a January 2013, a, a big scandal unfolded on Poker Fraud Alert. We had a member named Jacep whose real name is John Sepulveda. And in 2012, late 2012, he had sold pieces of himself to play cash games, which I thought was stupid. And to be honest, I should have just said no. But the the site was less than a year old at that point, and I I didn't have any rules in place against it. So I didn't endorse this, but uh, I didn't tell him he couldn't. So he did. And there's no right now. There's a rule. Ever since then, there's been a rule here that you have to clear such a thing through me. And uh, you know, I, I would not have cleared this had it been brought to me. But here, he just did it, and it wasn't against the rules of the time. And and what uh, Jacep was really doing was just pocketing the money. He wasn't really playing poker. He was just uh, for, for you know he post these reports and, and claim he played and yeah he'd, he'd claim he won and then right before it was time to pay people he'd claim he had a bad session and, and lost most of it back and uh, uh, the truth was he was not playing poker then 
when he started to worry that people were figuring it out. And the, I think someone someone wanted to come sweat him who was in the area. Not out of suspicion, just someone who had invested who just wanted to sweat him for fun. In, instead of going and playing, I think he probably blew all the money by that point. Uh, he made up some absurd story about how he and his daughter were getting death threats and that he's reported to the police and for that reason he's afraid to go play and just some crazy story like that. Anyway, the whole thing started to unravel, especially after that whole death threat story that seemed very uh, conveniently timed. It all came out that Jacep had stolen the money, had not played poker at all with it, and there was money that was being donated to a charity called a 22Q, the 22Q Foundation. And in fact, there was even a charity tournament held where people who won money in the tournament would then donate it back to 22Q, but the problem was that the donations would actually be made by Jacep. He was holding all the money for this tournament, so he stole all that too. So he never sent anything to 22Q. They just uh, they they knew there was like a, a kind of like a benefit for them, and there was a, a show about them, but they they didn't know that there was this tournament that he was going to send the money for. Like all, all this money that was supposedly going to be donated to them from this tournament, they had no knowledge of that it was ever going to come. So they didn't think they were missing anything. Anyway, it all came out. At first he made various excuses, then he, he tried to claim that uh, some, some girl he knew was holding the money for him and that she ran off with it, but he doesn't want to name her. It, it was all a bunch of lies. Lies upon lies upon lies. The truth was he had a gambling problem and stole all the money. The money for 22Q, the money for uh, his, his buy a piece thing. Uh, in total, he stole about $12,000. Amazingly, We've recovered that. In fact, uh, the, the Poker Fraud Alert Spring Classic was somewhat funded by that. And and also, everybody was paid back who got screwed by it. Uh, aside from a few people we couldn't reach that just disappeared over the years. But everybody else was paid back. But the only ones we did not pay back intentionally was the 22Q Foundation. And that was because they refused to cooperate with the investigation that we were doing. They wanted nothing to do with it. They kind of took the attitude of, we didn't know the money was coming, so we don't want to help. As far as we're concerned, we don't feel like we got stolen from because we didn't know it was coming, which is really crappy. So here, we had a whole, you know, like, it wasn't we, it was actually, it was a weird thing because it was technically for his site, Jacob had a site at the time called Vegas Poker Radio. It was technically for his site doing the charity podcast that was a 24-hour podcast that Brandon was part of and China Maniac was part of and anyway they it was technically their site but because Jason had stolen all the money he didn't have enough money to pay for any kind of decent web hosting so he had like a $5 a month uh, super cheap web hosting plan that could not do this type of broadcast so he actually broadcast through the PFA server so it was actually on our server that it was broadcasting from. And uh, it was in our poker room, too. So, anyway. He should have just sued everybody who donated. <laughs> so so they wouldn't help. Yeah, you, gotta, you guys are all pussies. That's funny. They, they wouldn't help. 22Q was very, very uncooperative and just... You know, even though this this podcast was, was centered around that, and a lot of people came on, even Negreanu came on and uh, and helped promote it, and uh, like a baseball player who, whose daughter had that twenty two Q 
condition came on. I think it was Ryan Dempster or someone who came on. It was, like a lot of people came on there. A lot of uh, well-known poker players and as that even a baseball player came on and a 24-hour uh, podcast for it live promoting the whole uh, 22Q Foundation. And after all that, Jacep stole the money. And we went to them and said, hey, can, can you give us at least a statement about this whole thing? And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. After a lot of pressure, they released a very, very ambiguous statement that was not helpful at all. It, it was really weird, like they were covering their ass in some way. We even wondered, you know, were they covering up something else that might be found that was shady if they were looked into? We don't know. But boy, were they uncooperative. When They were, they were the victims, too. Th- their attitude was basically... You know, thanks for trying to raise money for us. Now, F you. So, we said, screw them. We don't, uh, you know, they can make their own effort to get the money out of JSIP. We're not going to go retrieve it for them. They don't deserve it. They they didn't want to help. So, uh, that whole thing was kind of embarrassing for Poker Fraud Alert, even though this wasn't technically our thing. Still, the tournament ran in our poker room. The broadcast was done through our server. Many of our own users got involved. You know, Vegas Poker Radio was a small site that uh, basically had a subset of users that had come from Poker Fraudler originally. So, it was very associated with our site, and I was very upset to have seen that occur. And I changed some rules on the site to prevent that in the future. So, uh, yeah, we had that. We we had uh, the charity stuff where the money never made it to the charity. But uh, it was run by someone else, and uh, it was technically associated with a different site. But uh, but still, I, I should have just not allowed the whole thing. If I had to do it again, aside from not trusting Jacep, but you know, we didn't have a reason not to trust him before that. He had seemed okay before that, as many scammers do. But if I had it to do over again, over again, aside from just not trusting him in the first place, I would have demanded to hold all the money. I would have demanded to hold all the money for charity and in that charity tournament and and uh, the, I would have just not let him do the buy a piece thing in the first place, especially for cash games, which are so easily falsified. So that's what I would have done differently. And I made a lot of different rules, including like when there's any contest on this site of any kind, if, if the prize is like more than $100, that I have to hold the prize money. This way, someone can't just disappear once the prize is won because they don't feel like paying anymore. And uh, yeah, if there were ever to be like a charity tournament again, again, I would be the one collecting all the money and then distributing it. And this way, everybody would feel better because they know I'm not going to fly the coop. They're not, they know I'm not going to stiff anyone or scam anyone. They they know that I'm really going to do what I promise with it. So uh, it's a lot easier to trust. I'm going to do it when I've been a known figure in poker for almost 20 years. And, and have such a good reputation in these type of matters than just some user who you know seems like a nice guy, but you don't know if you can trust him. And that's what Jason was. And it turned out you couldn't trust him. So, But but uh, again, props to Brandon and China Maniac and, and many other people I won't name who really put a lot of effort into tracking down Jason in subsequent years and putting a lot of pressure on him to return the money slowly. And it was a Brandon and China Maniac did by far the most work on that. And that's one of the few 
recover money from a scam or success stories. It's, it's very uncommon. How often, how, often do you, how often do you see that, where a community gets scammed for $12,000 and over years it gets recovered? And not because the guy you know, hit the lottery and won a lot of money. This is a guy who didn't have much and, and it was squeezed out of him. And not through any kind of illegal means, just from threatening him that everyone in his life was going to know about it for eternity. And there's nothing illegal about telling the truth. So, he did not want that. He didn't want that tainting the rest of his life, the rest of his jobs that he would hold, and relationships and everything else. Uh, So he decided it was worth it to pay up. So, that... Weird story, though. It's much easier to believe someone like Jason would do it than Frank Marino, the 33-year-running Vegas Strip headliner. All right, so um, this this is the part. Calwatt, you still awake? Uh, we lost Calwatt before. Uh, he's still here. No, I'm, I'm I'm barely here. Okay, well you'll, you'll like this. This is this is a segment I know you you want to be part of because you brought it to me in the first place. Uh, the, the Kate Hall segment. Is this the thing about the midget strippers? No, that'll that'll be the next one. Th- this is the Kate Hall segment, and. Kate. Oh dear God! <laughs> You're the one who brought it to me. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about that. You're the one who brought it to me. I forgot to do it last week, and I felt so bad. So, uh. so th- this is what Kate Hall tweeted on July 13th. This was the date of our last show. I just forgot to mention it. This is at 8:37 p.m. Just just moments before our show started on July 13th. I mean, you, you're not going to believe this one here. Okay. Walking on the beach just now, and a kid asked me if I was a boy or a girl. And I couldn't figure out how to say both or neither, and so I just said girl. And now I feel like a liar and a coward. I don't even know where to start with this. Uh, okay, let, let's just start very simply. Uh, Kate Hall, we've made jokes about her having really long, bony fingers and looking like the Crypt Keeper and all that. But, but the truth is, just, Kate Hall looks like a female. She doesn't look androgynous. She doesn't look boyish. She doesn't look butch. She looks like a tall, skinny girl. That's what she looks like. Nobody would look at Kate Hall and say... Is that a dude? Nobody. Well, I mean, forget about that. Let's say she did look kind of androgynous. Like, what kid just walks up to someone and asks that? Yeah, that's the other thing. It's it, fucking bizarre. Yeah, like, yeah. So, uh, so both things. Like the kid just approaching her on the beach and asking this, and why? Why approach her and ask this? That, that's crazy. Like, wh- why would anyone, kid or otherwise, suspect that Kate Hall? And you guys can Google her if you don't know what she looks like. That she could be a boy. There's no chance. Nobody would ever think that. You could you could ask ten thousand people who look at Kate Hall on the street. Uh, do you think she's a boy, girl, or don't know? And it's not a trick question. So this isn't like a tranny thing. They're saying just just from her appearance, 
Does she look like a boy or a girl? You can't tell. 10,000 out of 10,000 would say it's a girl. And, and go look at her. I mean, you'll see. There, there's no chance that anyone would ever be confused by this. So a kid supposedly walked up and asked her this. But then here's the second part, which is even more absurd. I couldn't figure out how to say both or neither. So I just said girl. And now I feel like a liar and a coward. What? Okay. So how are you both or neither? And how do you feel like a liar or a coward to call yourself a girl? So even if you want to say that this kid just for whatever reason couldn't tell, how are you not a girl? I've never heard this before. I've heard a lot of weird things from Kate Hall over the time, or shall I say read. I didn't really hear it from her, but I've read a lot of weird views and opinions from Kate Hall over time. Like she once diagnosed herself as autistic, supposedly. Which weird things like that she'll post. But I've never once seen any indication from her that she has any kind of gender identity issues. Never. Well, she's been hanging out with the polyamorous people. She's probably been, you know, bending a few genders and doing all sorts of stuff. And uh, I don't know. I mean, there's no way to justify it. She's just like, I'm, look at me. I'm an attention whore. Let me say something to get attention. Yeah. You know? it's, it, and it's what's also weird here is that uh, not only is Kate Hall not uh, transgender in any way or gender queer, whatever they want to call it these days, uh, if, you're, if, if you're kind of in the middle, not only does she never identify that way, she's always just been female. But she also, from what I've seen, is not even bisexual. I've never seen in all the talk. She loves to talk about she's a slut and this and that. She loves to talk about that. But she'll never once mention messing around with another woman. Everything's about guys. Everything sexual about is that she mentions on her Twitter, which is a lot, is always about guys. And for someone who is so desperate to be accepted by the social justice warrior crowd and to be seen as one of them, and to have legitimacy in all those ways, you'd think she would be dying to let everybody know that she's you know, doing stuff with girls. Never once. So I, I think Kate Hall is completely straight. I think she is a completely straight female who has no gender identity disorder whatsoever, and this disappoints her. I think she feels boring. I think she feels like she's a fraud, not in that she told a kid that she's a girl, instead of both but that she feels kind of like a social justice warrior fraud because she's just an ordinary heterosexual white female. So let, let's suppose for a second that, you know, maybe, maybe like I said, in uh, the crowd she's been running in, maybe she's been tinkering around with being, you know, doing some girl on girl, you know, some lesbian type stuff. I, I got some friends of mine that are lesbians and they still will tell you I'm a girl or I'm a woman. You know, like there's no, it, it doesn't make well, yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, right, it, it, right. It has nothing to do with that. Just just like there's gay guys out there that don't say, oh, I'm not a man. I, you, you, just because you're gay doesn't mean you're the other gender. That's yeah. a, I'm a gay man <laughs> yeah. or I'm a gay woman yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, so so this is this so is. Did so she st- get like an elephant trunk stapled to her vagina? I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. She doesn't explain what she means by this. And then, uh, so I think she just felt like she was boring and almost like a fraud as a social justice warrior if she really is just a heterosexual white female. So I think she had to throw something onto her personal resume so she could identify with this group better. 
with so she, she decided to throw in the trans thing that she's just declaring herself trans in some way or gender queer in some way or wh- whatever she wants to be and and of course there there's no chance this boy on the beach came up and asked her this the whole thing's made up right that's contrived like i have no doubt in my mind that that part of it is contrived but then then we got to get into like what is the motivation here you know <laughs> it's a, it's a, i mean it's attention like that that's that's most attention Virtue signaling. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's more tension than anything else, though. Well, there's no virtue. There's no virtue being signaled, right? Well, see, see here's. I, I really think it is because she wants to be part of some kind of victim class. See, take a look at her. Mm. She's. I believe she's from a wealthy family. She's white. She's heterosexual. <laughs> she's. Uh, you know, she doesn't have any gender identity disorder. There's nothing she can claim aside from yeah, being she's, female. She's a pretty young white girl. She's had a terrible, fucking horrible, t- tough life. Yeah, she, she. I think she went to like. A, I think she went to an Ivy, Ivy League university at one point. Like, like she. She. This is someone who cannot claim any kind of victimhood unless she really wants to stretch and say, "Well, being female is, is a victim class." That's the only thing she could stretch and claim makes her part of any kind of victim class every other way she's very very mainstream so she's had a rough life drop <laughs> so so i think this is the way to to try to claim that but then she's being kind of lazy about it. she's not actually even living that lifestyle she doesn't she doesn't want to live the lifestyle of a person who's trans she just wants to say she is in some way but so, she's not even saying she's trans. Yeah, she's, she's just, just both or neither. Yes, I think she's kind of going for like a gender queer thing or something like that. Not that she's trans, transitioned to a man, but that she's kind of both. That's, I've always said that's kind of like the lazy way to go about it, just to get attention or to, um, yeah, to explain your differences, to make yourself more interesting. So if you're like a, let's say you're a girl with some interests that boys also typically have, that there's, where you're a tomboy in some ways. But but that you live every day as a girl, you just it's a few masculine interests you have. Instead of saying, "Hey, Drew, I'm a girl Drew, who has some masculine we, interests," we get, I'm gender queer. Set right now, Drew. Yeah, my my pronouns are oh, no. he, sure, he, she, they. Okay, can you handle that? Uh, almost, but they are. Do you think you're multiple people? I, I don't know. That's how I would. Those are the the three pronouns that I am allowing you to use okay. are her. She or they? Oh, he's. Uh, you said he, she, or that. Okay, it's, it's her. She well, or I wasn't. Sh- I wasn't sure. Oh, I you're. I, sure. You know, in the last a few kid seconds, walked okay. up to me on the beach and asked me <laughs> if I was a man or a woman, and I, I, I didn't know. You know, I, I just wasn't sure what to say. Now, by, by the way, <laughs> you want to hear what kind of what kind of uh, echo chamber she has on on Twitter? Now, there were some who were skeptical of this, but surprisingly, there were idiots responding who, instead of telling her she's crazy, are going along with it. So. First of all, someone who did ask a somewhat critical question, Daryl Fish, a poker player, asked, "Why not just say both or neither?" He, he didn't expand. And she first wrote, of all, it's a fucking kid. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't, you know. Okay, let's let's say for a second we believe that this kid walked up to you. You don't have to do a soul searching, gut wrenching answer for a fucking kid. Well, so so he asked, "Why didn't you say both or neither?" And she said, "I panicked." <laughs> so so then then came a response from a person named Carrie Bland, which is Carrie underscore Bland on Twitter. I don't know who that is. She wrote, "It's so easy to panic, Kate. Never feel like a coward or liar when navigating a system of labels. But from my experience, kids are so easy and accepting. You could just say a little bit of both, and she slash he would nod and keep building a sandcastle." XX. Uh, no, that, that the kid would say, 
first of all, the kid wouldn't have asked that, but the kid would have said, what do you mean you're both or neither? You, you look like a woman to me. I don't understand. Like that's, so then, uh, Gabo boy actually got in on this and asked, uh, was the kid who asked you a boy or a girl? And she didn't answer that. Uh, then, uh, and you know, I know Jimmy, and I think he's probably asking genuinely. But and here's the thing: like, let's say again, I have to put so many suppositions out here just to get past all this stuff. But let's say this fucking kid did really come up to me, and I really was like conflicted about it. It's a fucking kid. Just say like, "I'm Kate." But you someone know? said that. Someone suggested, "Why don't you just say I'm Kate?" Right, and and then uh, well, she said she panicked. Here, here's from Seth Dunlap. I don't know who this is either. She must have some followers who are just like part of the SJW crowd that's not really in poker. Seth Dunlap wrote, "Really appreciate this tweet, Kate. I do not understand the absolute hate you are inundated with, not only on this thread but on Twitter in general. Keep doing and striving to make this world a better, kinder place. Are these people for real? Like, why don't these people who are writing this type of stuff to her?" Looking at her, even looking at her other tweets where she's never once said that she has any kind of gender identity disorder and that you know everything you've seen for up till now that she's female, looks female, acts female, identifies as female. Um, wh- why don't you question this? Wh- why do you think she's enduring hate here? Why do you think that? Uh, wh- why do you appreciate this tweet? It's like what are these people thinking? I think they just have these knee-jerk reactions of someone's claiming some sort of oppression, we've got to support them. Just turn off your brain, support them. Uh, I mean, I'm, honestly, Druff, I don't... <laughs> I, she's definitely a source of entertainment, but I don't have any hate or ill will for her. But, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, <laughs> does she really take this seriously? I mean, I guess she does, but... God. Well, then so, someone else wrote... It's to, incredible. Someone else wrote to her, this uh, Sammy Tassoon, I don't know who that is, but wrote to, he wrote a good response. Uh, you need to work on your table image. Oh, <laughs> is, there, is there... Okay, so I, I heard reports. I obviously wasn't there this summer. But I heard reports that she was going with, uh, you know, the no shower, no makeup look. Uh, I, I didn't see her. There. Mm. I, I, I didn't see her. I was kind of hoping I'd get to a table with her at some point, but no, I didn't. Uh, you, you might have mistaken her for a bag lady or something. but Maybe I mistook you know, her even, for a man. Even if she is going for that, you know, all natural look or whatever, she's still got, like, you know, some of the trappings of a girl. No. You know, she's got long hair. Yeah. She's got some titties, you know. And it's just, yeah. Very thin like no, a girl. She's, yeah, she, she wouldn't look like a – she'd have to really look work to look like a guy. She'd have to shave her head and, you know, be wearing something that is kind of, you know, strapping her breasts in or whatever. And even then, you know, there's still, you can still tell. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. So that's. Uh... Poor fucking kid. Kid's fucking scarred for life now. <laughs> uh, someone else is just confused. I don't know who this person is, but uh, uh, at, at Rationally Crazy on Twitter. I'm confused. Well, that, that's a great Twitter name to be tweeting. <laughs> uh, I, I'm confused. As a girl, wouldn't answering girl just be the truth and not make you a liar slash coward? Are you transitioning? Right. This is not This is not meant to be an offensive question. I'm just legit unsure of what brought those feelings on you because when I saw you on TV, I thought you were a girl. Exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, right. Why is she not a girl? Like, why are, why is, like, 
why are very few people questioning this except for a few uh, poker players who just... You know, no, this is going to be difficult for me to do because I would make probably one of the ugliest girls on the planet. But but let's say that I was part of the, the trans community, right? Yeah. And I, I was, you know, I either had transitioned or was in the middle of transitioning or thinking about it or, or whatever. If I see this, like, rich white girl coming out and saying stuff like this, I'm going to get offended by that. You know what I mean? Like, how is that? Why is this someone trying to talk about cultural appropriation? She's like, I don't know, like gender appropriation or something. I don't know what she's doing. But wouldn't that, I would think that would be somewhat offensive to some people in that community, wouldn't you? Yeah. I've always thought that too. When, when people just... I mean, you talk about like cultural appropriation, but it's always aimed at just uh, stupid things of, uh, you know, a, yeah, a, 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 a white girl wears a Chinese dress or something dumb like that. But, but, uh, this really is appropriation that what they should be focusing upon are the fake transgender people who do it just for the credibility of, of, of being uh, different or victimized or, uh, or, or get attention. They should focus on people like that and say, look, people who are actually transitioning people who actually really do transition genders do have a lot that they have to go through both uh you know medically and uh with society and with their own families and their own friends uh, this would be a hard thing to do if you think about it you know picture right now if you wanted to transition to the other gender and live full time with that other gender uh there would be a lot of disruption in your life. There would be a lot of hard things about it. There would probably be people in your family who wouldn't accept it. Right. And so, so I can feel for these people who go through this and have to deal with all of that. And, and so I think this is just uh, really disrespectful to actual transsexual people when people who live full-time as the gender they were born as and, and make no effort to live as the other, other gender start to claim that their str- your struggles are theirs too. Because they're not. Well, and we're not even there, though. Like, she's not even trying to do this. Yes. Right? She's not She's not doing anything. That's, she's just saying it. Yes, that's the point. They're just, they, 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 they want to take on the victim status and claim they're oppressed for it without actually doing any of the things that would actually get them oppressed. They, they want to just live, they want to live normally. She wants to live normally as, as, a, uh, as, as a heterosexual white female and then claim that. She's not female, and that those who don't accept this are oppressing her in some way. That, that's what's so offensive. That's why those who really are going through all the the actual trouble, right? That that, that it's got. I, I would be pissed if I were one of them. I would really be pissed. So, uh, th- some other responses. <laughs> A guy named uh, Black Murder sixty nine. Another good uh, Twitter name. Oh dear God! Black Murder twenty sixty nine wrote, <clears throat> "Damn, your chest that flat." Some good answers here. I'll give them that. Uh, so here, here's another one from SJW. Please don't feel bad. And this person did like like three – first, they did like three bunny emojis at the beginning. This Brad Cheng, which is at Cheng Brad on Twitter. So Brad Cheng did three rabbit emojis for some reason and then wrote, please don't feel bad. Little children don't understand both or neither. You did the right thing. Sometimes it takes a while for grown-ups to figure out, to figure it out too. 
Or is also a logically loaded word. You can technically be a boy and a girl and answer the kid correctly. In any case... Yes, you you can, but she's not. Yeah, but she's not. (laughs) Right. In any case, you're not a coward or a liar. And then she wrote, not, he wrote, not calling pocket aces or bluffing don't count. I hope this guy isn't really a poker player. I hope he's just saying that because he knows she is. It's, I, I got to be honest, Ruff, and you, you're around kids a decent amount, too. I don't think I have ever in my life been angst-ridden about anything a kid has ever said or asked me. Yeah, I haven't you know either. I, mean? I haven't either. I mean, you know, give me a break. Yeah. So, all right. Well, this this... That that's nothing much more to say about that. It's just Kate Hall being a weirdo again, and I, I just don't know fully what the motivation was. I don't know if she really is going through a phase where she really thinks she's not a girl, or if this was just for completely for attention or kind of a combination of things. It's so weird. Even for her, this was weird. So you know, we we've had a bunch of stuff from her over the years that was just seeking attention, but then relatively recently, we have had her self-diagnosing as being autistic, right? Yeah. And we've had her go off to live in a polyamorous house somewhere in San Francisco or something like that. And now we've got her being incredibly upset and angst-ridden about some probably made-up kid that walked up to her and asked her if she was a boy or a girl. And she was so angst-ridden by it that she felt like a liar and a fraud for answering girl. Like... I mean, definitely before she was just seeking attention, but is there something honestly wrong with her? I, I think you know there is I mean? to some degree. I think there 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 is something with her. I I, I don't know what the diagnosis would be. Do you mind? We have a lawyer we consult. We we don't have like a psychologist or psychiatrist. We need we need one of them to step forward. Maybe, out of all the right. listeners, we should have one. We should we should have. If you're if you're actually a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist, please step forward. And, and come on the next show and tell us what's wrong with Kate Hall because she. I have to agree there is something weird going on with her. There, there's something not quite right about her, and I, I don't know exactly what it is. But there's there's some kind of disorder she must have. And I I don't have anything against people that are trans. I mean I know a couple of people that are right, but they're legitimately going through it. They're, that is legitimately like their thing. Yeah, you know. Well, she's I, a fraud. Yeah, I I have a, a I have a a trans woman that is a guy who transitioned to a girl who's a friend of mine on, on facebook this is someone i knew from a long time ago uh actually from the world of party lines and he actually used to run them and i started hearing rumors like in the early 90s that he liked to dress up as a girl he liked to pretend to be a girl and so it wasn't a surprise that uh some years after that that he actually decided to really transition and live full time as a girl, and, and he does now. So, uh, whatever you know, like like he and I actually still have some common interests in, in certain things. Uh, nothing related to transsexual stuff, but you know, but uh, like in phone when stuff, out, and, rough. <laughs> and phone stuff, and radio stuff. And when he posts about it, I just like respond normally. Like like I don't, I, I just treat him like anybody else on, uh, right. or treat her. I guess now I don't know what, what to call. It, but yeah, I, I treat this person. What uh, like just anyone else, and I actually call them by the name that they, they go by now, which is a, fe- a female name, and and that's that. So, like, I I can fully understand those who are transsexual that they they are going through struggles. I do believe there are people who are born just really their whole lives just feeling like the other gender, 
and feeling like they were born in the wrong body. And then it becomes very tough because you have to decide, do I just kind of deal with it or do I go through all the trouble that comes with transitioning, both medically and socially? And either way is not easy. And there's an additional problem that can occur now that we're on the subject. Uh, Like, take the the more common situation of the males transitioning to be female. That's far more common than the other way. Uh, if you can do it, if you happen to be born with, uh, you know, kind of a feminine looking face and, and, and you're short and skinny and you, know, you can pass as a woman or even in some cases an attractive woman, then your life's going to be a lot easier because a lot of people on the street won't be able to tell. Most people you meet will never know if, if you can transition and be what's called passable. So, then, yeah, sure, when it, with dating, it's a challenge. You, you have to eventually reveal it to people, or it's better if you reveal up front. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's still complications. But <laughs> Yeah, that'd be nice. Otherwise, it's like the crying game. But, uh, you know, it, it's <laughs> – at least at least with the average people you meet out there, they never have to know. You never have to tell them. You'll, get, you'll go get a job. You don't have to tell them. You, you, uh, you don't have to tell people you meet on the street. People don't stare at you. You, you know, people don't regard you as a freak. So a lot of stresses that can come with being transgender will not apply to you if you happen to be lucky enough to be able to transition and be very convincing and passable to where people will just believe you were born that way, that you were born the other gender that you've just transitioned to. Unfortunately for a lot of people, uh, that's not possible. Like uh, f- for myself or Calwatt, if either of us tried to transition to become a female, uh, no matter what we did, it would not be believable. Uh, the height would be a very big factor, but there'd be other factors too. It would just be very, very difficult. I could just say uh, I was a former WNBA player. <laughs> so it would be very difficult for either of us to become a woman and have anyone believe that we were anything else besides a transsexual. So uh, for those people, it's a lot harder because you're, you're never going to be – everyone's going to always see you as a transsexual, and uh, many people will just always define you that way. You won't be able to just transition and, and only have to tell you know, the few people who need to know. So it, it becomes a lot harder, and then you can face a lot of discrimination for it and a lot of other things that come along with it. That's where it becomes a lot harder, and that's why the transsexual suicide rate is actually very high, both those that do get – that do actually transition and those that uh, that never do, because sure. uh, because both ways they're unhappy. Because uh, yeah, it's it's not going to be an easy to deal easy thing to deal with at all, right? I mean, you're under a tremendous amount of internal strife. But I mean, with Kate Hall, it, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf, or the girl who cried, or the I'm not sure somebody <laughs> cried wolf somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like if I if I. <laughs> If I hadn't seen all of like the craziness and all of the attention whoring from her over the years, and I saw this tweet from her, I'd be like, well, okay. I mean, it seems a little bit dramatic to get so angst-ridden over this, and the scenario seems contrived. But okay, you know, that's what's going on. That's fine. But coming from her, like, I just, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. No, no, the whole thing. <laughs> you know, I the whole thing's so it. weird. The whole thing's so weird, and. uh, uh so, so that happened, and then so now we have a second thing that occurred. Uh, this is another ridiculous tweet, unrelated to Kate Hall, but about equally ridiculous. I don't know which which one's worse. This one, uh, 
This is from Prahlad Friedman. And yes, that Prahlad Friedman, the one who uh, claimed to be the, the anti-corporate hippie for so many years, wouldn't sign with any poker sites, even when he kind of blew up as a well-known, good, no-limit cash player and uh, got deep in the main event one year and was on TV and uh, you know, could have signed during the poker boom with some well-trusted sites such as Poker Stars and chose not to and claimed the reason he wasn't was... Well, be- Truff, Truff, I'm really sorry to interrupt you, but I think I found something from Kate Hall that might explain everything. Oh, okay. Well, we'll go ahead. I, I don't mean to... I, I wanted to get it before you got into the meat of this, this tweet. So there's a tweet from her from July 15th. It says, Server asked what I was reading, and I watched his eyes fill with panic as he read the subtitle realizing that he was, in fact, speaking to a crazy person. So she's reading this book, and it's called, the the title is The Archaic Revival, Speculations on Psychedelic Mushrooms, The Amazon Virtual Reality, UFOs, Evolution, Shamanism, The Rebirth of the Goddess, and the End of History. So maybe she's just, you know, she's hopped up on some psychedelics, and she just doesn't know what the fuck's going on. I thought you were going to read me something like this. She tweeted about realizing she wasn't female, but now this is just a bit more general. But yeah, 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 it's possible. We 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 can't dismiss drugs. That's true. All right, sorry. Back to Perlot. Okay, so back his, back, uh, back to Perlot. Back to Perlot. So, uh, so he wouldn't sign with any site when he could have, and claimed it was because he is not ever going to sign with evil corporations. That all corporations are evil. They all screw the little guy. And that that he won't do it. He's not going to be aligned or promoting any corporation. And he was always very, very, uh, you know, very, very much part of the uh, counterculture. Uh, always claiming he was for the average person and a big environmentalist and just very, very anti-corporate. And he even uh, made left-wing political speeches when he'd win a tournament. Like, they'd present him with something. He, he never, you know, they didn't have a bracelet ceremony back then, but when he'd get up and speak after winning some kind of tournament and he'd make it all political. But, uh, he showed himself to be the ultimate hypocritical limousine liberal when he signed with UB after the cheating scandal. After the cheating scandal, after they were very uncooperative with paying people back what they should have been paid and very non-transparent about the whole thing, they claimed it had new ownership that those who had cheated people were no longer owners, but then it came out that they probably were, and Prahlad could not explain that. But nonetheless, he signed with them, even though he was one of their biggest victims. They stole more than half a million from him. And probably under-refunded him. But he signed with them and promoted them. And people begged him not to. Even Daniel Negreanu took him aside and had a long discussion with him about it. And even I had a discussion with him about it. It didn't matter. He had made up his mind. And I remember we had him on Donkdown Radio. And his absurd reason for why he claimed that he was signing with UB to be their main sponsored pro, aside from Phil Helmuth, who was already there. 
uh, he claimed that uh, they gave him such a large refund from when they cheated him that there's no way they could have cheated him for more than that because the refund was so large. And therefore, you know, they, they have to be on the up and up, which is absurd. He didn't even say, like, he analyzed all the hands and realized the refund was accurate. He just, oh, the, the, the number was so big, and uh, so it, it, had to be, it, you know, it had to be right. It had to be right. It couldn't have been more than that. Why not? That, that was the reason why he decided they were honest, he said, and was supporting them and was promoting them as their, their biggest victim is now their biggest advocate, which I think held a lot of weight with people because there, there was a lot of reports out there that Prahlad was one of the biggest victims, and now he's coming out saying it's a new UB. And I think people signed up because he was on board with them. And what happened? They cheated everybody all over again by just simply stealing all the money on deposit. Never apologized to people. Never said he made the wrong decision. Even Joe Seabach kind of apologized and said he made the wrong decision. Prahlad never. Just wants to bury it. But yet he still waves the flag of the progressive social justice warrior who cares about everybody, who cares about the little guy. The obvious question is, why didn't you care about the people who were playing poker that got cheated? Why, why did you lead the lambs to the slaughter? Why did you lie to people that there's new ownership when everyone who was credible was telling you there was not? Why did you have such a lack of curiosity about the actual ownership? Well, I can tell you why. He was on a big downswing at the time. Because there were sites that would track this, and you could see he was on a like eight hundred thousand dollar downswing on poker stars, and he was living in an expensive house in Malibu, and he you know he he lives a very uh, high end lifestyle, and he did not want to give that up. This is just my theory. He didn't say this, but I believe that he was really starting to hurt for cash. He's on a big downswing, so he had to drop this whole thing of oh, I'm not going to sign with anyone, and I think UB offered him the most money, and he took it. But what a huge hypocrite to do that. The same guy who said, I won't support any corporations and wouldn't sign with poker stars for that reason, goes and signs with the most evil corporation of them all. And when people try to talk him out of it and present all the facts to him, he just dismisses them. And then after the whole thing goes sour, and they really do steal from everyone a second time, never even apologizes, and still pretends like he cares about the little guy. He got the little guy stolen from all over again, despite all the warnings not to do this. Didn't care. It's one of these things where he wants his words to mean something, but his actions not to. Anyway, I've talked about this many times, but... uh, Occasionally, he will still tweet things that are just insane along that same social warrior, social justice warrior vein. And one of the things he likes to do, he's always had an obsession with rap music. He sees himself as a rapper. I've played some of his ridiculous raps before here. But this is a guy, this is a white bread Jewish guy from a rich family who is about the opposite, the most opposite of black that you could find. Okay. And he just has had a long-standing obsession with black culture and kind of wishes he was black. He really is what they call a wigger. 
in some ways. Oh, boy. You're in trouble now. So you Use the W word. <laughs> so so uh, this, this happens sometimes. Sometimes, uh, you know, rich white kids, they, they just feel some kind of weird shame about it, or they just think it's uncool. And they, they start to romanticize the, the black kids from the ghetto. Why couldn't I be more like that? Or I, I, I want to take the part of that's cool, but not actually live with any, any of the uh, poverty and oppression. So that's, that's basically been Prahlad. And uh, really the ultimate limousine liberal, especially with his actions regarding UB. But he'll still sometimes tweet about ridiculous racially related topics where he takes an absurd position, especially – as a white guy who hasn't experienced any of this oppression himself. This is not like a black guy who's endured real racism in his life. This is, this is a, a, a rich white guy from a rich family who has never had any experiences that uh, mimic those who uh, are black and, and growing up in the ghetto or anything like that. I mean, he's about the opposite of that. So this, this is what he tweeted today. July 19th, 2018, 9, 19 a.m. Tired of seeing only whites and Asians at these final tables. Obviously, systemic racism is responsible for this because everyone likes poker. To fight back just a little bit, I'm willing to give free advice to any non-white, non-Asian peeps out there. Hit me up and I'll follow you. Can you believe this? So... He thinks systemic racism at the poker table. I don't know how are the are the dealers, you know, purposely dealing the better cards to the white and Asian people. Somehow, systemic racism is responsible for whites and Asians repeatedly showing up at the final tables. He had to throw in the Asians because, uh, you know, for example, an Asian had just won the main event a few days earlier. So he can't just say whites because yeah, an Asian just won, and there are a lot of Asians who are successful in poker. So so he he's got to throw the Asians in there too. It's not just the evil white man anymore. It's the evil Asian man as well. So tired of seeing what, only what 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 the fuck did the Asians do? Well, they they made final tables. Oh come on! So did the whites do? That, that's why the the whites and Asians are, are making final tables. So the only reason this is happening, according to Perlot, is systemic racism. So somehow there's racism in the cards. I don't know how, but so, somehow there's racism in the cards. Somehow at the poker table. The non-white, non-Asian person is at a disadvantage, according to Prahlad. Obviously, I, I would actually respect him more if he only was picking out white people. <laughs> you know, because you know you can you could complain about colonialists and all these other things, but I don't I don't get it. Like you, you can't just like pick and choose. You know, I mean. This is crazy. So, yeah, it's systemic racism responsible for this. The funny thing is he doesn't make the only conclusion that, that could – there'd be one thing he could say here that could be semi-reasonable. And I say semi, I don't agree with it, but at least it's not completely insane. Is he could claim that there just aren't that many black people playing high buy-in poker events uh, because of systemic racism that's keeping them at a lower economic status where they can't afford to do so. That That would be like – the closest he could claim to it. But he's not even saying that here. He's just saying that they're not making final tables because of systemic racism, almost like like somehow there's some force, there's some racist force keeping black people, Hispanic people from, from succeeding in poker. He's not even saying they can't enter and can't really play. They're just, they're just not making final tables because of some kind of racism in a card game. 
So, so then he's saying to fight back, he's going to give free advice. But you can't be white or Asian to any non-white, non-Asian peeps out there. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. And when I read it in the show notes, it said tips. I thought he was talking about, like, giving actual money. Oh, no, no. It's advice. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's advice. He's giving poker advice that you. Wait, so he's not he's not actually putting up. He's not actually no. know, putting his money where no, his no. Is? He's not he's not backing any non-white players. No, no. He's just he's just giving you poker advice. But you can't be white or Asian. Now I have a question. Um, Daniel Negreanu has expressed a desire to always learn. I'm not kidding. Daniel says that he he actually uh, does training with people. That is, you know, he he is being trained. That he's he's constantly looking to evolve and keep up with the uh, the kids who uh, who seem to be getting better and better. That he doesn't want to just keep the same skills he's always had. He thinks he he will you know start losing. So and that's a good idea, and that's that's humble of him. In fact, so so the question is here: since Negranu is always looking to improve, and since Prahlad is willing to give these. Uh, the, the free poker advice out if you're non-white or non-Asian. Uh, since Daniel Negreanu did blackface before, could he send Prahlad a picture of himself in blackface and get that advice? I don't think that's going to go over well. Daniel Negreanu really did do blackface, though. You could, you could Google it. You, I remember. Daniel Negreanu blackface. You, you won't believe it, but he really he really did, and somehow he didn't think it was inappropriate. But... but uh, um, yeah, you can't be white, you can't be Asian. Uh, now, what about an Indian? Some people consider Indians Asian. Everyone except Americans consider that Asian. Yeah, but what would Prahlad think? What if an Indian, what if uh, uh, Diraj Gupta sent him a response and, and said, uh, Okay, my friend, I would like to, to get the poker advice from you. Can you help me? And uh, what would Prahlad say? Ah, uh, no, man, I said no Asians. You know, you may not... You may not get that uh, them slanty eyes, but uh, but uh, no, you're Asian. In my book, are, are you Indians here? I see you. You're all in the medical schools and and the, uh, in these engineering jobs. Yeah, you got you guys got too much privilege too. Screw you. There's too many good Indian po- Indian poker players too. So yeah, I bet he'd include Indians because they, they there's successful Indian players as well. So. Well, I guess this is his form of affirmative action, right? He wants to see a more diverse final table, so he's going to give advice to whatever races he thinks are underrepresented. The, the funny thing is, I guess the funny thing is, he could have changed this around to not look as ridiculous. He he could say that uh, there just aren't that many people of color in poker, and for that reason, the final tables tend to be. Uh, Whites and Asians and other people of color are not represented, and uh, so so any people of color who just like some poker advice, uh, let me know and I'll give you some. But that would be a lot harder to criticize. But here he's talking about obviously systemic racism is responsible for whites and Asians being at the final tables, and uh, and it's it's got to be that because everyone likes poker. He says, "It's like what a, what a leap of logic there." So. And then it's, actually the way he wrote it is, I'm willing to give free advice to any non-white, non-Asian peeps out there. Instead of like, hey, if, if you're if you're a person of color you know, who is part of a group that just doesn't ever seem to make the final table, uh, I, I'd like to see your ethnic group more represented, so I'm going to give you some free poker advice, let me know. But to actually write non-white, non-Asian peeps, <laughs> that's pretty obnoxious too. You know, I mean... 
I don't know. The the thing that always bothers me about stuff like this is it really it really seems like he sees the world through a prism of race. Yes, totally. Which is like I don't know. I mean, is that is that a good thing to be doing? No, it, it never is, and that's that's the problem. And 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 he's he's trying to find racism everywhere where it doesn't exist. And uh, I, I think what bothers me the most about this whole thing is that if you're going to put out tweets like this, then you can't be the guy who led all the common people into a scam knowingly. You can't be. You can't have done that. Once you've done that, you lose the right to, to say things like this. I mean, he can say it, but you, you look like a hypocrite. You you can't. He already proved that he his own personal wealth was more important than keeping innocent people from walking right into a big scam. That was obvious. He proved that. He proved he was that selfish. Now, there's a lot of selfish people out there, not just Perlod, but but once you're that selfish, then you cannot claim to care about social justice. You can't claim to care about the little guy. You can't claim to be anti-corporate. You can't claim those things at all because you've already shown from your actions that you don't really believe that when it comes to your own behavior and your own actions. So uh, that's that's what bothers me the most reading things like this. I mean, this is just put very stupidly, and he's taking huge leaps to see racism where it isn't. But, but to see it's from him is, is, is where it's... Most insane. So what I what I wrote back, I, I couldn't respond directly to him because I'm actually blocked on his Twitter. But uh, I wrote back when someone quoted his Twitter, so everyone could see the quote, the quoted Twitter at least, and respond to that. I, I wrote, was systemic racism responsible for primarily whites and Asians being the ones cheated by UB? Or was that responsibility partially prolized for knowingly promoting a dishonest and cheating site because he wanted to keep living in Malibu? <laughs> oh, man. So I can't I can't imagine why he's blocked you. <laughs> yeah, well, so I, mean, I, I got a question. So he says no whites and no Asians, right? Yeah. Now, what if you're mixed race? What if you're oh. half white, half Asian? What, what What if you're half white, half black? Do you qualify then? And in addition, wasn't he at one point married to an Asian lady? Yeah, that, that's a good. Maybe that's why he's vilifying the Asians. Is that, is that what it is? <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe he's bitter towards Asians. That's I didn't think of that, but you're right. Maybe um, because he's as long as he's still with her, it's he's uh, with a much younger, like Hispanic girl now. Right, and which are allowed. Yeah. Hispanics are allowed. Yeah, they're, so they're allowed. Right, tips. they're allowed. But the Asians can't. So maybe the the divorce is so bitter that he he hates Asians now. Maybe that's it. So. So the one half is self-loathing, and the other half is loathing his ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense. It's all adding up now. All right. <laughs> I could just see it. Like, he sees John Sin win it, and he's like, those damn fucking Asians, they're always winning here. They <laughs> Just like they won against me in divorce court. I hate them. Oh, God. Did she get the house? I don't know. We, well, actually, I think she did because we if called she up got the house. That might be the reason. Well, we 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 did some investigation here. We we actually had the phone number, and we called up while the divorce was going on, and she answered. And and he had moved out. We were definitely they were not living together anymore. And she answered the phone at the house. We we mm-hmm. called that we called that on radio to find this out, and we just hung up when she answered. But uh, it was her, 
and so at least now the the house has been sold since then, I believe. But at the time she was living there and he left. Now he lives in a house kind of nearby, also in the hills over Malibu. And uh, I don't know where he lived in the interim, but he loves living in that area. And I don't know where she lived. I don't know if she still has that. Actually, I think it did sell. I'm not sure where she is now. And I haven't really seen her in poker recently, so I I don't know what she's doing now. And the other thing that he totally went the other way with is, is she was older than he was. And then he went way younger. I think she was like 12 years older than him. And, uh, or 10, something like that. Something like, yeah, so like around a decade older than him. And then he went like two decades younger with this girl. Yeah, good for him. At least he went the right direction. Is he still with her? I, I think he is. Someone told me that, um, they responded to this latest tweet he posted and then like someone favorited it with the same name as the girlfriend. So unless it was like a troll account, which it probably wasn't, he's probably still with her. Like, I think the person like made a sarcastic response back to him and the girlfriend mistook it for uh, being like complimentary. So I think he's probably still with her trying to promote the musical career that he hopes she's going to have. So, uh, anyway, that's, that's going on there. And, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't find that nearly as ridiculous as the Kate Hall thing. Really? Okay. I mean, well, I mean, it, it was close. To me, it whatever. was very close. It was close. It, it was, the reason I thought this was so ridiculous was the systemic racism causing the final table. Like, like it just, I can't think of a way that could possibly even happen. In, in, as soon as, as you, as soon as you start like just randomly picking races for, he's basically being results oriented, right? He's taking whatever races happen to be winning, and he's saying, "Oh, these are the ones that there's systemic racism, and that's the only reason they're there." You know, it's not because you know there are more of them playing than other races, or I don't know. The, the whole thing just bothers me. Like, why, why, why is this even a discussion? You know. He just brings it up out of nowhere. Yeah, it's it's just it's again it's kind of like Kate Hall just wanted to wave the flag of of being the impressed uh, the oppressed victim. I think that this uh, I, I think Perlod just likes to wave the flag of the the hero of the oppressed. I think he wants to be seen as as, as the one who speaks out on their behalf and helps them and uh, uh, understands them. He wants to be seen as that guy. And he, this was his opportunity to notice it. But, you know, maybe, maybe the point you raised is true. Maybe he, he really does have some <laughs> hatred. I'm not even – I don't think this is even a joke. I think it might actually be true that maybe he does have some resentment towards Asians and then an Asian just won the main event and he was mad. Maybe that's, maybe that's what the whole thing is. <laughs> maybe, he's, maybe he was rooting so hard for that uh, Tony Miles to win. He's like, come on, Tony. Don't do that with the Queen A. It's a trap. It's a oh, – no, you're drawing dead. It's an Asian's going to win. No. <laughs> But maybe that's oh what was happening. God. Maybe he was watching and just just tearing his hair out as he's watching that huge pot developed where the the white guy was drawn dead and the Asian guy was going to win. I don't know. Maybe maybe is the maybe it is some uh, maybe there is systemic racism. This but the system is his own system and the racism is against Asians. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. And he has to throw in the white I, thing. Too. I guess. <laughs> Who knows? 
By the way, if anybody wants to see, I don't know if you've seen this yet. Um, have have you seen the picture of me uh, at a computer for you know, taken a while ago? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to, go to the Flying Stupidity Forum on Poker Fraud Alert. It's not you in drag or anything. No, it? no, it's not that disturbing. Uh, and click on uh, p- picture of me programming PokerFraudAlert.com right before it went up, and then all of you stressed me out with your bullshit and made me age rapidly. That's the name of the thread. And go ahead and click that, and and you can all right, see, and you can see a, a, a picture of me as you've never seen before, not in drag. Not in drag, but um, it's not clear where your right hand is in that picture. I know. People have brought that up, that but, uh, I may have been doing something on the computer that uh, there's a reason I'm smiling in that picture, people are, are saying. I'm going to have to do a CSI thing and enlarge that monitor to see what's on that reflection. <laughs> so uh, what year do you think that picture was taken? And you guys can look, Fuck. too. It's, it's on the Flying Stupidity Forum called The Picture of Me Programming PokerFraudAlert.com right before it went up, blah, blah, blah. Like it, you'll find it there. So I think you were like 25 in that picture, whatever year that makes Wow, well, you're very close. I was 24. That was, ah. a, that was a 96 I was taken. So that's if you guys wonder... What did Dandruff look like when he was young but not a kid? What What if he were someone who was in poker, like right out of college, like some of those poker kids that uh, broke out last decade? What would he have looked like? And the, you you can see. So I, I pretended that was me pro- programming Poker Fraud Alert six years ago, and I've just aged like twenty years since then. But uh, no, that would be disturbing. Though, what if what if I really did look like that when when I put up Poker Fraud Alert in two thousand twelve? And and now I look like this. I was close. I, I would have to say if that if that were true though, what I wrote in the thread, then everything from this site would not be worth it. The forum wouldn't be worth it. The radio show wouldn't be worth it. If I if, if I'd really aged that much in, in the last six years, but I, I would be deserving of, of compliments at that point to to look like that at age forty. All right. Uh, Let's see what else we got here. Let's see. Did the Prelod topic? Oh, okay. Um, not going to be a long topic here, but a, a listener requested it, and I, th- I think it's worth giving you a list in case you're curious about it. Uh, some people are uh, wondering where you can... Uh, bet legally on sports in the United States since that bill passed. And uh, we talked about this a lot on the show that each state has to individually legalize sports betting now. So even though it's now no longer federally illegal for states other than Nevada to offer sports betting, that didn't mean that you could just go bet on sports in the other 49 states, that the states themselves had to legalize it and write all the regulations and that it would be some time. Now, some states were all ready to jump at it once this happened. They were waiting for this day and, and did it almost immediately. Others uh, pretty much have to start from scratch. So someone asked me, well, where has it gone since then? W- what's, what's happened since then? Where, where can I bet? 
Is my state possibly included? And I don't know it. So I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh, Nevada, obviously, has been for a long time a state where you could bet sports. And when I'm talking about betting sports, I'm not talking about these. uh, There were a few very, very limited types of sports bets, like parlays that were allowed in a few other states besides Nevada. I'm just ignoring those because they, they were so restrictive that it wasn't worth even doing. So for this conversation, I'm only talking about full sports betting. So some states are ready. Some states were partially ready. Some are still going at it. And some have taken no action. There are only three states right now where you can bet sports legally. Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware, which also happen to be the three states where online poker is legal. Nevada, New Jersey, Delaware, now you can bet on sports. You can immediately do so. Now, what about states that have passed bills legalizing it, but to where there isn't actual full sports betting yet? Just they haven't put it all in place yet. But the bill has passed. It it is now legal. It just isn't really going yet. There are five states like that. That would be West Virginia, Pennsylvania, your state, New York, Rhode Island, and Mississippi. Then there are a number of states that have introduced bills to legalize sports betting, but these have not passed. So maybe the bills will pass, maybe they will go nowhere. You know how those bills are, you never know, but at least there's been an effort. Those states are California, Iowa, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, Kentucky, Kansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, South Carolina, Maryland, and Connecticut. If you did not hear your state mentioned there, there has been no attempt to legalize sports betting in that state. That includes large states like Texas and Florida. They've done nothing. Georgia has done nothing. Arizona has done nothing. Washington and Oregon have done nothing. Wisconsin, Minnesota, they've done nothing. Massachusetts, they've done nothing. Virginia has done nothing, even though West Virginia has passed a bill legalizing it. So that doesn't mean they never will. Now, some states probably never will, like Hawaii, Utah, Wyoming. I couldn't see any of those allowing sports betting. Uh, Now, which ones at least have... uh, Sorry. So, so, so the you you can find a list on ESPN. It was a story that was done on uh, July fourteenth, and they're constantly updating it. And it's called it's a type in ESPN sports betting bill tracker, and you'll find the article where you can constantly keep track of this. And that's the best way to keep track of this after this show, as this is constantly changing. So there are 25 states in total, sorry, 26 states, that have either legalized it, fully have it already going, 
or have introduced bills. Then there are 24 states that have done nothing and may or may not ever do anything. And then there's also D.C. where nothing has been done. So that's where it stands. And uh, they have a little bit more information on that ESPN article about each state individually of what they're doing. But I'm not going to bother to read them to you. If you're interested, you can find it. So just wanted to cover that. And it, it really is up to your individual state. The federal government's kind of out of it at this point. And the states can do what they wish. Calwan, have you seen the video of that police chase? Uh-oh, is Calwan still here? Shows he's here. I am still here. Okay, so... You know I saw it. So, uh, Trey Ruski, are you still awake, or has the tea gotten to you? I guess if the tea got to you, you're not going to tell us. I think he's gone because he hasn't said anything. There, there's time. no way that he was awake during that Kate Hall segment. And that's said right. That's right. He would have said something. Okay. Zero shot. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm just going to kick him off the call. He's just gone now. Just, to, it just makes me feel better when, when, when he's gone, when he's fallen asleep. It makes you feel better when he's gone? No, it makes you feel better that when, once he's gone, that I can remove him from the call and then it's just final. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to, it doesn't stress me out wondering if he's there. I don't feel the need to try to talk to him. I just uh, it's just closure, you know? It's it's just closing the chapter on Traderuski for the night. So I've just I've just thrown off the call. So it's just you and I now. But yeah, that police chase video, boy is that insane. And when I first saw it, they released it a few days after it occurred. And that's when pretty much everyone saw it. But when it was first released, I I was one of the earlier people to see it and that people weren't talking about it yet. So it was shared on Facebook, and someone was like, oh, this is insane. So I, I turned the thing on, and I watched for three minutes, and it was pretty boring. It was There was a little excitement when the cop would say, shots fired, shots fired. But to be honest, I couldn't really see the shots coming at them, and I, I couldn't see any evidence of the shots being fired. I just heard the guy saying there was. I'm like, okay, I guess this is mildly interesting, a cop chasing a guy claiming that he's being fired on, but... You know, it wasn't, I didn't feel like I'm watching something that was super attention grabbing. But then the final minute's a different story. So it was a four minute video, and it was taken through a body cam of a Las Vegas Metro police officer. And these have actually resulted in a lot of interesting footage over time that otherwise we wouldn't have been able to see. And it's much more interesting to see footage like this than just to hear it described. So this guy took... uh, So so his footage automatically from his body cam as he was chasing a suspect, actually two suspects in a vehicle, a stolen vehicle, and they were suspected of murder. Is what had happened was early in the morning, uh, two male suspects, two Hispanic male suspects, went up and uh, just shot some guy dead at a car wash. 
Not clear why, but they shot some guy. It may have been someone they had a grudge with. It may have been a gang thing. I don't know. But they sh- they just shot some dude dead at a car wash. And the vehicle that was described that they had been using was spotted near downtown Las Vegas at about 9.30 a.m. that same morning. So a police chase occurred where they were uh, the officer who spotted it started to chase the vehicle and uh, another officer got involved as well. And these were officers who were both riding alone. So uh, this video shows it from the point of view of one of the officers chasing the vehicle. And for about three minutes, as I said, they were just chasing the vehicle through Las Vegas streets, and sometimes the guy would yell, shots fired, shots fired. Though you couldn't really see, from what I could tell, the shots ringing out, but you know, they, they really were being fired. The, uh, the guys in that black SUV that was being chased, again, it was a stolen SUV, were, uh, were firing at the cops chasing them. And, and keep in mind, as far as I can tell... They didn't know the motive of the shooting, of the murder that occurred at the car wash earlier that day. So, some people criticized this car, this dangerous car chase, in that a lot of bystanders could have been hurt. Amazingly, nobody was hurt. But they could have, they, it was criticized by some that this could have caused a lot of innocent people to die between the gun battle that went on and, and even just the police chase itself, or sometimes people just get run down. Or, or, or accidents occur, that so, some departments have like a no-chase policy where they just don't chase. They're very unlikely to chase unless it's a super, super emergency. They don't they don't chase anyone who runs from the police. I don't agree with that, by the way. Uh, I, I think in most cases people should be chased or they're going to learn that that's the way they can get away, just by driving off, and they won't be chased. So, I think it's an unfortunate fact that sometimes innocent bystanders get hurt, but uh, the other way, I think, is too risky to allow criminals to just escape because they know they can get in their car and drive off and they can't be chased. But, but putting that debate aside, here I have to say they had to do it because someone was just murdered by these two. They didn't have a motive. It had just happened two hours before. And they can't just say, oh, well, we'll get these guys later because they could go kill more people. It, it's not known why they killed that guy, but they, they could just go kill it. It's not even like someone who would just like shot his wife and is now running. And he's probably unlikely to go kill other people. This, who knows? They shot someone dead at a car wash. Um, you know, Maybe he was in the process of a robbery. Maybe, maybe he was a guy they had a grudge against. Maybe they have 10 other people they want to go kill that they have a grudge against. Who knows? It, it was two hours beforehand. So when they find the murder suspects who just shot a guy dead in public, yes, you have to chase them. And if you know people end up getting hurt or killed, it's unfortunate, but that's just a fact of law enforcement. You have to do it sometimes. Fortunately, nobody did. So the most interesting part of this came in the final minute where one of the officers got fairly close and he pulled out his gun. And then he pulled, he put the gun out his left window, the driver's side window, and he was going to shoot at the car 
but then saw that he just couldn't get a good shot off from that angle. So he did something that I never really thought I would see in real life. I thought this would be something that had only happened in movies. He shot through his own windshield. Yeah, what the fuck? He actually just shot through the windshield. And I don't know if this would have been effective or not. I don't know if this was advisable. I don't know how strong these... I I always thought these windshields for cop cars were strong. So that would be a reason not to, because it would... uh, the, the bullet would lose a lot of its trajectory that way and also could lose its accuracy. But uh, like you'd see in a movie, <laughs> I shot through the windshield to fire at the vehicle, which, uh, by the way, afterwards it was investigated and it was found that 34 shots came from the suspects. So they shot at the police 34 times between the two cars that were chasing them. So anyway, at this point, the guy was, you know, firing several times through the windshield. And then what he did was he pulled up closer to them. And the car, for unknown reasons, came to a stop at a wall, which turned out to be the wall of an elementary school, of all things. And... One of the guys, who I, I think the reason they stopped, I think one of the guys was shot. And I think the guy who was shot was going to try to get away on his own and, if not that, get arrested and at least get medical attention. And the uh, the other guy was going to try to drive away. I think they were going to separate at that point. So the the vehicle stopped at this wall. And you can't really see this, but it was reported later this is what happened, is that the one of them got out, who I think was already shot, And the guy who was the passenger hopped over to the driver's seat. Now, keep in mind, both suspects were were firing at the officers. There were multiple guns in the car, and both suspects were firing the officers. So uh, I believe one of them had gotten hit. One of them had not gotten hit. The one who had not gotten hit uh, jumped over to the driver's seat and then tried to reverse and get going again. But by then, the cop who we were watching in the body cam stopped jumped out of his car while reloading his gun and started firing into that vehicle as it was trying to back up. And as he was doing that, then the car went back forward and kind of crashed into the wall at low speed. Wasn't that fucked up? It was like something out of a movie. Yeah, it it was. So, So then... And then you, the last thing you hear is him yelling the other one. It's not in all the videos either. Sometimes it cuts off before then. But I've, I've found one video where you see the, the very last thing you hear is him shouting to the other officer. Um, the other one went up the stairs. He's up the stairs. Get him. Something like that. So the other one was referring to the guy who had jumped out. Now, what we don't see on the video was that the driver, after crashing into the wall... And I'm not sure if he was shot or not. He may have been. That may be what caused him to go from reversing to go right back into the wall. But he did He did manage to get out of the car and then happened to be approaching the other officer who had just pulled up who was holding a shotgun and shot him dead. So the, 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 the guy who was killed of the two... Was actually it looked like he was probably just shot from all the 
bullets that were rained down upon the car. No, actually, he was uh, he may have been shot there, but the the fi- the fatal blow was him getting out of the car, and then the other officer uh, shooting him dead with a shotgun. Presumably, the guy got out of the car with a gun too. I don't know if he did or not, but you know, by that point, with everything that had been happening, they shot at the officers thirty four times. You don't just uh, you know, obviously, shooting him dead was the only thing you could do at that point. So. Uh, that was released uh, a number of days. I think it was released on the 16th. Yeah, that's when it was released on, on July 16th. So it was five days later. They were they, they reported this whole thing on the day it happened on July 11th, but they they re- released the footage on July 16th. And you can find it. Just type in uh, body, ca- body cam shows officer shooting at suspect through windshield. You could type in. That's the name of the video that I have up. On poker fraud alert, but any form of that will bring it up. So this started in near downtown Las Vegas, not in downtown, but near downtown, in an area that I had just been the day before on July 10th. And then it continued north and ended in North Las Vegas. The dead suspect is Fidel Miranda. A.K.A. Cabezon. That my favorite nickname is of the guy who's not dead. The guy who's not dead, who ran out, he was shot already, and he tried to escape. He actually tried to go into the elementary school. It's not clear what he was going to do there, but he was going. He tried oh, to get God. into the elementary school, but the door was locked. So uh, he ended up. Like he went into the courtyard there and hid in some bushes or something, and then they they found him, and that was that. So they they had they arrested him, brought him to the hospital. He is expected to survive. Uh, his name is Rene Nunez, but his alias or his, his street name was Creeper. So this is the guy that was going into the elementary school? Yeah, a creeper was going to the elementary school. That's K-R-E-E-E-P-R. Yeah, that's the guy I want going into an elementary school. Now, creeper is 30. The guy who was shot, Cabazon, a.k.a. Fidel Miranda, he was either 22 or 23. I've seen conflicting reports. Now, here's the disturbing thing. is At a press conference, the... Las Vegas Police Department listed all these pretty serious crimes that these guys had been uh, arrested for before and presumably convicted. So they, they both had very long rap sheets. So, okay, Creeper's 30, so at least he had a number of years to accumulate these. How is Cabazon out of jail if he's 22 or 23 and did all these things? Like, like how, how long did he serve for each of these offenses? How could he not be in prison at this point? That's insane to me. He just he just didn't have time to have done all these things and not still be in prison if the justice system was working correctly. So this really shows, it's not really being discussed, but this really shows uh, how the criminal justice system needs a lot of reform when it comes to violent crime. There's just certain violent criminals who again and again and again commit heinous crimes or even not heinous just you know violent crimes that are serious i shouldn't say heinous but you know 
violent crimes that are serious. That they're re- repeatedly committing a robbery and assault with a deadly weapon, and you know, over and over and over again. You know, you know these guys. It's only a matter of time before they do something really terrible, which is what happened here. It's only a matter of time before they graduate to to murder or uh, uh, you know, other things like that. So. Why are they not spending more time in prison? Why are they not being put away for longer for each of these crimes? I know there is an attempt to solve this in California and some other states with the three strikes law, uh, but unfortunately it wasn't designed that well and it got some criticism uh, because you know, the third strike, it didn't have to be that serious as long as the first two were, and that you know, brought a lot of people, it made a lot of people angry that some people were getting their third strike for relatively minor offenses. But if, if implemented properly, I fully support laws like that because some of these guys you know are going to keep getting in trouble. Some of these guys are going to remain perpetually a major danger to society if they just have this super long rap sheet in a short time. It's not going to get better. They're not going to turn over a new leaf. This is not one guy who made a mistake one time or hung out with the wrong crowd. This is you know just career criminals, career violent criminals. They're going to stay career violent criminals and you shouldn't have to wait until they commit murder to finally put them away. So, but it amazes me that a guy as young as this Fidel Miranda had done so many things and was was out of prison. So, but at least he won't be doing anything anymore because he's dead. But and Creeper, hopefully, you know, for uh, everything he did between the the murder at the car wash and firing at two police officers chasing him. Hopefully, uh, between all that, at the very least, he gets life in prison. I'd have to think he would at this point, combined with his priors. So these two guys, uh, one of them for sure is not going to do anything further. The other one's probably going to be in prison the rest of his life. But Someone on the site described this as like watching the video game Grand Theft Auto. And it really was. You just don't see things like this in real life. Especially the shooting through the windshield. Someone also theorized that he didn't shoot out of the driver's side because he's not left-handed and was going to have trouble aiming with a, with a gun. But uh, what do you think, Kawa? Do you think with those... Bullets, the, the 9mm bullets he was firing, you think they had much of a chance of hitting anything after going through the windshield? I mean, my whole problem with the whole thing is this guy's flying through traffic. There are cars and people everywhere, you know? <laughs> I mean, I guess he's got to do what he's got to do, but Jesus Christ. You, you fire a gun through a windshield like that, the glass is at an angle. I mean, I know there are certain kinds of bullets that are designed to go through glass to some extent, but it's still going to alter the course of the bullet and seems pretty fucking dangerous to be blasting off rounds through your windshield while you're driving through the middle of a, a street in the midday. You yeah, know? I, I, mean, I, I thought that too. Like, like everything else in that video, such as you know, when he jumped out of the car and just kept, you know, rained bullets upon the, the vehicle, or uh, you know, even firing at them in traffic to try to just kill them driving and even taking the chance that they lose control and hit something, fine, because these guys were so dangerous at the time, fine. But the, yeah, I... I when he was firing through there, I was wondering, like, are these going to go the direction he thinks they're going to go? Or could they go somewhere else? So, 
I mean, you're you're always going to risk that whenever you're firing a gun at all, um, especially in especially driving at what probably like fifty miles an hour down. He's driving on the other side of the street. And he was all over the fucking yeah, and place. Yeah, he, he was using his knees to steer at that point. He's holding the gun with two hands. Yeah, I mean, he obviously he waited until he felt he could take a shot with it being reasonable, but it still seemed a little bit crazy to me, you know? Yeah. And at the press conference, the police they pretty much said, yeah, well, we don't have a policy against that. We, they're not trained to do this, but they're not trained not to do this. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, yeah, they're not, they're not, we're not told, we don't say do it, but we don't say don't do it, so okay. <laughs> it's whatever. That's, that's great. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, I don't know enough about it to say whether he was endangering people or not. And just, I don't know. It, it seemed a little risky to me. I mean, I've, I've got a carry permit. I I practice a decent amount, but I still I don't know what the impact would be of firing that through glass, especially when the glass is at an angle and you're driving down the street like that. I mean, I can't imagine you're going to get an accurate shot off. Yeah, that's, I was I was wondering. So I think he just thought about it. he actually put the gun out the windshield uh, at the driver's side window and then thought better of it. I I think he just wanted to get shots off and then realized. That shooting with the left hand out that window, he wasn't going to get anything accurate out, so he just thought the windshield was better. I, I, I mean, I guess. Yeah. It, it probably was marginally better, but I don't know. Was that the only way to end that? I don't know. Well, the guys weren't going to give up, and they were going to keep firing at the cops. It, it was a, a tough situation. Because yeah, they, that's true. They, they were they weren't were under heavy fire. That's true. They were under heavy fire. They weren't going to give up, and they and they couldn't just let them go and say, oh, "We'll get them later," because they, they could have killed other people in the meantime. They didn't know what they what they're going to do next. So right. that's the they just murdered someone two hours earlier, but they just shot them dead in public. So that guy's got balls of steel, man. Chasing the uh, those guys oh, I know. through the streets like that while they're firing at him, and, I mean, and fuck. someone noted he wasn't even ducking down. <laughs> he could have been shot himself through the windshield. It's got to be the adrenaline, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean that guy, that's fucking, that's off the charts. Yeah, and then when when he got out and just rained the bullets on the on the car that was uh, at the wall there, just just trying to just blow them away, which that's the best time to do it when the when the car is temporarily standing to right. hopefully just kill them both so they can't do anything, and then one of them ran off. And uh, but yeah, they, I, this is going to get less scrutiny though because nothing bad happened. The, That's true. There, there were no 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 bystanders were hurt or killed. The police officers were not hurt or killed. One of the criminals was killed, and one of them uh, was injured and arrested. So the only people who suffered any injury or death were the two murderers. So uh, the people that we wanted to suffer injury yes. or death. Yes. So uh, yeah. Uh, th- 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 I. I just don't understand. I'd, I'd love to know why this this uh, Cabazone guy was on the streets. It's just I don't understand it. Unless unless somehow he was just arrested for all these crimes. And let me see if I can find in the video the. Let me see. I think I can find it. The part where the officer was not one of the officers involved, but the guy at the press conference was describing the pre the priors for. The 22-year-old who was killed, Fidel Miranda. Let's see if I can find this here because I, I want to I want to play this for you guys. Here, it's crazy. That's I mean, people aren't talking about this much, but here, I think it's this part. I think it's this part. 
And I want you to hear this too, Calwatt, so tell me when I start playing it if you can't hear it. If you can't hear it, just don't say anything. I'm going to start right now. Suspect number one, Fidel Miranda. Yep. He's 23 years old. Hispanic male. You can hear, right? Yes, we're Adult, good. Adult, 5'10", 250 pounds. Miranda is pictured to my left. Miranda's criminal history. He is convicted for felon for conspiracy to commit robbery. Miranda, excuse me, Miranda also has a lengthy arrest history, including robbery, kidnapping, grand larceny auto, grand larceny auto, possession of manufactured short barrel rifle shotgun, prohibited person possession of a firearm, battery to commit mayhem robbery, grand larceny, narcotics, possession of receiving, transfer, and stolen vehicle. Now, in a way, it's, it kind of sounds like he only got convicted of one thing in the past and all the others were arrests. They're, they're doing a pretty bad job then. Like, how, how are they making all these arrests and he's going to, been convicted of, like, one thing? But uh, whatever it is here, there's, there's, got to, there's no reason this guy should have been on the streets. That's a, that's a long rap sheet. So either they, they blew it with uh, the arrests where they arrested him a whole lot of times for a lot of different things for whatever reason they couldn't convict him. Or uh, or this guy's just not listing it totally accurately. But I mean, that was a big, long list of crimes this guy's been arrested for by this age. Uh, what's also kind of funny about the press conference is he says, you know, you'll see this picture to my left, and what he's doing is he's saying this because they superimposed the picture then on the video. So then the, the guy actually stops and looks to his left as if he's looking at something that's really up next to him. Okay. And then he looks back down. <laughs> like, you can just say to my left and let it appear that you have to look over like you're like you're really seeing something. And he does it very awkwardly, like, okay, I think I'm supposed to be looking right here. <laughs> <laughs> and then puts his head back down. But okay, these guys aren't uh, performance artists; they're police, so uh, I'll let them get away with that. But but wow, what, what a list of things he did here in the past, prior to this. So. I mean, good thing he's dead now, but still, they've got to, these type of people have got to be off the streets for a long time. That, that's, that's the biggest reform that's needed in uh, criminal justice is, is these career violent criminals. Just they, they need to get very long sentences. They've got to change this to where these people who are, uh, have a pattern of this are off the street for a long time and not expect them to change. So, yeah, that, you should watch that video for sure if you've never seen it. Yeah, it was the same as you when I was watching it. I'm like, oh, <clears throat> this is kind of a crazy police chase, you know, and then he's got his gun out. I'm like, holy shit. And then I see the guy start plugging through the windshield. Yeah. I'm like, holy fuck. That was the moment. I, like, I, the first three minutes, I was kind of having a hard time getting through. I'm like, okay, this is mildly interesting, but, you know, I, it's kind of a struggle. Like, okay, when's this over? When's this over? And then, whoa, a gun's out. Okay. Oh, my God, through the windshield. Okay. Then I, I wanted to see more and more. I was, like, so sad when it was over that I didn't get to see any more past that. It was one of these things that just grabs you at that point. So, okay, let, let's go on to a completely different topic from criminals firing at the cops on the streets uh, or, or in a police chase on the streets to Alan Kessler. Can, can you get a more different topic? <laughs> I, I don't think there could be any more of a harsh transition than that. But uh, is that a, is that, Was that a dig at uh, Kate there? Transition? <laughs> I got to watch out what I say. She she may block me. I'm still not blocked by Kate. By Kate, I've, somehow I've dodged the block. 
Even and it's not even that she doesn't know I exist because she she once. I once responded to her. I usually avoid responding to her because I don't want to be blocked because of the pain in the ass. I, I like seeing the gold she tweets. But one time I couldn't help myself and responded to something, and then she wrote like a nasty thing back to me. And I was sure it would be followed by a block, but it wasn't. So Speaking of nasty, check out that link that I put in the chat. Okay. That she tweeted shor- shortly after that uh, boy-girl thing. In, in, in the Skype chat or the, the – Skype chat, yeah. Okay. Always interesting when people have a defensive reaction to someone else reporting their lived experience. Sorry you feel so insecure in your gender that you have to tell yourself or others that are lying about theirs. <laughs> that is good. And, uh, and what she's quoting is this guy, I don't know, FU15, I don't know who he is, but in response to that original tweet we talked about, he wrote, you spoke the truth. You were female, one of the binary options available for humans in less rare cases of genetic mutation or anomaly. Do not feel any guilt about telling the kid the truth. (laughs) But, you know, the interesting thing about her tweet is that, I mean, it sounds like she's saying that she is in some kind of transitory state, at least mentally. Wouldn't it be be funny, like, next 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 year we see Kate at the World Series and she's the man? Well, it wouldn't be funny if she had a dick bigger than mine. I'd be pissed off. <laughs> what if she's just a man there? What if what if she becomes like Carl Hall and she's just it, it, it's just you know she's got like a beard pasted on her face and uh, and and she's had some kind of therapy to her voice where it's deeper and you're like the person's just sitting there and they're like what if they just show up to my like table at a fifteen hundred dollar no limit event and they're like hey Todd. I know you talk crap. You know you talk crap about me on Twitter. I go, no, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Yes, you do. What's your name? Dude, Car- she, she starts taking some testosterone shit. You better be worried, man. She might bulk up. Yeah, wouldn't she, be skeleton. Wouldn't be the crypt keeper anymore. Yeah, she's you know? like, yeah. So what's what's your name? My name's Carl. No, so I don't find a guy named Carl on Twitter. Yeah, you do, Carl Hall. I used to be Kate oh, Hall. I go, oh crap. I guess you were telling the truth last year. I'm sorry. Sorry for laughing yeah, about but- it. But here's the thing, like what she's talking about here, she's not talking about um, sexual orientation, right? So she's no. not talking about the fact that she's uh, attracted to women. Yeah. She's talking about actual yeah. transitioning. Yes. And as I said, she hasn't even talked about being attracted to women before. That's, that's, she doesn't even claim that either. She just claims uh, she claims she was in some commune of a polyamorous commune, but that doesn't even imply that but 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 yeah she's only talking about actually identifying as both genders at this point which is weird but maybe that could explain why she's going for like this uh look now like she's not really taking care of herself like maybe that's her way of of being both genders is hey well you know dudes just get up and they don't put on makeup and they don't try to make themselves look nice they just they just get up and brush their teeth and brush their hair and go so that's what i'm gonna do that's gonna be my male side I got a I got a theory. So what if it's not that she wants to be a man, so she's not transitioning to a man, but that she is feeling very androgynous. You know, she she doesn't feel male or female, and maybe her visit to that polyamorous commune was kind of one of her attempts to rekindle her fire, you know? Mm. That's you know what I mean? That's weird. I, I, I do think that, that the appearance that was witnessed of her which I don't think either of us saw personally, but but that the appearance that was reported 
to us about her that I do think that probably has to do with this. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Crazy. It's from a reliable source, by the way. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that uh, that it's the case. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this is. Uh, I'm looking at the responses here. It's funny. There's not even that many people like going off on her on this one. Like this one, mostly positive responses. It's amazing. If you get the right people, if you get the right type of people following you. They can agree with anything. You can say anything like super ridiculous, and if you have the right group of followers, they'll back you. It's amazing on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like that's uh, it, uh, this really is the perfect example of an echo chamber. In fact, I would go as far to say that if Kate Hall was not a poker player and didn't have poker people following her, who can sometimes be dissenting opinions, and she could just insulate her to being you know, part of the social justice warrior world. Uh, there'd be like almost no dissent probably to things like this. That's as crazy as that. You can just, I, you can see people just tweet ridiculous things and then just reactions to it that are so supportive, even just the dumbest things that are written. I, I also see a lot on Twitter where people will respond to some sort of sensational claim without any attempt to think about it, and I'm not talking about even like what Kate wrote, like you know, some kind of political claim or something like that. There will be no attempt to think about it or verify it or just just reaction, 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 reaction all the way down. Like I saw a tweet about how in California they've just passed a bill to make it uh, illegal to I, I think it was uh, like run your washing machine and take a shower on the same day. And everybody's reacting to it and everybody's going off about it and how crazy the California government is and you know how are they going to enforce this? How are they going to know? Are they going to be installing devices now to, to monitor that and uh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, this just doesn't seem right. This, as crazy as California can be, I just, I don't believe that such a law has passed. And then I saw... The truth, which was very different, where it was some kind of uh, water usage law that someone really, really extrapolated it that, like, if a family of five is living in a, in a home and uh, and then they're also watering their plants and they're doing this, then they may then possibly doing the laundry will also make it where you run over the ration over a period of five days and like something where like so many things would have to happen together to have used this much water and it was nowhere near that you can't take a shower and and run the washing machine on the same day but boy i mean i saw thousands of responses to this and very few were questioning it and so so i responded to it and said and these were people the people responding to this this was like a right-wing uh, activism, so sort of tweeting it, and then the, the people responding were, were mostly right wing people. So I was basically responding to my own uh, political allies, and I, I your, t- your peeps, my peeps. I, I so I responded back to them, my non <laughs> my non Asian non white peeps. I responded to them, and I said, "You guys have to think more before responding. You, you have to and posting these things. You, you have to look at this." Yeah, I, I said I'm very critical of some things the California government does. 
And, but but with things like this, you, you've got to look it up and see if it's true. And this isn't true, and I explained why. And, uh, yeah, some people responded to me and thanked me for it because I, I just – I don't like on whatever side when things are put out and people uh, just in the echo chamber all respond without thinking. And I think you end up looking stupid when you do that. I think all these social justice warriors congratulating Kate Hall on her bravery are looking stupid here. They, uh, I mean, they, these are real questions. Say to Kate Hall, hey, I've been following you for a while. I've, I've never seen you bring up before that you don't identify as female. So, you know, is there something I've missed? That's not offensive to ask. And then she I can, wouldn't think so. Then, yeah, then she can say, "Oh yeah, yeah." You know, three months I decided I'm yeah I'm gender queer, and now I'm I'm uh, I, I've decided I, I'm both genders, and I'm kind of living as both genders, and I'm in the process of getting used to that. So some some answer which would somewhat explain this, uh, possibly. But there nobody wants to know. They just they just see someone claiming that uh, they felt oppressed or uncomfortable in some way, and. Everyone's jumping on the bandwagon to support her because it's it, it just seen that if, if you don't act supportive, then you're being insensitive, no matter how ridiculous it actually is, Provide, provided that what is being claimed goes along with your own social or political beliefs. Then you, you have to back it, and I don't believe in I don't believe you ever have to back anything. You always have to think before you back something. So... Uh, so let me get to the Kessler thing. And I, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this as well. Uh, before we get to what your perspective is, I just want to ask you a quick question. Have you ever either gone out to a comp meal, comp meaning that some kind of casino comp, or some kind of other comp where uh, um, the venue where you're eating is providing it for free? Uh, and then taking other people with you who aren't like your wife or someone you're dating, like just taking a, a friend or an acquaintance. Have you ever? No, I've, I've been on the benefiting end of it, but I, I don't go to casinos enough to get anything reasonable in the way of comps. That was my next question. If you if you've been on the other end, the answer is yes. Okay, so so good. You you have a little experience in this. So so here is my question. This is my question to you guys, and then I'll get into what happened with Kessler. Of course, it was Kessler, but. Uh, uh, here's here's my question. If, it's always Kessler. If someone has a comp and invites you to eat on their comp because they can't use it all, and and I want to be clear about this: because they can't use it all, not not because they're taking you out to dinner because they, you know you're a friend of theirs or they've done something you've done something for them. This isn't hey, let me take you out to dinner. You know you, you did this for me. I'm going to take you out to dinner tonight. It's not like that. It's my comp is too big for me to use myself. Would you like to come with me and also eat so it doesn't go to waste? That type of invitation. Very clear. That's the reason you're being invited. So you go and eat on that person's comp. And then it runs a little bit over the bill, where the you know the comp is for a certain amount, so the bill ends up a little bit over. Who should pay for that overage? Should you guys split it, or should it be the person who was invited because uh, you know they got so much for free anyway on somebody else's comp? So who, if, who, if someone invited me and they told me the reason was they didn't want it to go to waste, then I would split it. Would you split it, or you would you would you would pay for it? Like, here, let me give you some numbers. Let's let's say the comp was for uh, sixty dollars, 
Yep. And the meal came to sixty-eight dollars. Uh, would would you just kick in the eight, or, or would you say, hey, let's split it four and four when it's their comp? So I haven't been in the the situation where it went over in that way, but. I mean, honestly, like if I liked the person that I was out there with, I would just pay for it as well as any tip. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if it's not much over, then I would just, you know, I would just pay for it. Okay, now I, I, you're going to be shocked here, but believe it or not, I, I, my opinion is close to yours, but not identical. Mm. Believe it or not, my opinion here is the less Jewish I would actually be more generous in this spot. I actually be less Jewish in this spot than you would. I, I will tell you what I would do. I said I'd pay for it, though. Well, you said if you liked the person. That's that's the little difference. Whether I liked or disliked well, the person. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So if I didn't like the person, I probably wouldn't go out. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. I'll say this. I, if I, <laughs> As long as this wasn't a meal where I was... Uh, being invited specifically where the person like it's clear they're taking me out to dinner so you know where they're not saying hey you know, hey i want to take you out to dinner sometime come with me that where it's kind of expected that they're inviting me and they're going to pay and then you know how they pay isn't really my business so that so if they use a comp and then the comp falls a little short I, you know then I'll, I'll just unless i'd probably just let them take it at that point uh if, if they're taking me out to dinner in that way but if it's anything that even looks like the appearance without them even saying so if it looks like the appearance that I'm, I'm being invited because they just have excess money on the comp and they want to take me there um or even if we just go to dinner together let's say it's just some guy i, I you know i'm t- talking to at the world series hey have you eaten no i haven't I, you know we both go there and that guy says, oh you know what i actually have uh you know this much worth of comps i you know our our, our meal is uh our meal's 80 88 dollars i've got 80 worth of comps here let me put that 80 towards it I wouldn't say okay. Well, let's do four and four now. For the, I, I would just say no. I'll take the other eight because I, I'd be so thrilled. The guy's uh, cheapening my meal almost down to nothing with comps he earned. So, so in any situation except for one where someone is inviting me to quote take me to dinner, where it's very clear that's what he's doing. In any other situation, if it were to run a small or moderate amount over, I would not only pay the overage. But I would also pay the tip, and in fact, I would pay the tip uh, when there's no overage. And not would I did. I went to a number of comp meals on other people's comps this summer, and every single time, I either paid the tip or offered to pay the tip, and repeatedly kept offering to pay it when the person told me that they would get it anyway. And then, you know, I think one time I ended up not doing it because they just kept telling me over and over, no, 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 let me just, let me, like, they kept repeatedly telling me they, they, they don't want me to do it. So finally I, I let them just uh, pay it. But, the, uh, but I tried like more than once to pay the tip uh, every single time. And, and every single time but once I actually did pay the tip. And the reason I did that is because I was very appreciative that that person used their comps on me. Because they didn't have to. Because I, I, they could have taken someone else. They could have just gone themselves and eaten like pigs. or ordered something super expensive. Uh, they, this was something they earned that I didn't earn, that I had no claim to, no right to expect. He, it didn't just fall in their lap. They actually earned it from their play. May have lost money while doing so. Whatever it was, they earned it, and then they are sharing it with me. I, I'm getting—they're giving me something. 
and I'm getting a hell of a deal, even if I have to pay a little bit, like such as a tip or uh, or, or a little bit of an overage. I'm still getting a hell of a deal with the food I'm getting compared to what's actually leaving my wallet. So I feel that in those situations when someone's doing something that generous for you, that you should always make it so the person who's taking you on their comp has no out-of-pocket expense, and especially no additional out-of-pocket expense that they incur because of you. Meaning that, uh, so so let's let's go back to this. Let's say the person couldn't find anyone to take with him. Okay, so let's say he has a comp for a hundred dollars, and he's going to a place that isn't that expensive, and so so he really he's only hungry enough to eat uh, fifty dollars worth of food. So he eats his fifty dollars worth of food is, is totally full. Uh, tips, you know, let's say ten bucks on the fifty dollar meal. So what leaves his pocket? Ten dollars. So he had a $100 comp, couldn't use it all, used it to pay the $50 bill, left a $10 bill as a tip. What happened? He, he ate a $50 meal and is out $10. Now, let's say I came with him. Let's not change it. Say I came with him, and I ate uh, $60 worth of food. So he ate 50 worth, I ate 60 worth. The bill came out to 110 He had a $100 comp. There's a $10 overage. Well, now the tip of $10 is not a good tip anymore if it's $110 worth of food. Now that's less than 10%. So now you'd be leaving like about $20 worth of tip. So if I had him leave the tip, and if he paid the overage, now he'd be paying $30 just because I came along instead of 10 Or even if you take away the overage, he's paying $20 for the tip when it should have been 10 because 10 of that was the tip on my food. And if you want to say we're splitting the tip, uh, still, you know, it, it's... I just don't want that person... I actually want them to leave without any money coming from them because they've already paid in the form of their comp, in my opinion. Now, the exception to this, the other exception is if I were to hardly order anything and almost all the food was ordered by them. So so let's say someone has a uh, $100 comp and they say, hey, would you like to come to dinner with me? I go, oh, sorry, I just ate. No, come on, come on, come down here. I go, well, okay, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll just come over and order dessert. Okay, come down. So I come down. I ordered an $8 dessert, and uh, they ordered $100 worth of food, and the bill comes as 108 and the comp is for 100 There I'm not going to say, hey, let me pay the overage and the tip, because they're all be paying uh, $8 plus a $20 tip on, on an $8 dessert. That wouldn't make any sense. There I'm actually hurting myself. There I, I might as well have gone to dinner myself and, uh, and, and uh, paid a lot less for the same thing without the comp. So there, of course, it wouldn't make sense. If you're, if you're showing up and just getting a, a very, very cheap single item – then, then it wouldn't make any sense to pay the overage and the tip. Then, then you just uh, there you come up with something. You know, maybe you throw in a few dollars and he pays the rest. But in anything where you're kind of roughly eating around the same, and I say very roughly, let's say you know there's a sixty-five percent, yours thirty-five percent. That's still close enough. But where you're roughly kind of eating around the same amount as far as the the, the price of the food that is ordered. And uh, then you should cover any small overage and a tip. Now, a big overage, let's say the comp is kind of small. Let's say you go to a expensive steakhouse, but you only have a $50 comp, and the bill comes out to $250. Well, then you should still give some kind of allowance because the guy had a comp, but, but there you shouldn't cover the $200 overage plus the tip. That also wouldn't make sense. So you have to use common sense, but at the same time, if it's a small overage, 
plus a tip and you, and you ate roughly, you know, equivalent to what the other guy did, then yes, you should cover it. And that's the right thing to do. And that's, that's always been the general comp etiquette in Vegas. That's what's expected of you. I'm, I'm not bragging that I'm such a generous guy. This is basically what's expected, that if you, if you have someone come out to eat on your comp, unless you're ex- explicitly taking them to dinner like as some kind of favor to them, if you're just bringing them along because you have extra comps and you want to share it, the comp etiquette in Vegas is that the beneficiary of the comp, the one who didn't earn it and is just getting to eat on it, should cover the tip, and they should cover any kind of small overage. We actually had this situation come up on Poker Fraud Alert. We keep having this tonight, where, where things that have happened uh, come up. Uh, we had this come up. I wasn't there, but there was a meal of a bunch of Poker Fraud Alert people, and uh, there was some cons- – it ran over. Brandon had a, a fairly big comp, but there were a lot of people there, and uh, you know it ran over some, and there was a question of what each person should pay. And there were some people – I'm not going to name names. I don't want to – dredge up old problems, but there were, there was some resentment from some people who didn't order as much as others or who didn't drink or who, who you know, there was someone was mad at one step for ordering a expensive lobster Mac appetizer of, of how much each person should put in. And while I agreed that those who ordered the more expensive things, since there was a substantial overage, that the ones who ordered the most expensive things should have put in the most. And some of them didn't. And that was some of the problem, but that the one who should have been least responsible for covering this overage was Brandon, who already contributed like a $500 comp to the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. But, but some people expected Brandon to just kind of like split it along with everybody else. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. No, he shouldn't. He, he, he gave you guys a $500 comp towards this meal. Now, yes, there's a lot of people, but he put in a lot already from his comp. So, he should be expected to put in much, much less than everybody else. And some people didn't agree with that. And I, I thought that was very wrong. And those that felt that were being ingrates. So getting back to Kessler, Alan Kessler had this occur. And the reason we know about this is because, uh, he got in some argument with Cliff, Cliff Josephy, AKA Johnny backs at the table of a world series event. Uh, one of those that started after the main. And, uh, I, I think, he criticized uh, Cliff Josephy's plays in, in Stud or some, some game that uh, he, Cliff wasn't as good at. And they got into an argument at the table. Anyway, this spilled over to Twitter. And then when uh, Cliff responded, he was mentioning that Allen was bitching at the table about how people would not cover a $12 overage on a comp that he had uh, uh, you know, taken people to dinner on. And that there was a lot of like fighting and discussion over it, and it was a huge pain in the ass, and Alan was very upset about it, and he was telling everyone at the table about it, how this bothered him. Now, no one at the table was involved. None of the two people at the table had done this to him, but he was complaining in general. So Cliff was mocking him about this on Twitter when they were fighting about other things. Cliff was at the table to hear this whole thing. So that's how the whole discussion got going. So I actually responded and said, you know, from what I can tell... Alan shouldn't have berated or, or or mocked anyone's play at the table, so that's you know that he should never do. But as far as the comp thing, Alan was one hundred percent right that if a, if if it ran twelve dollars over, and there were multiple people too, I think there were like three others at the table with him, and it ran twelve dollars over, those people should have found how to pay the twelve dollars plus the tip, and not made Alan do it. But they, some of them really want Alan to contribute to it, and, and Alan was pissed. So. Uh, 
rightfully so. Now, one of the people then came forward and said, well, I only had one $6 appetizer and that was it. And Alan said, oh, no, no, I wasn't talking about you. And so I'm not even sure who was being accused of this. And then there were some others that were claiming the story wasn't the way Alan's portraying it. So I'm not even going to so much focus on Alan Kessler's claims and who was right and wrong. But I will focus on the, the general thought of the whole thing, which Alan was trying to make that point, and I agreed with him, is that if you take someone out on your comp, they should pay the tip, and they should cover any small overages, period. And surprisingly to me, some people didn't agree with me. Some did, some didn't. And then I posted this on my Vegas Casino Talk forum, and again, some didn't agree with me. And the reason that the people didn't agree, the reason they stated was that if you, quote, take someone out to dinner, then you're expected to pay no matter what. No matter how you pay, you're expected to cover it if you invite people to dinner. So I clarified. I said, no, this is not that type of invitation. This is a Vegas comp invitation. It's very different where you're basically putting it out there. Hey, I have this big comp. Uh, if, if you want to show up here, uh, you know, uh, you can eat on my comp here. And and by the way, the people Alan was accusing of, these were people who have been in Vegas for a long time. These weren't people who didn't understand how it all works. So I, I could understand some people being ignorant to this, but uh, these were not people who were in that situation. They just, for whatever reason, felt that Alan should cover some of this. And I can't believe I'm saying it, but I agree with fucking Kessler. Yeah, I agree with him too. And, and I can say from experience, I was on both ends this summer. There, I also a few times took people not I didn't have big comps but I had some smaller comps and I took some people out to a, a smaller meal where and it wasn't even a planned thing they just you know someone happened to be with me and I I went with them to the uh, uh, All American Grill at the, at the Rio and, and when it came time to pay I said no no, no don't bother I'll just pull out my comps here I had some comps there and uh, I, I used the comps to pay and and the guy said oh thanks and then so he left the tip I didn't say hey you better leave the tip now he actually he knew to do it. The guy left the tip. I didn't tell him not to. I'm like, okay, he's doing it. That's kind of expected. I'm glad he. I'm glad he did. I'm glad that uh, that was on his mind to do. Uh, and you know, he wasn't even expecting. I wasn't even saying come out with a comment. It was a bit different. People can say I didn't invite him. We just happened to go to, di- to to the meal together. But the point was, I pulled out the comps to pay, and he didn't think either that it should be me paying the whole tip or that we should split the tip. He just put the tip out kind of in appreciation that I paid for his meal with my cops. As a good, that's the way it's supposed to be. I didn't say that to him. That's what my thought was. Like, uh, okay, th- this is standard. This is the way it's supposed to be. Good. I'm, I'm glad he realizes this. And uh, and that's the way I behaved when people took me to to comp meals. Uh, again, unless they they were insisting that they were going to cover it. But but I tried. So, so Druff, Druff? Got a tough question for you. Yep. Would you rather have sex with Alan Kessler? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> or a fully transitioned post-opt Kate Hall? Oh, it, it, this is easy. It, oh, a post-op Kate Hall. I was about to say that the, if she just appears she, to be, she has no. She has no more vagina. She's got got the beard going on. Uh, she she might even be more hung than you. I don't look. I I have to. I still have to go with this transition Kate Hall because either way, it's with a man. So so at least one was a man who wasn't born a man. The other one is a, uh, a man who was born a man and is still a man. So I, I still have to say it would be Kate Hall. 
I, I, so, you're, so you're attracted to transsexuals, is what you're saying? <laughs> I have to not answer these these questions anymore. So, yeah. Is that accurate or confirm or deny? No. <laughs> no what? <laughs> I have to say no. Okay, just no? Just no. Just a big no. Uh, okay. All right. So. All right. Yeah, so anyway, about about this whole thing. If if you're in this situation, you meaning the listener, and, and there's a good chance you may be. There's a good chance you may be. Now, if you never go to Vegas, if you just listen to the show because you find gambling interesting and poker interesting, but you don't, you know, you don't really do it, then you probably won't be. But if you go to Vegas, especially you know people who gamble there and may have comps, or maybe you'll get a comp and take someone, that's the expectation. That's a long-standing etiquette for decades. This has been the way it's expected. So... I, this isn't just my theory. This is the expectation. So that's the way it should be. So don't feel bad if the guy you're taking out on your comp pays the tip. Or Total, tranny. Or, or even if it's a tranny, let, let them pay the tip. And and don't feel bad. And, and, and if, and if uh, you're taken as a comp, don't think they're being a cheapskate by expecting you to pay the tip or, or some kind of small overage. So you, just, you just volunteered to do this, and if... You're starting to feel irritated about it. Think, wait a minute. I got a, an amazing deal on this meal. There's no way I could ever get a meal this cheap otherwise. So if, you, if you're eating $80 worth of food for uh, a $5 overage plus a uh, you know, $20 tip, boy, you've gotten a great deal. You should be thrilled with that. And, and I'll tell you, when I when someone takes me out on their comp... It feels good. You know, it feels like, oh, I, I got this nice meal for very, very little money. That's how I feel. I don't feel, ah, oh, this guy invited me to dinner and this freaking ingrate wants me to give the tip. No, I, I don't think that at all. I'm so appreciative. I'm so appreciative that... And there's something else I hate about the way people view comps, is that people just think comps just fall from the sky. It's just pennies from heaven and that, that you're obligated to share it with people. That they have no value... And that you, you're just obligated to share it. Some people really think that. But the truth is, comps are earned. They're earned through play at uh, negative expectation games. Even if you can get yourself in a positive expectation situation, you're still gambling and you still may have lost. Uh, you still put out the effort to do it. You've earned them. Whatever way you did it, you've earned it. It didn't just fall in your lap. Unless you're Ariana Lopez at the uh, downtown, then sometimes it does fall in your lap if you listen to last week's show. But other than that, you are in the comp. And it is yours. It's your property. And if you share it with somebody else, then you're doing them a favor. Now, I had a situation some years ago. It wasn't about food. But I had a lot of comps. And I got a lot of points. Not even comps. I had a lot of points at uh, Caesars, reward credits, RCs. And someone said to me that they wanted to go to a show at Caesars. I think it was Celine Dion, something like that. And they said they they heard that I had a few thousand dollars worth of uh, RCs at Caesars, which was true. I did. So they said, hey, could you use those to buy some tickets at uh, Celine Dion? Whatever, I think it was that. And we'll come to some deal where I can pay you back in cash for some percentage of it. So I already wasn't thrilled about this because, uh, first of all, reward credits are 
they're bankable. You can just hold them for the long term. Uh, as long as you earn one every six months, they don't ever expire. And you can use them for a lot of things. You can use them to pay for hotel rooms. You can use them to pay for food. You can use them to convert to free play. Back then, you could do it at, if you were a seven star. You could do it at eighty percent value to free play. So these weren't just comps I had to use or lose. These were comps I could bank and use at my own pace. So they they were worth something to me. They were worth a lot to me. So I, I didn't feel like selling them. Now, if I could sell them at one to one value, sure. But still, there's some trouble at it. I, I had to be the one to go down there and get the tickets with them when they'd show up to get it. Like a, it, it wasn't a no-effort thing. There, there was some effort involved, and I just even if I got paid one-to-one for it, it would have been kind of a pain in the ass. So it, it wasn't something I was thrilled to do. But I, I was willing to hear them out and, and do them a favor, and I thought maybe we could you know, come to something that at least could you know, somewhat mutually benefit, benefit us. But, uh, you know, I thought about it. I said, all right, you know what? I'll just be nice. I won't gain anything from this. Since I can trade this in for free play at 80%, I'll just charge them 80%. So I told them that. I said, yeah, I can trade these in for free play at 80%, but instead of doing that, I'll just sell it to you at 80%. The person got so mad at me. What? 80%? That's not what I had in mind. I was thinking more like like 50%. So I said, no, no, I understand why you'd think that, but you know, let me explain how these work. And I explained again to them that at any time I could take these thousands of dollars in comps, in, in RCs, not comps, in RCs that I have at uh, at Caesars and exchange them for free play at 80% value. So, you know, if I had 3000 worth, then I could exchange it for uh, $2,400 worth of free play. I, I was trying to insist to them that they had real value, which, you know, of course, the free play I could convert into cash. So they weren't getting it. Calling me selfish, telling me you know, how how could you do this? You know why are you trying to make money? I you know why can't you do do something nice? And I said it's not about doing something nice. It's that you're actually asking me to just give you money out of my pocket when I can trade these comps at eighty percent for free play to give this to you to to buy many hundreds of dollars worth of tickets at Celine Dion and fifty percent price. That's me just giving hundreds of dollars to you. So, you know, I would never ask you to do that for me. Now, if these were useless, if these are going to expire tomorrow, then sure, if I, if I couldn't use them for anything else. Then I'll do it for, you know, something super cheap. But not, I, since I can bank these, I, and so I, I explained every single way I could that I wasn't trying to be greedy or make money off them. And I said, in fact, doing this at 80% is just kind of a break-even thing for me, and yet I have to go through the trouble of doing it. So they told me to forget it. They told they, they still thought I was taking advantage of them. They still thought I was being greedy. They they just couldn't get through their head that how I could take quote comps and then want eighty percent of the of the true value from them in cash. No matter what I said, that they couldn't get their head around it because all they could think is comps are useless. And now here you're trying to charge me eighty percent like a greedy Jew. That, that's what they were thinking. They didn't use those words. That's what they were thinking. So. I never think like that. I respect other people's comps. I never feel I'm entitled to them. Um, you know, and uh, and I, I've I've made deals with people before. Where uh, is this someone that uses Bitcoin? No, that's ah, too bad. Because I would have offered to, uh, you know, I would have said, "All right, you think that's a fair deal? I'll take fifty percent on the current market value of Bitcoin, you know, <laughs> yeah. and just trade them." This you is know, actually years ago. I don't. Th- I think Bitcoin was around, but like hardly anyone was using it except Micon back then. 
So you know what I mean, though. What's yeah, the difference? Yeah, if it has something that it can be exchanged into value. Yes. You know what's the difference? Yeah, they they, they weren't getting it. I tried tried so many ways to explain it, and uh, I actually made I made a deal with somebody else uh, this year where they had some comps. My my family, my extent, you know, my parents, my, a lot of my family was out in Vegas in in June, and we were eating at, a, at an MGM property restaurant and i don't have any points with mgm and i knew someone who did and uh that person i contacted them and asked you know uh, i was just mentioning to that person i was eating at an mgm restaurant and they said that uh, they had points and asked me if they i'd like them to come down and pay for it with points and then we'll make some kind of deal what uh exchange i can give them there it was different those points couldn't be exchanged for cash or free play so you know, we we came to an agreement of what uh, what I would give them, and they did that, and we we both benefited from it. And uh, you know, at any point, the guy said, "No, it's not worth it to me because I can exchange it for such and such, or I'm going to go out to dinner myself tomorrow and use it." Like wh- whatever it was, I wouldn't have said, "You jerk, you owe me this because these are just comp points." I wouldn't have said that. Like I fully understand it. These are his; they have a value; they can be used for things. You know, and and it's up to each individual what they think they're worth. And then if you can come to an agreement uh, to buy them off them, then fine. If you can't, you can't. And in that case, we did, and we were both happy. So that, that's the way you should see these comps, not uh, that someone owes you anything. I find that's a very, very entitled attitude to think anyone ever owes you their comps or that when they take you out for a meal on their comps that uh, they haven't just done you a favor because they have. They have just – and especially if they're just doing it because – it's going to waste. And I'll tell you one thing about Kessler. For all the criticism he gets, and and yeah, he does act stupidly sometimes on social media and says inappropriate things, or or, or, or isn't uh, doesn't put the things very delica- delicately that sometimes he should. So I understand some of the criticism he gets, but there's something he does fairly often: is he puts out an open invitation to anyone following him on Facebook, on Twitter, that he's going to a certain property and that anybody who wants to come down there and eat with him will get a free meal. Where he's just inviting strangers or virtual strangers or acquaintances to just come down. He basically says, if you can see this and you respond to me, like I think he put some kind of limit on it so he doesn't get 100 people down there. But, but you know, basically the, the first whatever number of people that respond to him he doesn't evaluate it and say, oh, no, no, I don't like you that much. Like, he just open to everybody. And I, th- I think that's very nice to just open that to the public rather than, uh, you know, picking and choosing the people you like the most, which, of course, is your right to do. You can use it whatever you want. But, I mean, that's something positive to say about him, that he, he gets these extra comps and it doesn't benefit him at all. Yeah, I don't think he's a bad guy by any stretch. I just find him annoying. People find him annoying. That's that's reasonable, but but he actually does. Yeah, this is actually generous. What he does, it, it doesn't cost you, him anything. You can but, be a great guy and still be annoying. No, yeah, right? yeah I know. Yeah, I, I'm not even saying he's a great guy. I mean, he's just uh, you know, there's there's, 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 there's oh, man. no, there's, there's you know, there, there's there's definitely oh. there's there's there's, <laughs> there's definite faults he has where he can oh. be annoying or, or inappropriate, but uh, oh, but, but listen. You're not getting none of those free comps from him. <laughs> no. Oh shit. I, I 
great is just a, that's just a uh huh a very superlative <laughs> word. But first, you're, first I, you're not going to fuck him. No, nah, I'll, I'll say and now, and now this. I'll say he's a good. I'll say he's a, a good guy, and that uh, um, he gets a lot more flack than he deserves on Twitter. And a lot of times he brings things up, and he's actually right. And people go after him either just because they like to argue with him, or don't like him, or they're just like not understanding his point. Like, or and and they should be understanding. Like I think people sometimes intentionally find ways to disagree with him, when in reality he's right or very close to right. So uh, I, I've definitely seen him be right, but I have also seen him dogmatically argue something where he's clearly yes, not right. that that happens. That, that that's <laughs> the problem right? where where he will come up with some kind of claim, and sometimes like more information will come out later that 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 shows that his initial perception was wrong. So instead of just saying, Oh, I, I guess I saw this the wrong way. Like he'll, he'll just keep arguing and keep hammering that, that he was right in the first place. And it looks really stupid. So it gets even worse because like more information comes out and he, you know, he should back down at that point and say, sorry, I didn't know that. Instead, he just sticks to it. And that's the, that's what pisses a lot mm-hmm. of people off. That's what pisses people off. And, and I, and I yep. understand that. And, and, uh, and it's just, his personality gets on some people's nerves too, just in general. So fine. I'm not saying people should be obligated to like him. I just think he gets more flack than he deserves. And I think that uh, for the most part, when he brings things up, he's trying to uh, make things better or bring attention to things that I think that's true. Aren't, aren't that he feels aren't right. And, and many I, I, times, will, I will say this, even when I think that he's wrong about something, I never feel that he's coming at it from a, malicious place or anything like yeah. that like he if he's arguing something he genuinely believes it yeah you know? so uh but yeah the bottom line is just appreciate comps that are given to you and, and if you have comps only take people who are going to treat them as something of value that they're giving to you if they don't see it that way don't take them just don't don't take ingrates who are, who are going to now one exception to everything I said there is if the people you're taking are very poor, then maybe you should offer to pay the tip because uh, you know if somebody's working for minimum wage and really struggling to get by and and uh, like when I've taken Kent Scaler to play like I, I wouldn't tell him to pay the tip I would just cover it for him but. Uh, it doesn't have to be someone rich with you. It's just as long as they're not like super struggling, then uh, you know, let them pay the tip for or a small overage if you're taking them on a comp. Don't don't even worry. Oh, I have more money than this guy. I should cover it. I mean, if you have like again, if you're taking them for some reason, like to be nice, like you're just uh, like you would have taken them out to dinner anyway if you didn't have a comp. Then that's a different story. But if the whole purpose of that person being along is that there's a comp involved, then especially let them cover the yeah. tip in a small overage. Yeah, or if someone just absolutely insists on paying for your dinner for whatever reason, they just feel like it. Yeah, you know, you can at least insist on letting me pay the tip. You know, just kind yeah. of like kind of like saying thank you. Yeah, you know? that, that's what it is. That's it's, that's yeah. what it is, and, and you have to just anything given to you, you have to appreciate, and that's why on this show, when people donate to the free roll. I always want everyone to know that I appreciate those donations because I do. And and I don't just think it's an automatic that people should just give money to the free roll. They, they, 
No, nobody's expected to. So when that's done, I think, okay, they're giving money that is theirs, even if it's money they won in previous free rolls, whatever it is. It is money that is theirs, and they're choosing to give it to the free roll for other people to win. So I make sure to name those people and thank them and and to let them know I appreciate it because I don't want to look like an ingrate who just expects them to give money to poker fraudlers because I, I don't. So that's a, a good way to approach a lot of these things when just things are given to you that you don't necessarily deserve from anything you did. They just, uh, you know, someone's being nice and sharing something with you or giving something to you. You should do whatever you can to show appreciation for it is, is my general take on all of these things. So that's, that's about it. I, it's going to be a weird sleep schedule for you. I think it's six eleven in the morning now. In uh, oh, it's going to be awful in New York, and uh, going to be awful. I got to get it's, tomorrow. I got to do another fucking podcast too. Oh, yeah, another podcast too. Wow. What, what time mm-hmm. is that? What time is that one? Uh, not until two in the afternoon. So should be fine. Like, well, it's less less than eight hours away. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it seems far away, but it's less than eight hours. And sometimes I fall into that trap, too. Like, it's, I have something to do at, uh, at 1 o'clock, and I go, well, it's not till 1 o'clock. It's it's uh, it's only 6.30. Oh, crap. It's only six and a half hours away. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't feel like it's not going to be fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I let you. We don't have much more to do anyway. I thought this was going to be a short show, but it actually ended up being uh, almost six hours. So, uh, y- you can take off if you like and. Get, are you going to go to sleep now, or do you have other things to do? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go to sleep in a couple minutes. Okay, here I'm going to take a call. Let me, let, let's let's throw a call on you. This person's been hammering. I think I know who it is. They've been they 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 were hammering. I told them not to do this, not them specifically, but I've told people don't hammer over and over when I don't answer the phone, and they didn't listen. Uh, is this you, Mumbles Badly? Mumbles Badly. <laughs> this is Johnny Bob Dupree. Okay, I I don't know what that is, but I'm a third I'm a third cousin of Wayne LaPaya. I'm not. I'm, a... I'm calling. I want to talk to Josh, the marketing guy. <laughs> okay. Because all I right. have an idea about how the MGM right, can make right, a lot of me, money off of this. Tell me how to spin it, because I'm about to kill myself. The L.A. shooter, the Las Vegas shooter experience. That's People can do is they can they can they can be the shooter, and then you can have these people who are crisis actors down there on the field, acting like targets. And every week you get a new guy competing to see how many they can take off. Hmm. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. A lot of Japanese would probably love it. I don't you know, think my buddy down in the bayou would want to do that too. Did we hear some of those SW days? I thought we already had a character like this on a previous show. I, I, I think we had like a, we had Slim T. He was he, he basically had the same routine. He's from Alabama. I'm from Louisiana. Okay, at least there's a distinction here. Okay, well, yeah. uh, that is that what you were calling uh, repeatedly to say? I want yeah, I wanted to make sure I got a hold of Josh before he got off the phone. Okay, but you realize even though you need to get through. Urgently to a marketer, you can't keep calling you know, fifteen times in a row. Well, I was I was giving it a few minutes in between my calls. 
Okay, well, it's, it's got to be longer. I always say wait, wait 15 minutes to try back because it's just uh, I had to keep reject, 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 and uh, yeah, it's distracting. I, I'm trying to. Uh, I, I know you're trying to get through and ask something, but I was just in the middle. I just didn't feel like taking calls during that segment. Say what you want. Uh, he got through. Much. Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking my call. Well, I, I guess persistence paid off. Yeah, Calwatt said he got through, so I guess it worked. I guess. Uh, I, I guess encouraging after, you're encouraging the behavior that you're saying you don't like, Drew. Yeah, I guess, I guess after seeing that number over and over and over, it got ingrained in my head, and then I just like subconsciously felt the urge to take the call at the end. I guess, I guess it worked in a way. Well, I did give her a couple hours in between my last calls, so that, I, that is true. You I did, dropped the hint. You, 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 you did lay off for some time at least. See, that's, that's but see, I, I gave <laughs> at least I gave the positive reinforcement to that behavior. To where after you laid off for a few hours, I answered. Yeah. Here, okay. Well, now I got a question. I got a question for you, Mister Duff. Yeah. I've been hearing you got a you carry a gun. Did I carry a I'm, gun? I'm well, proud of that. well, okay, that's that's good. I'm I I do have a gun. In fact, people can see on Poker Fraud Alert. People There's can no see. There's no way you carry a gun in California. I don't fucking believe you. Okay. Well, you can believe what you want, but you what you can see though at the very least is you can go to the Flying Stupidity Forum on Poker Fraud Alert and you can see in a thread of me shooting a gun at a range an indoor range in uh, Sacramento, California. And uh, it was a video I took back in September, and actually, I'll tell you, I, I brought a gun to this kind of shady hotel when I went to play on the live stream for Stones Casino in Sacramento. I I was playing 100-200. I brought a substantial bankroll with me so I wouldn't go bust there because there'd be no way for me to reload. And the hotel was in a shady neighborhood, and the whole area wasn't very good. So it wasn't just the hotel. So I actually did bring a gun with me. And uh, now there were no incidents at the hotel. Nobody tried to steal my money. But uh, since I had the gun with me, I actually met a friend in the area. Not a poker player, but I met a friend in the area. And we went to a shooting range in the Sacramento area. And uh, he took a video of me firing at the target. Now the video, the one problem with the video is it appears the target is super close, but it actually isn't. It wasn't really far, but it wasn't, uh, the, the, the target looks like right in front of me there. And it actually just, a uh, an illusion of the camera. And, uh, uh, then I actually moved it farther after I had, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see, I shot, the target pretty well right in the center where you're supposed to. Uh, th- then I moved it back after that. And there's no video of that. But uh, there was – it's not even as close as it appears in the video. But I, I this video was taken in September, and I actually didn't post it. I almost posted it, and I, I didn't post it because uh, I just didn't feel like dealing with trolls hassling me about how close the target looked. Because that's what the trolls do here is they look for every little thing to, to hassle you about. And I say, you know what? Screw it. Let the trolls say that. I'm going to post it. I'm going to explain the fact that it wasn't as close as it looked. And if they want to troll me, fine. So I posted well, it. Well, people are going to say that probably are not people that have shot many handguns because it's actually kind of hard. Yeah. So, so right. So I, I just uh, – so I posted it, and there actually weren't – there, there wasn't that much trolling. It was actually mostly positive the response I got. So I, I give the trolls so are credit. Are you telling me, Druff, that you have a concealed carry permit in California? I, I'm not telling you that, but I'm just saying that I, okay. I, I had a gun with me in the Sacramento area when, when uh, 
I went there to right. Play so you poker could put it in, you know, a, a gun safe or something, or uh, you know, drive right. it somewhere. Well, I, it wasn't it's so a gun hard safe. to get a permit in California it is. to actually conceal carry. I, I wasn't. It depends I, on the county. Yeah, it, it does really? depend on it does depend on the county. I haven't looked at the county here. The uh, the gun actually, well, it wasn't uh, in a safe in the hotel. In the hotel, I was all ready and just in case uh, someone broke in, but uh, it didn't happen. But uh, it's not even required to be in a safe. You know, if, if I'm just in a hotel room by myself, the, ho- the gun can be wherever I want it to be. But uh, anyway, the there's also a <laughs> there is a here. I'll, I'll, I'll play it. You might be here. There, there's a song in the a 1980s song in the background that pe- some people thought I actually played because I like 1980s music. It was a coincidence. It just happened to be what was in the background here. It goes on for a while. I won't play anymore. Oop. Yeah, you got a little Led Zepp going on. Right yeah. Oh. Crap. I, I, I'm trying to stop it now. It's, it's just going by itself. Oh, here we go. So th- there was. It's a 30 second video, and uh, it's actually posted on the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube channel. If you just go to the, just type in Poker Fraud Alert on YouTube, and you'll find it on the Poker Fraud Alert channel, which you can subscribe to. You can subscribe and you can hit the notification bell to let you know whenever I post a new video there. I don't post many videos, but when I do, you'll be notified, I think. The, the, the YouTube algorithm for that is kind of weird these days, so I can't guarantee it. But uh, that's something you can look for. So anyway, uh, thank you, uh, whatever your name is from, from Louisiana, for, for calling in here. and. Uh, <laughs> So you're saying that wasn't Mumbles badly? Uh, I gotta get, I gotta get going and get some boudin. Okay, okay, thank you. For breakfast. Okay, that's that's all for that call. Uh, the next week, as I mentioned before, no show during the week. It'll be on the weekend on Sunday, July 29th. I'll try to start it on time at 8:15, so maybe we can get Calwad here without him waking up to go to the bathroom and going down to the barn. We got we got to start him in the barn. That's the key to get yeah, him. Once to- I'm in bed, man, I'm I'm just gonna, I'm listening. Unless for some reason I got to get up. That's that's the point. Is I've got, I've got to start it early enough before you get in bed. <laughs> I, I've got to get you in the barn, and once you're in the barn, I'm in good shape. That that's what that's I've true. got to do. That's the strategy here. And uh, now someone's posting. I'm looking at the thread for the show. Someone said, please address Mulva's Burger King thread. It needs your attention. It's funny because I actually, I hardly go to Burger King. And I actually went to Burger King for the first time today in a long time. Where is the Burger King thread? I don't even, how come I don't even see this? Oh, I see it. Okay. Oh, he called it King Burger. That's what it is. It says, why the fuck is a double cheeseburger 139 and a bacon cheeseburger is 199 a King Burger? Now, I don't know if King Burger and Burger King are the same thing. I've never heard of King Burger, but he may be in a different part of the country. And he said, what if I ordered a double cheeseburger with a side of bacon in it? Well, um, it's very possible that... Uh, 
you could do this. You actually could get it cheaper by just saying, uh, give me a double burger and bacon on the side. And this way you'll get two patties and maybe even pay less. Uh, it's also possible that for whatever reason the bacon costs them more than the burger patties. Uh, it's probably just the pricing is wacky. My favorite fast food pricing situation was at a Wendy's near me where four nuggets, four chicken nuggets was a dollar and 20 chicken nuggets of the identical nuggets was five sixty nine. So if you do the math, if you just get five packs of four, it costs you $5 and that's also 20 nuggets. So you're actually getting penalized for buying more. So I would bring this up. I actually brought this up one time when I was actually in the inside the Wendy's through the drive-through. There's no way they're going to understand, you know, through that speaker. But one time when I was in there, I said, "I'm just curious. You know, it's five sixty-nine for twenty, and it's not, it's ninety-nine cents, basically a dollar for four. So why wouldn't I just buy four five times, and then it's cheaper than five sixty-nine, and I still get twenty nuggets, huh?" And then I explained oh, it again. I explained it again. I said, okay, let's look again. I want 20 nuggets. I could just buy four nuggets five times, right? Yeah. Okay, then I'd pay four ninety five for it, right? Uh, yeah. So why would I pay five sixty nine for 20 nuggets if I could just do this the other way, cheap, cheaper? Well, if you want 20 nuggets, you've got to pay five sixty nine. I go, oh, my God. Okay, forget it. Forget it. <laughs> They couldn't. They couldn't get that. Really? They couldn't. They couldn't get it. I tried a few different ways. They couldn't get it, and uh, I just wanted to hear like if they knew why this was being done. So this stayed for a long time, and finally, like after a year and a half, the owner realized how absurd this was and changed it to where it was. There was no situation like that on the menu anymore. Uh, there's another, another funny one where I think this is at Buca di Beppo, so that's not even fast food where. There was like a small, what they call a small and a large for the chicken parmesan. And I think the small came with two breasts and the large came with three breasts. And they were identical in size, so it wasn't about that. The small and large was just about the number of breasts you get. And the small was $20 and the large was $31. So I asked the server. I go, I know it's only a matter of a dollar, but... Why am I being? Pay- why am I paying more per chicken breast if I buy the large than the small? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Huh? Let me ask you again. So if I buy the small, it's two breasts, right? Yes, it's twenty dollars, right? Yeah, so that makes ten dollars per breast, right? Yep. Okay. If I get the large, then there's three of them for thirty-one dollars, which becomes ten thirty-three per breast. So so why is it a dollar more to buy more? Well, no, it's more because you're getting three instead of two. No, no, no. Per chicken breast, why is it more expensive if I buy more of them? That That's not usually the way it is anywhere. She, she couldn't understand it. So she said, you know, I can get you the manager. I go, yeah, why not? You know, I, just, I just like to hear, I just like to know. Like, I wasn't even trying to get the dollar off. I just, I just was curious. So the manager comes out, and the manager couldn't understand either. The manager not only like, couldn't explain it, the manager could not even understand it. And finally, the manager's like, well, well, what do you want? Are you looking for, do you want the dollar off? I said, well, I'm just really looking to find out why. Like, why was, do you have any idea why it is priced this way? 
And she's just like, well, I don't even understand what you're really trying to say here, but if you want a dollar off, I can give you a dollar off. Like, okay, fine, just give me a dollar off, forget it. <laughs> but they couldn't even understand that. Uh, and then I've seen other examples of this before where there's just nonsensical pricing where it costs you more to buy more. And then, of course, I've talked about this with the, the poker star's prostitute back when they allowed railbirds to chat on poker stars and a prostitute in Orange County became like a Dan Druff fan. And she was like always cheering for me. So I ended up talking to her and then she told me she was a prostitute. She wasn't even trying to like sell her services to me. She was just like enjoyed watching me play poker. But uh, she showed me her website and you could purchase – Two, one hour with her for $300, two hours with her for 500 and three hours for 800 So I'm like, should I ask about this? Should I ask why anyone would prepay the third hour when it's the same price as the first hour? So I, 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 I didn't have the heart to ask the question because she put all this together. I thought, I thought she may take it defensively. But finally, one day, I'm like, oh, who cares? I'm going to ask her. So I asked her, and she got she did she got pissed. She she first tried to explain. Well, if they want three hours, they can. Yeah, you know, it's eight hundred. I go, no, no. But why wouldn't someone just buy the first two and then buy the third only if they need it? Because you know, you give a discount for the second hour for, for whatever reason, the third hour goes back to full price. So wouldn't it be smarter just to buy the first two hours with you and then see if you need a third? Like, what if you're worn out? What if what if a guy doesn't yeah. You know, what if a guy can't perform anymore after two hours? Wouldn't he be just better off getting the first two and see what happens? So she actually got mad at me, called me an asshole, and blocked me on Yahoo Messenger. So that question didn't go well. Did not go over hooker, well. Hooker math? Yeah, hooker math. Yeah, they, they, they should teach that for the girls that uh, might end up going into that field. And there, there's, there's so many more. I actually heard a rerun on the call to listen line where Colonel Fabersham called the Rio about a deal they had where you could order, you, you could buy, uh, I think it was uh, one day of, uh, what was it? Yeah, I, I think it was you could buy two days worth of unlimited drinks at a certain bar for $75 or you could do it $30 per day. Something along those lines where it made zero sense to buy the two day package. And Colonel Fabersham called up about that and they couldn't give a straight answer about it, but eventually kind of admitted that it was true that there'd be no reason to buy two days. So it's so weird when I see pricing like that. And I always wonder, Oh, I also, I also had an experience for my birthday. For my birthday, this is the most recent experience. My birthday in 2018, which was earlier earlier this year, um, I wanted to go to a steakhouse, but around here there just aren't very many good steakhouses, and the one that used to be very good has gone downhill, so I didn't want to go there. So I was kind of looking for a new one to go to, and I and I found one that you know, it wasn't a, a chain steakhouse, but it was it was kind of like a new like family owned steakhouse that fairly good reviews so i went there and it was good but they had really weird pricing to where ordering like the steak and the side things like 
a la carte comes out cheaper than buying the, quote, meal they had. And I thought I was seeing something wrong. I thought maybe it's the portions different. I, I thought there's got to be something I'm not understanding here. So the waitress came and I said, I, I, I'm just curious about this. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but wouldn't it be cheaper to buy this identical meal that's described here a la carte? Um, yeah, yeah, it actually would, but most people don't. So, okay, well, yeah, I want to order it that way. <laughs> so I couldn't believe, and it wasn't that hard to figure out. But she said that like hardly anyone has ever asked about that. So like people just think they just want the meal instead of buying a la carte, and they just get the meal. They don't bother to price it out. It was a fairly big difference. It was like it's like a difference like eight dollars to get the identical thing. So if you do it a la carte versus the the quote meal, so it's, it's so weird when I see things like that. I mean, I like when I can take advantage of it and get something cheaper, but it's it just. When I see that, I get kind of a, a combination of satisfaction that I'm getting something cheap, or at least cheaper, and just uh, kind of a depressed feeling about humanity. <laughs> when I see that business owners are actually dumb enough to price things that way. Maybe they're smart, though, if they can get stupid people to pay the higher price a different way. So, All right. I think we'll be done here. Good, I can say I made it the whole way. You can. You held on. So, we're going to be on, as I said, the 29th. The next show after that will be on Wednesday. So it'll be another week and a half. So, whatever the next Wednesday, week and a half after the Sunday show is, in August, that'll be our, I think it's August 8th or something. That'll be the next show after that. If you ever forget the schedule, there is a thread right now near the top of the Flying Stupidity Forum called New Radio Schedule through mid-August. Just go take a look at that. Yeah, August 8th. So July 29th, August 8th are the next two shows. After that, we should be every week on Wednesday for the foreseeable future. We'll be more reliable. And... Maybe our ratings go back up once we have a more regular show. But I thank you to everybody who's stuck around and uh, followed our irregular schedule. For those who have kind of gotten used to the show being on Wednesday and having it on Thursday morning for work or whatever whatever else you do on Thursday, I apologize, but what can I do? I'm not paid for this. I squeeze it in when I can. Thank you, Calwatt, for waking up and being part of the show until the bitter end. And thank you to Trader Ruski for being there at the beginning through the middle before the tea got to him. Thank you, Eric Benzamokin, for coming on and giving some very good legal analysis of this complicated MGM lawsuit situation. Usually I'm pretty good at this. Usually I'm pretty good at uh, legal analysis, even though I'm not a lawyer myself. But I knew this one was going to be kind of tough and weird, and having a real lawyer assist with that was very helpful. That is all. Check back in with you in 10 days. I'm sure we'll have more to talk about. I'm following tweets more carefully now, and I'm going to be focusing a lot on those. I think they're endless entertainment that I haven't tapped into fully. Good night. Shalom.